Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 316. And yes, uh, there is no Stone Cold Steve Austin in this show, but we will kick your ass. All right. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, and welcome to Between the Sheets. Joined, as always, by my co-host, David Bixis, fan. And Bix, uh, yeah, another 80s show. And uh should be quite the fun show this week, as we'll talk about one of your favorite stories of all time. Well, it's one of yours, too. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It is the most WCW possible WCW, everybody, story, pretty much. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. So we'll get to that later on in the show. But we are joined by a guest this week, dear friend of ours. Always great to have him on. And I'd like to let him know that before we started recording this show, me, like the Atlanta Braves, I did a little sweeping around the house. As we are joined by <laughs> Washington Cold. Nationals fan Mike Simbabibi. Mike, welcome back to the show. Oh man, it's it's nice to 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 be back on to to break my <laughs> podcast silence by coming on here and getting insulted by you. But I'm going to take <laughs> solace in the fact that in my rebuilding that is taking place, I can still glance over and look at a World Series trophy, something the likes that you have not seen in quite quite some time. Yes, 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 yes. You do, you do have that, and, and and we know what we both can laugh at the New York Mets right now. So that's, yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> so that's one good thing. But we also are both uh, Atlanta Falcons fans. So uh, you know, the thing is about the Falcons is it's funny to me that they had their first preseason game as uh, we record this uh, two days ago, and or a day ago, or yeah, two days ago, and. Um, Watching the Falcons fans online like go crazy when the fact that they didn't play thirty something players and most of the starters didn't play at all. Ah, oh, football's back. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, people need to bitch about things already with the the Falcoholic and God bless their souls. But already with that, you know, it, it, seriously, the fact that they took pits over fields, you know, don't you think that's kind of crazy? No, I don't. I don't. They're they're five seconds into the lifespan of their their careers. Uh, I'll see how it plays out for a little bit first. Yeah, let pits play. <laughs> they ain't playing yet. <laughs> but hey. You know, we got to deal with the wrestling fan bullshit. So, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, welcome to the world of social media. So, but yes, it's that time of the year. So it's very fun. Though. We're glad to see football back. But well, you know what, though? It's kind yeah. of amazing that all the wrestling fan bullshit hasn't extended to the Jaguars when you really think about it. Because most, uh, there's a there's a. a we talked about this recently on one of the Patreon shows, you know, the, the, the wrestling fan and this in the main show too, the wrestling fan, you know, and, and stuff that you would think wrestling fans might be linked to and that how they program stuff, how it doesn't correlate, you know, uh, whether it be wrestling fans of NASCAR, wrestling fans of country music. Um, yes, but there are a lot of wrestling fans totally... that are football fans. Yeah, there are, but there are a lot there aren't. <laughs> And you know me. why? I guess too. Okay. I think the, the good insult artists there. There's not a uh, prolific enough one to throw the salvos at the Jaguars that'll that'll catch enough attention and garner enough steam because that's what it's missing. Somebody needs to shoot the arrow over over, you know, something they could be involved in, and it's got to be somebody of a high profile to do it first before others start piling on and it becomes a thing. 
Yeah, nobody's accusing Mike Florio of being paid by uh, Tony Khan to uh, (laughs) to be biased. Pat Pat McAfee, maybe. He'll be that guy who'll start throwing barbs or something like that on his show, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Plus, if we're being realistic, if you want to take a shot at the cons about ownership of a sports team and how it's doing, we all know that the right one to make fun of is Fulham. (laughs) <laughs> well, believe me, believe me, they had t- Tony's taking his lumps on that one. Oh, believe- yeah. Oh, my God. But uh, that yeah. is oh, a good it's... point. I mean, the wrestling fans only picked up on the whole Tony Khan has sex with dogs thing after Fulham fans started it. So. <laughs> Which, by the way, to be clear, we do not think that our dear friend and secret benefactor Tony Khan has sex with dogs. Oh, he's yeah. giving you guys money too. Uh, I'm more aware of a site where they say they they get a bunch of money too. They they might well, for all I know. Invoice. I just know I it doesn't trickle like, down. Me, well, he gets of what the money. Got. He gets bigs the money. Me, see, me and you, Seth, we're the, we're the same type of guy. I mean, we we don't get to see this stuff. Bix and Melser see and, and Alvarez see this stuff. We don't see it. That's, I knew they were all supply side economics guys. I knew uh, it. I know it. There's no trickling down here. I tell mm-hmm. you that. All right, well, let's let's go back in time. Let's go to 1989. We haven't done 1989 over a year. And uh, let's uh, talk about a short week, August 17th to the 21st, because we circled this week in the past. We did 10th through the 16th on show 56 with uh, our friend Jim Valley, speaking of uh, observer people, in a way. And then on show 162, we did the uh, 22nd through 28th. Where I don't forget who the guest was that time. But anyway, so we're doing the 17th to the 21st. And let's begin with the World Wrestling Federation. We're not a whole hell of a lot's going on, but there is some interesting stuff. And we start with Dave. In last week's issue of Multi Channel News, Titan exec Jim Troy predicted this would be the best Slam preview event in history. Talk about SummerSlam. Somehow that sounds familiar. Predicted 1 million buys, which would be an 8% buy rate. <laughs> Troy was mentioning how the advanced buys for SummerSlam were ahead of anything they've ever done. Dave said, well, he doesn't know if that's true. He's heard that the advance is quite promising, and it says the pay-per-view is very much a late-buy business. Titan is optimistically hoping for a 4 to 5% buy rate legitimately, which means the show could gross in excess of $10 million on pay-per-view. The same issue confirmed when we had reported a few weeks back, that Titan has had a two-and-a-half-hour pay-per-view show on Wednesday, December 27th, with a show time of 2 p.m. Eastern time, which would be the movie No Holes Bar. The video piece concerning the making of the movie, plus two main events, and the article stated that these would be live matches. Today's information WF was contemplating making the two matches tape matches. This main event could need some serious editing. The article stated the main event would include a Hulk Hogan title defense, but didn't list Zeus, as they sure they don't want that info out until after SummerSlam as the opponent. This show will have a suggested retail price of $11.95. Now, Titan originally won the fourteen ninety five retail price for the pay-per-view show. But since movies traditionally go for 5 bucks, several major distributors balked, and the price was dropped $3. Another interesting part of this showing is that they will run three repeat showings of the special. Traditional pay-per-view specials have one repeat at 5, 8, and 11 p.m. Eastern Time. The multi-channel news article also said that Titan is bidding for the pay-per-view rights to the Rolling Stones concert on December 16th or 17th at Trump Plaza. Starcades on December 15th. Oh, that's where Dave had is that Showtime seemed to have political advantage of getting the rights to the Stones. There's a lot going on here. Oh, yes, the Steel Wheels tour of the Rolling mm. Stones. Yes. Um, and, and real quick, uh, our guest on that other show where we discussed SummerSlam 89, 
was uh, Scott Pastner was pick picked that show for the week, and it was uh, him and uh, Bruce Mitchell on the show. So there's that. Who's All right, Mix, uh, uh, a Duke fan. Uh, All right, so Mix. Uh, All right, so Jim Troy talking the multi-channel news here, uh, predicting one million buys. That's uh, <laughs> that's pretty optimistic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would hope that uh, Steve Donahue or R. Thomas Umstead uh, pushed, uh, kind of pushed back on that a little, but still, uh, that's a bit optimistic. Okay, so going back, so um, based on the buy rate percentage that was reported in the Observer. WrestleMania did a little under 720,000 bucks. Okay. All right. And this is based on that and then the universe that Paul Kagan Associates said they had for the show, which I got to think the universe at least is accurate. Although Kagan reported a 7.5 buy rate, which would be about 915,000 homes. Um, and I believe that was the same month as Leonard Hearns, which did an 8% buy rate in 640,000 homes out of an 8 million home universe. Um, if What about SummerSlam? Well, I'm getting there. Okay. okay. So if we're going with the idea that, as some people, including Steve Beverly, did, the Kagan stuff is leaning harder on the quote-unquote official WWF numbers, then let's say that Troy is projecting from what WrestleMania did, right? I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. So, okay, and then the universe was 12.2 million homes for Mania. SummerSlam, the universe went up to 12.5 million homes. What Dave reported was 4.8%, which would be 600,000 homes. And because of when the list I have was published, there was no actual buy rate yet, and Kagan was predicting like that it would do a 6.5 based on nothing. So... I, I get why Jim Troy is pushing this, but that seems a bit overly optimistic. Although, I'm guessing they have some indications that, as we talked about on the No Holds Barred Patreon show, patreon.com slash between the sheets, mm -hmm. Zeus was drawn, like, the, the, Zeus drew, so maybe they had indications that Zeus was going to be a big draw, and they figured that those extra 300,000 homes would be enough to put it over Mania. Yeah, I mean, obviously they... They thought that the Zeus character would have some staying power and, you know, they could milk that for what it's worth. And people that might not have seen Noel's Bar in the theaters would buy this pay-per-view, which, you know, I think it, it came out on VHS, though, in like October 89. So the VHS, I think, came out before the movie. So you could able to go rent it yes. in the rental store. But so, which if is you had your that, whole pay-per-view yeah. schedule, though, you know, with movies, and I don't think there was a regular pay-per-view version of No Holds Barred, right? No. So this is the only way to get it on pay-per-view, so if you don't have a VCR the hook, the hook, the hook, or whatever. Yeah, the, and the hook of the extra matches, too. You know, that's the hook. Yes, although it only it's ends just, up being one match. Well, yeah, the one match. But, uh, Mike, the interesting thing about this is everything that's going on here in this time period that they're scheduling this because we've got Starcade on the 15th. The Rolling Stones thing is 
was coming up after this. And then um, this wasn't, of course, known at this time, but Sugar Ray Leonard Roberto Duran was on the Sabbath of December, their third fight. So 1989, that's a heavy-duty schedule for pay-per-views to have all these in one week-and-a-half time span. It absolutely is, and it was an exciting time. And, you know, names like R. Thomas Umstead and Paul <laughs> Kagan mean nothing to anybody, but to people like me and Bix, and it's like those names, you know, with what they do with multi-channel news and all this other stuff and these numbers as you go back and research. And as you go back and research, what you find out is the expectations and some of the predictions made by the Bob Arams and the Jim Troys and all that sort of stuff, uh, they tend to be exaggerated but, in some of the results that you... Well, we should give a caveat, though. In this era, whether it's Dave or Wade or Steve Beverly, we're pretty much only getting buy rates within a few weeks of the event, and even at the very end of the WWF pay-per-view era, there were still huge swings in pay-per-view, in initial estimates and final numbers. So the fact that we never really got follow-up reporting in the newsletters about yeah. the demise means that, I mean, there is a decent likelihood that these shows did better than we thought they did. It's possible. And, you know, the, the ones, you know, you know, the ones that tank, that's for sure, especially as you go through boxing as the TVKO era started and they started doing monthly pay-per-views or that was the, the goal from HBO and you, you saw what worked and you saw what didn't work. But it's, you know, you're exactly right. That follow-up reporting that didn't take place because, you know, there wasn't either the interest in doing it or the the information was not accessible enough or just wasn't followed up on, you know, because of other things taking place or people putting their, their thoughts somewhere else. And, you know, that, that, that unfortunately, those things are going to be lost to time in many cases. But, you know, from a, a business point of view for WWF, Anything that they could do to also, you know, get their promotional oars into something else like the Rolling Stones. And then also at the same time, maybe possibly stick it to Jim Crockett promotions at the same time that weekend by out promoting them or trying to steal uh, event, you know, event dollars, you know, in that mentality uh, as it also competes with boxing that's around that same time. You know, it all it all fits nicely into what Vince's M.O. was then. Yeah. And um, now I, say, I said Jim Crockett promotions it, just because, you know, the previous year of them doing all sorts of damage, but still Turner Turner, I guess I should have said here. And, and the, the, mean the Ted thing, Turner's WCW to be clear. Ted yeah. Turner's WCW. But they they didn't get the stones. Showtime event television got the stones. This time. But 2012, they did because they distributed the uh, one more shot. Uh, thing a pay per view and uh, of the Stones on the December fifteenth, and that was yeah, only twelve. Though, right? It wasn't like the Girls Gone Wild thing where they also produced it. I don't think. No, they didn't produce it. They distributed it, but still, so they finally had their hands on it. Though. And he brought up Sugar Ray. They got their Sugar Ray fights, you know, with Lalonde yeah. and the other one that they they saved the uh, oh god. Hector Macho Camacho. Was Camacho, it. oh my God, yeah, that that debacle. Well, that one was an unqualified <laughs> success for w, for WWE. Yes, though. it was. It was all bonus for them. So yeah, that was actually, and that's one nobody will ever really care about. It'll ever be really noted or anything like that because the Lalonde one was such a, a lemon, and and some of their other like Girls Gone Wild, which is you know. <laughs> <laughs> for as ridiculous as that one was, Can although you're... we did get the story of Snoop Dogg and Kevin Dunn, so that was good. Think about this, though. I mean, it's crazy. 
Girls Gone Wild, it seems like so long ago now. Oh, that that was a thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Just think about that. That's crazy to think about well, that. Well, because also that... now, if it just came along now, it would immediately die a horrible death. Oh, God. I mean, can you imagine all this stuff? I mean, it would be crazy. Protest, all this other stuff. I mean, yeah. And it they would already be, it would got, rough. I mean, when they were around, they still got sued plenty over. Yeah. You played these women with at, liquor at, to do lesbian things on camera stories. At this point in the game, they'd be better off just becoming a, you know, this is how we begin. We're a full porn production company. Like, because you're better off doing that than trying to play this bullshit game, <laughs> you know, yeah. that the, the, the T, all that, all of that era of stuff is now, again, for a variety of reasons, I, over. You know, I, it always, I guess, takes on a different form in some ways, but in some ways, no, the, a lot of that is never coming back. And if it does, it needs to get beaten into the ground with a hammer. So exactly. I just found an interesting story on that note from the December yeah. 10th edition of the New York Daily News by Bruce Chadwick. Headline, Trump's Tumbling Dice, about how, not mentioned here, the Stones bid was theoretically going to be a thing, partnering uh, partnership between Trump Plaza and Titan. So, jumping ahead from the beginning of this here, uh, the long odyssey started when Titan Sports of WrestleMania 4 and 5 called the late Mark Attess, president of the Taj Mahal and a newly formed Trump pay-per-view group to suggest a partnership in landing a series of Stone con Stones concerts in Atlantic City. Attess jumped at the chance and called Donald Trump, who agreed immediately, Trump is no great music fan. Oh, that's shocking. But he could hear the melody of folding money. Titan Sports started negotiating with BCL Inc., a Canadian company and the Stone, uh, excuse me, a Stones tour promoter. After nearly a month of talks, though, Titan dropped out of the picture completely, leaving the Trumps with a convention hall and no rock and roll band. We were still very interested and wanted to proceed, said Dylan, who is Bernie Dylan from Trump Sports and Entertainment. And also, if I remember right, is in 1989 the year that Mike Weber leaves Titan Sports for Trump Sports and Entertainment? It sounds about right, timeline wise. So you've got another connection there that their PR person had just been WWF's PR person. Uh, so then another promoter stepped in, and that's the end of the Titan stuff. But yes, this was, in theory, when they were trying to get it, a partnership between Titan Sports and Trump Sports and Entertainment. Hey, Chris, who do yeah. you think sang uh, Tumbling Dice better, Mick Jagger or Linda Ronstadt? <laughs> I gotta go with. I mean, I gotta go with Mick because it's Mick. I mean, Linda did a great, great job on it. I mean, it was different, but it's Mick. You know, I mean, Stone songs. When I hear covers of Stone songs, you know, a lot. There's some really great ones, but Mick's so distinguishable as a voice. You know, it's hard to picture anybody else doing it right. You know, this when you got a Ronstadt cover though. When you got a vote, when you got a vocalist that that's so distinguishable like that with her voice, then yeah, it's it's tough. But but yes, I mean it's great. Linda's a great job, absolutely. Okay, so now so, I need to, I need to press. Rick Flair would probably that. agree with you. <laughs> Chris, better version of what? State of Shock. Michael Jackson, well the Jacksons technically, and Mick Jagger as released or the unreleased version with Freddie Mercury. Oh, I got to go with the Jacksons. Mm. No, but I'm saying I think the I think the unreleased version is technically the Jacksons too, but with Freddie instead of 
Mick. Well, I, yes, I, but I go with Mick though. It, it's because it, it's, it's better. It's just it's it, See, it's. I the, think the Freddy, one... I think Freddie's voice. I feel like Freddie's voice went with Jackson's voice better. Yeah, but I, I'm a Mick guy, so I'm, I'm gonna go with Mick no matter. So what. you were really partial when that Steel Wheels tour. You that whole mixed emotions. You were down with all that. You were that ready for was, that Bud tour. But that was. I mean, that's one of the first CDs ever owned. I actually got the tape. I got to be honest. That's how good the promotion worked on that one. I was a hip hop kid, but they they were rolling into RFK and it was a big ass deal. I mean, because I was 10 years old and I mean, that's the first big album the Stones had that, and, and that I was old enough to appreciate, so to speak. I knew I had heard the Stones. I knew their old songs, you know. But that came out, and MTV, MTV. I mean, they they had a lot of stuff. On, I mean, with the Stones at that time. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and uh, "Rock in a Hard Place" was. I mean, that's a great song. Uh, I mean, and there's a lot of other great songs in that album. But um, yeah, I I, I love. I still play uh, the uh, mix mix emotions and all that stuff. I still I love those songs. I mean, it's great, great stuff. That's one. I mean, that's one of the best Stones albums of the. Uh, Ron Wood era. Absolutely. And I think the Public Enemy tour was in the fall that year. I'm pretty damn sure it was. I remember that. Was, that. that was a good year. <laughs> oh, 89. 89. It's for everything. It's one of my favorite years of pop culture. I mean, I mean, wrestling was amazing in 89. Um, MTV was amazing in 89. There were just amazing movies. I mean... Uh, if everything stopped so right there for me, I would be fine with it. Like, Porn, 89. Hip-hop, 89. My wrestling, 89. Sports, Music. man, the Falcons were bad, but hey, you know, 89. Like, there's so Deion, many things. Deion's first year? Yes! Yes! Prime. Deion's a rookie. I mean, the, we we had hope. You know, even though we saw it, we had hope. You know, because... Uh, Calm coach. <laughs> That's right. Deion's in town. The Braves sucked. We, we didn't have hope then, but still, they're the Braves, you know. Dale, Dale was still on the team. But uh, yeah, just a great year, and as you'll hear on this show, all this great wrestling we're talking about. Now it wasn't a great year for one wrestler though. The same thing a pro wrestler Jake Roberts on the assault charges stemming from an incident last December was postponed for a month. Roberts was originally sent to be sentenced from the Daytona Beach case on Monday. Titan Sports already advertising Roberts to return in October against Ted DiBiase around the horn, so they seem to be confident that Roberts won't be serving any time stemming from his conviction on the charges in a trial last month. Make you want to refresh everybody on this one real quick. We've talked about it. This is like a fan. He was getting a ride from a fan and he started hitting him or something. He assaulted him. Yes. Yes. It was, it was strange though. Yeah. It was, I thought, you know, I thought it was Orlando, not Daytona beach. Uh, that's interesting. Unless it's a different but, case. Uh, <laughs> it could be. I don't know. I mean, the one I know is Orlando. Um, Two sides okay. of the same coin. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. well, yeah. All right, so here, here we go. Uh, let's refresh it this way. All right, Orlando police officers calmly watched Jake Snake Roberts appear to punch, kick, and knee gouge Ted the Million Dollar Man DiBiase. Then after the knee fight, gouge. they arrested the... <laughs> Ted knee and gouge, yes. Then oh, after oh, the fight, they, yes. they arrested the 6'5", 249 Roberts. Not for being a DiBiase, though. The snake was arrested on Monday night on the charges for the he punched a five foot seven inch Daytona Beach man on December 6, 1988, in a real life quarrel over the quality of life and women in Daytona Beach. 
This arrest came at 8.45 p.m. at the World Wrestling Federation. Big double main event at the Orlando Arena. Roberts, a well-known wrestling good guy, known for knocking out bad guy opponents like Ravishing Rip Rude or DiBiase out cold with a move dubbed the DDT. After applying the DDT, Roberts then pulls his eight-foot boa constrictor Damien out of a green burlap bag and lets it crawl over his hapless victims. That's his trademark. Police on Monday night pulled out a trademark of their own. Handcuffs. And escorted Jake and his snake from the dressing room <laughs> to the Orange County Jail. Roberts was booked in the astounding Volusia County warrant of aggravated battery. Damien the snake was held by the arresting officers until his owner was released about an hour later on $2,500 bail. Oh, we took care. We took care of it. Orlando Police Lieutenant Mike Manka said of the snake, "We didn't just throw it around like it was a pair of tennis shoes." Mankin said, "Roberts, 43, was very cooperative. What? That is not his age." After posting bail, he and Damien apparently left town. Roberts could not be reached for comment. He was booked as Jake Roberts, but the Daytona Beach Crime Report used his real name, Aurelian Smith Jr. of Lawrenceville, Georgia. A circuit judge signed an arrest warrant after John Bartlett, the 27-year-old Daytona Beach man, said last December the wrestler punched him in the face and his abdomen after night on the town. Manka said Orlando police was tipped off that Roberts would be wrestling Monday in Orlando. Bartlett told police he met Roberts on December 6th in a Daytona Beach bar called The Sugar Shack, known for his scantily clad dancers. Roberts and other wrestlers were in a bar after a match earlier that wait, evening. Wait, 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 wait. Why are they... Making a point of not referring to it as a strip club. It's nineteen eighty nine. Roberts was leaving when Bartlett asked him if he was the well known wrestler Jake the Snake. Sometimes Jake answered, according to the report. The two drank it all for a while before going to another bar. About four AM they were driving on Nova Road. Oh <laughs> named after Mike Bucci. And Roberts began complaining about the city of Daytona Beach and its women, according to police. Bartlett told authorities he started to defend his town and its women when Roberts said Ought to stop the car and beat your ass. The wrestler proceeded just to do that, Bartlett said. Roberts stopped the car. Bartlett got out. Roberts walked around the car, punched Bartlett in the eye and the stomach, according to the report. Bartlett has been asked by his lawyer, Diego Handel, what a great name, not to discuss specifics of the incident. Handel, however, said that Bartlett did not hang around the mix up of Roberts. Mr. Bartlett wanted to live, Handel said. Handel filed a civil suit last week on the behalf of Bartlett, seeking damages in excess of five grand. Roberts faces a court appearance on the criminal charge in June. Bartlett, who weighs in at 160, said he needed surgeons to put a temporary steel plate in his face because Roberts fractured his eye cup, the bone around his eye. I'm not a movie star, but he really messed up my face, Bartlett said. <laughs> I Mike Weber. That, that newspapers can't, don't know what an orbital bone is in 1989. Mike Weber, director of media relations for the Russ Federation, said he had not heard of Roberts' arrest. Weber said Roberts had been with the Federation for about 10 years. <laughs> He's one of our top people. He's a main eventer. That was from the May 10th Orlando Sentinel. <laughs> and then there's, there's other articles about this, too. Um, he, he, got, uh, he, he got jailed in July when... Volusia County Circuit Judge Gail Graziano revoked his $2,500 bond, ordered in Holden County lockup until sentencing on August 14th. Um, then there's the December uh, story where he got fined 10 grand. This is, I guess, the ending of it when Graziano uh, put him on probation for 10 years and fined him 10 grand, saying, You say you think you go around popping people? Think before you act. 
So he was convicted by the jury on July 5th for a count of aggravated battery. Roberts asked her for a new trial, claiming his original lawyer was incompetent. Graziano conceded that his lawyer, Robert Bowen of Tampa, turned in a dismal performance during Jake's trial, but denied his motion. Robert sobbing, pleaded with Graziano, he learned his lesson. I'm not the sort of person who goes around hitting people in the street. I've never been that way, he said. He said the violence of professional wrestling is make-believe. He's more of an actor than a fighter. He could have been prisoned up to 30 months. But Graziano and Mon shouldn't remember his physical side of the street before he struck anyone again. He had to perform 100 hours of community service, paid for more broadest medical bills, which was more than $11,000. So there you go. Uh, that's how I like my wrestling stories, though. That's how we liked them back then. You got to put the tongue in cheek no matter what happened to the victim. You got to have some fun with that story. Now, maybe, Bix, maybe was it, are we sure that this place was a, a full-scale nudie bar, or was it a bikini bar that these scantily clad women oh, were running around in? Ooh, the Sugar Shack? The Sugar Shack? I know. Maybe, yeah, maybe that doesn't sound like probably a playing to me. Probably playing Sugar Walls by... Uh, <laughs> oh, by, yes. Uh, well, hey. Sheena Easton, yes. Sheena Easton. Oh, man, she looked good. Anyway. Um, oh, there, no, no. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Man, 80s right there again. A- anyway, um, look... Jake Roberts. Yeah, there's a lot with this story. You know, six five two forty nine was the start. Forty three years old, been working there ten years. It just, I don't know, uh, a lot to this. But you know, what were they doing? I wonder what actually caused this. Was this you promised you would take me to go get something illicit, possibly maybe somewhere else? And since you're not, I'm going to hit you in the gut and the face. You know, there was a what was it earlier on this year as we we record this, Chris? Uh, squirrel versus rat in the Mets dugout. We had the fight to take place. Do you think it was maybe a situation like that that maybe wasn't discussed in this article that led to this encounter between Jake and this man at oh four thirty or whatever it was in the morning? And it's, it's something because I think it's funny though that it's about this man's defending his town against Jake. I mean, there's got to be more to that. Cause it's just like, you know, well, you I, say I that, know. but you say that, but look at all the shit that goes on today. <laughs> you know? I say, okay, let me tell you. And I hate to admit this. I've been, and I'm, I didn't do it often because it just wasn't my thing, either one. But, like, I have been coked up and drunk at 4.30 in the morning and having bad arguments or stupid conversations with people. So I guess maybe if this dude and Jake needling this guy nonstop and just, like, psychologically breaking him down where this dude is like, nah, man, they're all hot or, you know, whatever it would be. I, You know what? I can actually see that happening. You're right. God knows we see it with sports fan bases about their sports teams. I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, I mean, it's I, I've seen it, it uh, high school. Are you kidding me? High school football rivalries and shit like that. Oh, man, it's been big time brawls. I've seen that shit. You know, how dare you talk about my county? You know, it's just. Do, yeah, do that, furries that do this? Dude, like, is there, like, when it comes to, like, those types of, like, subcultures, like, or do, do furries have, like, an animal kingdom <laughs> hatred towards each other? I don't Vicks think so. Vicks probably answer that question. No, I haven't, I haven't done much furry <laughs> research in a while. Oh, so uh, come on. Zubilee Zoo, also from the 80s, that I remember very thoroughly, yes. <laughs> oh, God. Um, with, oh, <laughs> <laughs> What's that new Netflix show that's coming that looks like that's like Zubilee Zoo, but they fuck? <laughs> I don't know. You haven't seen it? Like I don't know. I guess I got to reactivate the subscription show. now. 
<laughs> anyway, I, I, um, also I wait. So is being drunk and drunk and coked up at four a.m. Why it looks like Semper Vivi has soft blocked me on Twitter again? <laughs> soft blocked you on Twitter? What are you talking about? I, I, I got as we were at, a few minutes ago. I, I get a DM from the unfollow bot Twitter, and I see okay, you've unfollowed Tyler Breeze. I knew that because he blocked me when he was vanity searching. He's putting all your streets. And then, and then I see at Sempervivi, and I click Semp, at Sempervivi, and I see that I am not following him, and he is not following me anymore. What did you do to annoy me that I did that? Um, I don't know, considering the last interaction I think we had was in a DM about something that we probably shouldn't talk about on the air. Believe me, there have been times where I've thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hold on here. <laughs> Maybe I fat fingered you. I don't know. Jesus, hey, hey, Twitter can be weird too sometimes, where it'll do that on its own. Well, also, when, did the new I mean, font, I, when did the new font and the reverse of the colors happen? That's oh, another thing. The color thing, that... thing drove me crazy. That was that's, oh. that's this week. They they love screwing shit up, don't they? They love that. Well, nobody asked for that. So yeah, let's do that. <laughs> can I get Leah a longer time? Can I get uh, on videos? Can I get an edit button for tweets? No, none of that stuff. Yeah, can we go over two twenty for uh, video times? It's just crazy. Well, well All right, you know what's extra? Oh, okay. Thank you for following me again, Michael. Uh, <laughs> no, the video thing. Though, do you feel better now? Yes, I do. But the video thing—it's well, it's because it's hundred forty seconds. So a hundred, like 140 characters, but they went up to I know. 240 characters. So why is it now I, 240 seconds yeah. now? I mean, 280 I, seconds. Who knows? Anyway, anyway, let's get back to 1989. Yeah, we're not done with WF legal news yet. Another Titan wrestler, Andre the Giant, Who's Andre Rene Rousseau, was arrested on August 21st after an incident in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Andre was charged with assault and criminal mischief when he accosted KCRG cameraman Ben Hildebrand, no relation to Brian, after his 32nd main event with the Anabolic Warrior. <laughs> so you know who did this, Dave. <laughs> According to the AP report on the case, Andre shook up the cameraman, giving him a few bruises, knocking his back out of whack, and did $300 worth of damage to his camera when Andre thought the reporter was filming his match with the Warrior. Hildebrand was told not to film the match. But was given permission by Tight to fill crowd reaction shots during the match. And the reporter claims he had his back to the ring when Andre attacked him. Now let's go to Matt Watch with Steve Beverly. Assistant Cedar Rapids Police Chief Jim Barnes said Andre was charged with assault and reportedly putting the photographer in the headlock and damaging his gear. Thank God he was cooperative because a guy that big caused some damage, said Barnes. Well, we have a clip. A local news story about this, Bix, if you saw what I sent yes. you in the message. So let's go to how this was reported on the Cedar Rapids news at this time. Yes, and there's also going to be more that we didn't realize we were going to have because I just Googled real quick. And at least one, maybe two newspapers in the area did 30 years later retrospective two years ago. A lot going on in Cedar Rapids, obviously. All right. Uh, this is only about 30 seconds old, so let's see. But there was a cameraman on hand shooting this, and he had agreed not to shoot any of the action in the ring. Andre thought he had, and by the time the bell had sounded, Andre went and grabbed the camera cables, and you'll see in a second how that resulted. Here it comes. 
After that, <laughs> Andre took the cameraman in a headlock. Hey, it's he went to the Nick Charles and Gary Miller. Us, Andre will have to face some assault charges at the end of the month. Oh, a little crushing moment in yeah. sports, right? Well, the Angels... Uh... Oh, that takes me back. <laughs> I didn't Hell know, yeah. realize that there was footage of the whole thing that aired and... Well, you know what? I actually thought I could have sworn if you would have held a gun to my head that it, the footage of that, because I remember there being some and I remember it being reported on. But it was for some reason, I remember I, I'm conflating it with something else where Andre's hand went over the camera and it could have just very well have been a WWE thing. But I thought he had gotten into it with someone else where he did a a camera mash or something like that. And I thought it was this one. And then I saw. The earlier on, I saw the two. I guess there's two videos that I saw earlier on today on YouTube. That was one of them where that obviously wasn't the case. Where this, he just got jacked up from behind by Andre. Yeah, I I think I know what you're talking about, but it wasn't this one. But all right, Big. So what do you have uh, from a 30 year retrospective about this? Okay, let me see because one of these. Wait, I thought I had the Google Cash open. But because it was paywalling me the local paper. So give me one second to make sure I'm doing this right. If not, I'll, I'll have a version in a minute, hopefully, because I, I was having archive today. Grab it. Um, Cedar. Uh, God damn it. Wait, how am I? How have I passed my free article limit on a newspaper website I never go to? <laughs> All right. Well, let, let me let me read it. Well, well I got it. I'm Oh, the the, right, the, so, the Gazette.com one or whatever? Yeah. To this That's day, I don't know I, I don't know what we have done, Cedar Rapids Police Officer Dave Zahner says. He's definitely the biggest dude I've ever met. Wait, arrested. Dave Honor? Of Dan House? Dave Zahner. Oh, okay. Dave Zahner. Zahner. Uh, the dude in this case, 7 foot 4, 520 pound hooking professional wrestler Andre the Giant Rusimov. Zahner and other Cedar Rapids police officers working the U.S. Cellular, Cellular Center that night 30 years ago. What name that then? Uh, August 21st, 1989. Witness Andre Ragdoll, then KCRG TV cameraman Ben Hildebrand. They were faced with a challenge of WrestleMania proportions. What happens if Andre doesn't go peacefully? Hildebrand, Hildebrand, not Hildebrand, nephew three, drew the short straw that day, he recalled. At the time, KCRG and radio station KRNA had a partnership in which they produced funny bits for broadcasts. <laughs> wacky the cameraman in this case Hildebrandt was tasked with shooting editing and writing the piece professional wrestling in town that night Hildebrandt then 23 said the piece was supposed to be on why so many people were into professional wrestling even if the results were predetermined okay can I do Hildebrandt's lines when we get to him yeah you, so you got it too yep okay Hildebrandt oh, oh, right, I pulled it up on way back so I've got it working now too Hildebrandt said he was at the five season center now the US Cellular Center shooting the World Wrestling Federation performance when it came time for the main event Andre Resultant Warrior. Hildebrandt said while promoters gave him the carte blanche to record most of the event, Andre himself was a different story. The ring announcer comes over and says, Andre is different. You can't record him wrestling, Hildebrandt said. I said, fine. May I record him walking in? And the bell rung. And the bell being rung? The announcer said, fine. Andre walks in. I shoot that. I shoot the bell being rung. And immediately he's pinned. I'm not even looking. And suddenly... Andre is on me. The match that night is what's known in wrestling terms as a squash. And Andre was pinned about 30 seconds by the Ultimate Warrior. Hildebrand said he didn't record any of the brief interaction, but Andre was quickly yelling for the camera. Andre quickly grabbed the camera and tried to wrestle away from him. They say it was not a fair fight, but an understatement. 
considering Hildebrand at the time was five foot nine, about 160 pounds soaking wet. It was really much like someone who was whipping a towel or a piece of paper around, he said. It was not a fair tussle, that's for sure. Hildebrand said he was slapped upside the head by Andre at one point, not putting the headlock or body slam like some tabloids had reported. The camera was also broken in the showdown. I'd just like to point ah. out that it's literally only legacy news media that ever say that someone is hit upside the head. I had never been in a fight before or after in my life, and I just got whipped around like a doll in front of 4,000 fans who, by the way, thought this was part of the entertainment, he said. Beer was thrown on me. People spit on me. It was just surreal. I don't buy that. <laughs> Officer's Honor, who was there on overtime assignment to keep rowdy fans in check, had just witnessed one of the stars of the show come out of crime. You don't know what's for sure and what's not, Zahner said, but it was definitely a shove, definitely an assault, and he definitely did some damage to the camera. Hildebrand and Andre were quickly separated and taken to different parts of the arena. Hildebrand said the event promoters yelled at him for recording Andre when he was told not to. Hildebrand took them to the nearby KCRG studio to show them what he recorded. The footage shows Hildebrand had never recorded Andre wrestling. When they returned to the arena, Hildebrand, who initially just wanted to go home, said he wanted to pursue charges at the urging of the police officer and others. It was about time... Then Police Sergeant Jerry Potter got word from his captain. Andre is to be arrested on assault and criminal mischief charges. By the way, when we get up to what Andre said, I'd like to be Andre then. Okay. He told me to come down to the arena and make sure he went okay, Potter said. When Potter arrived, Andre was showering in the locker room. After the officers waited for Andre to finish showering and get dressed, Potter told him he was under arrest and going to jail. I don't remember his exact words, but he said something like, Ahem. I'm not going anywhere, and you're not taking me. Potter recalled. Police didn't have a lot of options. Officers at the time didn't care. Non-lethal options like stun guns, chemical spray, and Andre could drink in excess of 100 beers in one sitting. Might have shrugged them off. Zahner and Joe, they may have had to enlist the ultimate warrior to subdue Andre one more time. Instead, Andre and Potter talked. I just explained to him you're under arrest. You do have to go to, over to the jail with us, but it's not a big problem, Potter said. Your manager will follow us. You'll be released, and it won't even take that long. Andre was compliant, but told Potter he wasn't going to be handcuffed. Why because they don't make Andre the giant size handcuffs? Potter had to ask for that, too. A set of leg shackles for the Lynn County Jail. I'll use them if you make me, Potter said he told Andre. I sit in a joking manner and got him laughing. When Andre starts bellying laughing, it seems like the whole room shakes. <laughs> With the shackles on Andre, officials moved him to the back of Potter's four Crown Victoria police cruiser, which worked only because Potter's car did not have the standard partition in it, separating officers from those in custody. <laughs> Still, Andre fit awkwardly across the back seat, his head in one corner, his feet in the opposite corner. Whoa. Potter and police officer Jerry Chapman took Andre to the jail where he was booked, fingerprinted on an 8.5 by 11 inch sheet of paper, since the standard car was too small, and released after posting bail. He was a big man, Potter said, before she cooperated. Once started stalking and got me friends, went well. Before Andre left the jail, Zahner managed to snag a souvenir. Mm-hmm. He, was, well, he was there being fingerprinted and photographed. I've likely asked him, would there be any chance I can get a whole handprint of yours and have it signed? That's because I don't have to rest Andre the Giant every day, Zahner said, and he was more than obliging. The rest of the night didn't go so smoothly for Hildebrandt. By the time he got back to the station, his back was hurting. He was sent to the hospital and told his spine was strained and he had whiplash left in a net brace. The storm was quickly picked up by wire services, the Chicago Tribune, the National Enquirer, Newsweek, and Mad Magazine even paired the incident on their cover. I should note, by the way, that uh, they misspelled Enquirer. 
Yes. For a nanosecond. Oh, yeah. I-I-N. For a nanosecond, I was big, Hildebrand said. I never wanted to be that big for... Big, be big for that reason. You took my line. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead and say it again. For a nanosecond, I was big, Hildebrand said. I never wanted to be big for that reason. Yes. Well, you can do this next. You can do this next quote, then. It's perfect for you. Professional wrestling historian and publisher and editor of Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer, said the incident was out of con- character for Andre. Andre never had a rep for being a bully, and with his size and drawing power, he could have been so. With- <laughs> I can't do a Dave impression. It just goes fast. I don't. I don't know. Uh, Andre never had a rep for being a bully and with his size and drawing power he could have been with little or no repercussions Meltzer told the Gazette he was extremely well liked by his fellow wrestlers oh my god we forgot to talk about Conan (laughs) (laughs) we gotta talk about Connor (laughs) but Andre's deteriorating health his size as a result of gigantism uh, he suffered issues related to excessive growth hormone and his weight, put pressure on his bones and joints could have contributed to his mood. At that point, his career, Andre was suffering badly, Meltzer said. He recalls seeing him in a wheelchair after matches. Being in pain, being frustrated, all led to him being in a bad mood, he says. That all that plays a factor. New support show Andre eventually was fined 100 bucks for criminal mischief and ordered to pay $233 to KCRG for the camera. He was found not guilty of the assault. But that was the end of the legal proceedings. Bill Lebrancia believes both KCRG and the five season center sued Andre over issues related to workers' compensation and broken camera. Andre countersued both organizations as well as Hildebrandt. Over eventually, what? Eventually, everyone settled on the court, which is what Hildebrandt, who grew up watching professional wrestling and rooting for Andre, wanted to begin with. Almost all the settlement went to his lawyer, he said. I have an interesting story, Hildebrand said of the incident. The shocking thing is every time somebody forces me to tell this story, forces me to tell this story, Somebody in the group or the audience will say, I remember that even 30 years later. Yeah, and, and uh, it does a wear day now, and we'll just do who healed the brand. Uh, he got out of television not long after Andre's incident. He now lives in Des Moines, has his own consulting business, doing public relations, lobbying, sales and marketing training. He recently told his story to a local Rotary Club as part of his Brush with Greatness series. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, God bless. I guess you get your 15 minutes where you can, right? And would yeah. you like to see uh, the reporter's tweet with the handprint scan? Yes. Oh, All right. Let me <laughs> share that in the Skype chat. Oh, my. Oh, that's nice. That's fantastic. Well, good for him. Also, wait, looking at the signature, did Andre sign it? Andre Rusimov instead of Andre the Giant? Well, that's his name. I mean, it looks like that, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I guess you're under pressure there uh, with the cops making you sign it. So, which, by the way, just my disdain for that. But that's oh, a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, and this right. is here. Hey, here, what a happy thing of the ways of wrestling have changed. Andre should have never been on the goddamn road. He should have been getting paid to be Andre the Giant somewhere and resting up to a point where he actually could make an appearance where it would actually matter. (laughs) In this day and age, hopefully something like that would go away. I always hated. It's the one thing that never really gets talked about is, well, Andre loved being on the road. Like, yeah, I know. I get that. But there were other ways to make him, like, socially happy, you know, and other ways to be around the boys. 
That's what it was. I know, but it's in this day and age, you could get send the boys to be with him. You know what I mean? And there's ways to do this where it just it always kills me that he continued to wrestle. Although then again, I guess when you're, you know, what movie was that? Uh, the, the never ending story with the Cyclops that could see its own death. I guess that was akin to Andre in a lot of ways. And he was going to go the way he was going to go. But it just it, it always sucks to see because all the pain and like what Dave mentioned there or what you forget about is this guy was in the shittiest of shitty shapes. Yeah. And uh, from the UPI wire story from our week, uh. If, according to Captain David Johnson of the Cedar Rapids Police, at first we didn't know if he'd get in the back of the squad car. We're going to make arrangements to get a police van. We have trouble getting big guys in our patrol cars, and he's quite a bit bigger than our normal big guy. We had to fit him in the car sideways. Oh no, now what? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Andre's a big motherfucker. Nose Crown Victoria's... I mean, it's 89. I would not think they'd be driving one of the newer models at this point, Mike. And you remember what those things were like in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, and, and even, I mean, even they, even see, the, the big, you know, the LTDs, they all, they were big. They were roomy, but they ain't Andre roomy. I mean, no matter how you cut it. And it's like, the back seat, not the front seat. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you took the, now if you took the front seat out and he was sitting in the back seat, okay, maybe. Uh, but even then at his size, I mean, come on, you know, he's he's a he is a police van. Anything other than that is uh, turns into a clown car. Yes. Oh, and in the Chicago Tribune, uh, assistant police chief Jim Barnes said, thank God he was cooperative in the arrest. Guy that big. He could cause some damage. So what would that sound like? Andre causing some damage? Yes. And I just quoted that Jim Barnes thing a while ago, Bix. So well, it's you. we've been through, we you we went through a very long article after that. All right. Well, let's get into some non-legal related stuff. Former pro wrestler and pro wrestling's leading color man Jesse the Body Ventura is the leading candidate and almost certain to be named as the new color commentator for the NFL's Tampa Bay Buccaneers for this upcoming NFL season. Ventura, who has been wanting to branch out into other sports, had a tryout with a team and made a very favorable impression. Ventura also received high marks from the New York area sports TV critics for the job he did doing a Yankees game on cable on July 30th. All right, did you get the video I sent you? Yes, I did. All right, so this is from the 1989 NFL Films uh, yearbook of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, um, of course, Denise, they will splice in some of the radio calls into the highlights. So let's go to a clip of uh, the Bucks as they played the defending Super Bowl champion, San Francisco 49ers, in Tampa Bay. And uh, this piece is narrated by the great Jeff Kay, but also has the announcing of Tampa Bay announcers Gene Deckerhoff, who is a fucking legend in Florida, still announces the Bucks games and Florida State games. Uh, Jim Keck, who was the third man in the booth, and Jesse the Body Ventura. So we'll hear little Jesse here. Let's go to the clip. Jim Keck, not to be confused with Jim Keck. Or Brian Keck, yes. Trailing 13 to 9, the Bucks' offense took advantage of their good fortune as they mounted a fourth quarter drive against the best team in pro football. And Benny wants to go airborne. Into the pocket, throws it downfield, intended for, batted away. Hit! Oh! Bucks football by Mark Carrier. 
sure you get a feeling that someone wants the Bucks to win this game. I got a good idea, too. 64,000 of them sitting here, Al. You Not bet. Many have left, if any have. Third down, four for the Buccaneers at the 18-yard line. Chester Verde with a one-pump. Goes toward the far corner. He's open! Touchdown! Touchdown, Tampa Bay! Buccaneers lead with 3.25 to go. Gaining a 16-13 lead against the 49ers confirmed that this team had character. However, the lesson that the Bucks were destined to learn was that you never give a quarterback like Joe Montana two chances to beat you. First and goal from the five-yard line for the 49ers with 46 seconds to go. Montana bootlegs, rolls toward his right. He's going to pump and take it in himself. Touchdown, 49ers with 40 seconds to go. Joe Montana does it again. The disappointment of the 20 to 16 All loss right. was lessened by the encouragement. And Jesse's on different parts of that piece. So, yeah, Jesse, I never forget watching this on ESPN. Of course, they aired these uh, in the summer before the next football season. I used to gobble it up like candy. Uh, I recorded all of them, and I used to have this on VHS back then, this one in particular. And I remember hearing, I never had heard Jesse doing the game, but I remember knowing about it at the time. I was like, holy shit, he actually did do it. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, hell, I, I was on have Tampa Bay radio, you know. But uh, I love that. I love, I, and he only did it for one year, which is interesting. But, um, yeah, Mike, I, that, that, watching that makes me long for the creamsicle uniforms. God, they were beautiful. Oh, man. Well, and, you know, to the surprise of no one probably out there listening to this, I did the same exact thing. Those things would come on ESPN. They would play them, especially right before the season. they play a marathon of them. i record all of them on VHS. And just like Chris, you know, you knew he was doing it because it was a big deal. You know, obviously you're a football fan and a wrestling fan. You, you knew of that story. Uh, there'll be another tie-in with Miller Lite that'll, you know, touch a lot of bases, too, a little bit later on. But, like, you know, so that was the same sort of thing. So it was the only time I got a chance to hear him. There there were ways I could I could hear, you know, a lot of different stuff living in the, the D.C. area where I was. The coolest thing for me was on shortwave radio, you could listen to the Saints game. So I was able to listen to the Falcons twice a year but by way of the Saints being aired that way. But for like that and for when Ventura did it for a little bit and sat in in Minnesota, I think a year or two later, like that was the the same sort of way where you had to watch NFL films and you had to hope it was part of the yearbook because otherwise you would never have heard it. Ross was on the uh, 92 Falcons one, you know, the year he did it with the Falcons. Yes. And that's, I, heard, and, I heard Ross every week. So Well, that's yeah. it. You were lucky. I had to hope that they were on Monday night because that way, at least, you know, they, they all the power reduces on the, the, the local AM stations and then only the super stations were able to pump out. So where I was at the time, it wasn't that built up. So I was able to get in a lot of really cool stations and WSB. That's where the, the only... The only times I was able to hear Jim Ross on the sidelines were, was that game if they were playing on a Monday night, because that's the only way I could hear it. Yeah, the blowtorch. It, it, it reached up there. Absolutely, it did. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I love shit like this, you know, and uh, it's really, really cool that uh, Jesse got to do that. And uh, and that Bucks team was not a good team. Well, they no, did, no. Beautiful, beautiful uniforms, but... That's a good players on that team. Vinny Testaverde, Mark Carrier, um, the receiver Mark Carrier, not the safety. I mean, that's a good players on that team. But yeah, 
Yeah, interesting stuff. Bix, I know, uh, has plenty of opinions on the 1989 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, don't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you probably thought they should have... Uh, they, they shouldn't have fired Ray Perkins next year, right? You you thought that that was the wrong move to make, and they should have tried to give him one more year. Yes. Okay. There you <laughs> go. All right. So now let's get to something more in Bix's wheelhouse. The Bobby Heenan show has already been dropped, but they have Heenan and Rick Rude now in separate studios on Brian's time with Gorilla Monsoon and Roddy Piper in the other studios, and your action has been real good, far better than the wrestling matches. Expect they blow up shortly, and everyone expects Piper to be involved in Warrior win the title at SummerSlam if such a thing happens. Well, that doesn't necessarily kind of happen in the way it does. But uh, this is the blow-up that pretty much takes place. So get ready, folks. Let's go to primetime wrestling. Roddy Piper, Rick Rude, and uh, this is a timely piece, but uh, it's worth it. So let's go to the clip. Now, incidentally, Rod, on the way in, I went right by Studio B. No activity, quiet, no dogs, no, no dogs. security Bobby around. must be out no. on a date again. Not We're a dog in sight. All right. Wrong, 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 big mouth. I'm speaking to both of you. I'm here in Studio B. Oh, Live in a living color. Is that the eunuch of the WWF speaking? I'm sorry. Hello? No, it's the brain. Bobby the brain. And as soon as you get it correct, you're going to be a lot better off. Yes, Boogie. Listen, Boogie, I want to give you you a compliment. I love the jacket this week. I like the way you got two little Keegler elves holding the shoulders up like that. I happen to own this. Oh, it's not a cheap t-shirt. I don't blame you, man. (laughs) Like I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. I don't need security. I don't need dogs. I don't need anybody to watch that. That door is wide open. And you're welcome to come over whenever you want, because I have a guest. Oh, really? And my guest I'm going to introduce right now. Must be family. So, yes, it is family. Uh, otherwise, nobody, nobody else would come over except Mumsy and Dad, I don't suppose. So, ladies, get ready. Get up to that set and turn up those dials, because I'm going to introduce you to right now. Yes, you hear the music. The one and only, the intercontinental champion, the sexiest man in wrestling, and the man that is going to retain the title and defeat the ultimate warrior, my guest and family member, Ravishing Rick Rude. Sit down, champ. Oh, I'm how you doing, Bobby. Hey, as long as you're here, I'm always doing good. As all long right. as you got the goal, we're always doing good. All right, have you taken care of that little problem you've been having? Uh, the little problem is sitting across the way in Studio A. He thinks I need dogs and all <laughs> kinds of security. I see, I see, and that is a very, very little problem, Bobby. What about that skirt? Well, that's your department. You know more about skirts than most people do. Not, not a bad skirt, but the color scheme's not there. Uh, Fredericks is having a sale. I think maybe you can go pick up some lingerie to go underneath there. Yeah, Fredericks of Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Piper, Mr. Bagpipe Lips, what do you think of that victory? I think, uh, first of all, I think that you're possibly playing in dangerous waters if you think from any stretch of the imagination that I'm a little problem to anybody, Rude. Now, Radishing Rude. Is it Radishing? Ravishing. Ravishing. Ravishing, I'm sorry. I thought you were a farmer. I didn't know. First thing, it's called a kilt. You see, now, I don't want, because you didn't give the Rude awakening to that Young lady or ladies you didn't find anybody worthy of, I don't want you to make the misconception that this is a skirt and try to give me any kind of awakenings because, baby, P.O. me, baby, and watch me grow. You Maybe you're sitting around with Boobsy the Brain because this is all of a sudden there's your first champion for him and he's going to tell you everything you want to hear. If you talk to me, 
Don't ask me where to think you. I might not give the answers that you want me to. You're sitting there with them big lips and that mustache and pretending with this striptease music come down them. Them looks look like a look. Them lips looks like a dog been chewing on a tootsie roll for about three days. <laughs> right? Coming out here saying I'm a little problem, baby. I am the original legend killer, baba. It's obvious. I ain't never backed up. You shut up. You shut up. Oh, I ain't never backed up from up. nobody in my oh. entire life. Include you. Now, I come here just to say hello to the gorilla, <laughs> talk to the fans, and no trouble. Of course, if you want trouble, <laughs> T-R-U-B-L-E, that's me, that's trouble, yes. But for now, I think we're just going to go on a little tour and find out where all these fine athletes are going to be. Which you won't be one of them if you keep fooling me. The guy makes his living fighting, and one of the... Real quick, since they plowed through that break there, um... It's interesting hearing Piper trying to find family-friendly ways to call Rude and Heenan uh, fallacious, I guess is the best word. <laughs> very well, good. He's very creative. Yes. All right. I, I guess so. Oh, no. Well, he was, it, it, the flow was excellent. You got to give it that, even if it was, uh, in hindsight, uh, a little dodgy. Uh, so much of it is. So. He's not done he, yet. <laughs> well, of course not. It, it's the rod. I'm surprised yeah. he hasn't called Heenan Boobsy yet. He did. he did. Oh, he did? Okay, I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> Biggest events in, in wrestling is coming up, SummerSlam, and uh, he doesn't have the, the opportunity to be involved in it. But watch him, watch him in the future. You know, Couple talking of, about people that we, aren't involved in anything. Who, who mentioned your name? Windy. You don't have to. Windy. I can do whatever I want. I imagine you'll be home, Piper, watching this on your big dish t- TV and big screen TV. I want you to watch yeah. Ravishing Root in action when you see him take care of the Ultimate Warrior. Watch well, my brain busters. Watch Andre the Giant and the big boss man and Akeem. Just watch it good at home. Why aren't the belts up for grabs here, brain? Good point. Why Against the Hart Foundation. Good point, large person. Would you like to know why? Yeah. Talk to the guy in the skirt. He seems to know everything. Because you're chicken. That's why. Because you're chicken. Chicken, 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 period. Chicken, rock, scratching, chicken. For a person that's not chicken, you do that pretty well. Well, thank you very much. I'm not chicken. <laughs> of nothing. They're keen. They're on their way to becoming very good contenders for the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championship. Studio B? But- Studio B? Can they hear me in Studio, they, they Studio B? Hello? Hello? Yes, uh, hello, man, can you hear me? Oh, boy. <laughs> Thank you. Coming from you, that's a compliment considering the company. Um, I got a question. Well, since people couldn't see that. He was doing pretend sign language. <laughs> As a Herman Munster uh, being slow motion forwarded or something. <laughs> not, he was not. That's all he was doing, right? He wasn't making fun of anyone. No, not at all. No, no. Oh, my God. Go uh, ahead. Oh, boy. It's Roddy <laughs> Piper. What do you expect? For you now. Ooh, he knows the question. Well, and let me tell you, I'm going to give you compliments. Being that you're one of the greatest managers ever in professional wrestling, being that you have Mr. Rick Rudd, the... Uh, Rude. What did he call me? I, I know he's not very polite, but anyway, the guy's in, intercontinental And that, incidentally, in SummerSlam, the title is on the line. Is, is that correct, Boobs? That's correct. Okay, so far, so good. Now we have the Brain Busters, who are the World Tag Team Champion. Boobs, is that correct? That's correct. Thank you very much. Thank you, you very too. much. Thank you. Why aren't the titles on the line? I'll give you the answer to that. I would appreciate it. An honest one would be nice for a change. Because I had signed my brain busters to wrestle the Hart Foundation, signed the contracts before we'd won the championship. 
Wait, wait, okay, that very legitimate, but wait a second. If indeed you're on the run that you're on, and what a, what a win, because, listen, if you put the titles up, I'm giving you a last chance, we got one week, you put the titles up next week in SummerSlam, and they defeat the Hart Foundation, you won't ever have to bother with them again, because they won't be number one contenders. If you don't beat them, then you're going to have to bother with them, they're going to be number Why don't you just go ahead and do it, Bob? One for the gipper, huh? You mean, why don't I just put the championship on the line? Just go for it. I'll tell you why. Why? Because they're going to have to earn the championship like we did. And they're going to have to earn a shot for it fair and square you call like that, we did. You call that earning fair and square what you did? Is that what, is that what you call earning a championship? I have a better answer. You don't want to lose two championships in one night. Oh, you wait think... A wait a minute. Just wait a minute. There you go. There is no way on God's green earth that the ultimate warrior will deal with ravishing Rick Rude. I didn't get it. I got mine. Too bad. I did. I swear. I ordered it. I got the big. See, I got one of them big, ugly satellites. Oh, I get I the big TV guide. They had a huge, huge advertisement. TV guide tells you what number to call. I called it. I'm going to be sitting at home with my popcorn watching Rude lose his title is what I'm going to be doing. Monsoon, <laughs> I'd like to ask you a very important question, an intelligent question. Important? That chair that, intelligent? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Go ahead. That chair next to you that uh, has a skirt in it, is that Yo. a director's chair? Yes. yes. It doesn't seem right there. I, I'm thinking maybe I should take a little stroll over to Studio A and what maybe What makes politely... you think you'd be welcome over here? No, no, you don't understand. I'm going to be a gentleman. Oh. I'm just going to ask Mr. Rowdy Roddy Piper maybe to take a walk. You see, I think I look a lot better sitting behind that desk than he does. Yeah, but I took your job. <laughs> no, no. I quit and walked off. That's the only reason you have a job. Oh, I if see. If I want to sit back in that chair take a stroll down the hallway, take a right and go right in that studio, I'll do it well, at I, any time I see fit. I see. I'd, I'd take a stroll with you, but I'm spoken for. <laughs> well, you better have other arrangements in case Here's I decide to... not spoken oh. for. We're going to take... You know what? I, I thought I heard Piper say there, uh, uh, who's going to make him stroll? You know, who's going to uh -oh. make him walk? Piper, what you don't understand is we can make you do what we want to when we want to because you, my man, are a guppy in the sea of life and I am a great white shark. That's why I am the intercontinental champion and you are just sitting there flapping your gums. Tell me, tell me something, you know, uh, the one with the striptease. Is it true that you date two girls at one time? <laughs> Ruddy, sometimes I date dozens of girls at one time. <laughs> that, that's so when you fall asleep, they got someone to talk to. Is that what it is? Uh, I fall asleep once a, once a month, maybe. <laughs> once a month. <laughs> Listen, anytime you want to take me for a stroll there, big boy, and you run out of companions, you come and give it a shot, huh? Piper, I think you should know something right now. <laughs> the man. Okay, wait a second. <laughs> is he saying that if he doesn't have a date... Rude should fight him. That if he doesn't have a date, they should have an orgy with Rude's female <laughs> companions. Or is he saying that if Rude does not have a date, they should get together and uh, fuck each other? Because it sure sounded like the last one. <laughs> Mustache rides. It was that that Lord Alfred Hayes incident in the locker room. I guess. And, uh, oh, no. where, where is Craig the boxer when you need him? <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> That's gone back to the cliff. I'm just glad that Johnny Fairplay is not a listener. <laughs> You're talking to 
and I guarantee you this, is the most dangerous man you know. Believe it or not. That might actually be true. He says when he gets PO'd, he grows. Well, Piper, I think you better start getting PO'd because you got a lot of catching up to do, my man. Huh. My, 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 my. I think that's all we have to say to them right now. (laughs) Y'all done now? Here's a guy that never Also, I want you to know something just for According to the... (laughs) So does Gorilla begin every match transition with here's a guy who... I guess. <laughs> oh my god, it just kills me now. All of a sudden, it's just like imagine him and Art Donovan just sitting there together with years a guy. Oh my god, <laughs> be that as it may, yeah. from there, notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, All right. <laughs> you can cut the sexual tension with a knife, by the way. Well, we're not done yet. <laughs> the Eiffel Tower, it's falling apart. <laughs> They're raising money for it over in France to try to fix it. So you be proud of that Eiffel Tower you got, puppy, because it's falling apart and most of because... Is he what? comparing the Eiffel Tower to recruit's penis? I don't you know. You guys need to get uh, one of those uh, Blue Chew deals or whatever, because like if you got some cock sponsorship, this is the this is the episode to have it for. <laughs> we, we made an executive decision a long time ago that even though we don't fault anyone who takes a Blue Chew ad, we are deathly afraid that someone's going to take it, have a heart attack, use our coupon code, and we get sued. Uh, holding out for uh, for for one of the antidepressants or something, eh? <laughs> actually that's what's coming in that would well actually never mind that's a story for another time I'll ramble <laughs> about that later but we uh, shall when continue your antidepressants with... make it that you can't get it up blue chew that... all, right. <laughs> all right back to the cliff terrible because of you because of you taking them out there and putting them against everybody you don't give a doggone do you you just want the bread don't you huh so you can get a little more girth don't you there boobsy huh You're jealous because you'd like me to manage you, but you're a retired person. You're just an average person that gets his hands dirty at home doing dishes for your old lady or your girlfriend or your mom or daddy. (laughs) You're nothing anymore. I saw that. But I'm on the Brother Love Show with Andre the Giant. I'm sitting with Ravishing Rick Root, the Intercontinental Champion, and all you're doing is sitting there in some cheap bagpipe you turned inside out and made into a skirt. Called a kilt. It's called a kilt. We call it a skirt. Oh, 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 it's we again? Is and it? we call it whatever we want, Says Piper. the man with a perm and, and a sparkly bathrobe. Oh, there isn't. Well, this ain't Michael Nunn now you're playing with. That ain't somebody going to run home backwards, Bubba. Something I can do about it. I've been doing things for my old myself for my whole life. And I don't suspect you're going to change everything. And yes, I do the dishes every once in a while. I throw them against the wall. That's how I clean them, Oh, I'm sure Kitty loves that. Go to Blubber Love. You guys make a good combination. Elizabeth, man. Rick Rude, the too. evil John Oates. You know, when it boils down to it, Elizabeth is kind of the... Is, the so thing wait, was that the end of that, or is there more? No, keep it going. Okay. She's the only element we have here that is not coming to play, and that, according to Hogan and according to Beat Speaking Pig, is what's of Miss Elizabeth, ravishing Rick Rude, the sexiest man alive, might just snatch oh, her away before SummerSlam even rolls around. Oh. Because as you know, Mr. Piper, I can have any woman I want. And that includes yours. 
Oh, my goodness gracious. Aren't we getting awful tough here? The cheapest imitation of Tom Selleck I ever seen. No. How dare you insult excited, my right? Tom Selleck wishes huh? he had my body. How dare you insult my family? I'd slap you upside your head. Not only did I end your career, you mess with me, man. Maybe you better find out I am the full meal <laughs> deal here, Jack. You think you're that tough? You want to throw out insults like that? Then come on over and let's get it done. We don't got to go no place to do that. I don't got to come out of retirement. I don't got to do nothing. I maybe ought to step every once in a while, oh, but, easy, but I still you know when you're right you're right you see when ravishing rick rude talks and then gets interrupted by piper it doesn't affect him it doesn't bother him because he knows what he's saying is the truth but when piper is spoken to or we say something to him oh he comes unglued he's making all kinds of challenges sure he's a half a block away on the other end of the building he don't want nothing to do with this man he don't want nothing even to do with me he's big and brave as long as he can pick up a two dollar t-shirt that says hot rod and he hides behind a gorilla you're nothing but a big mouth a big First loud one. mouth First you don't belong one. on prime time you don't belong in that chair matter of fact you don't belong as a member of the human race piper first first of all mister Mister, you don't even speak to me, man. You want me to be calm? Okay, I'll be calm, you piece of garbage. You sit over there, you know, if you can't do teach, if you can't teach, manage, if you can't manage own, where are you? You're managing right in between nowhere. And you're on as far as that guy's concerned, you want me to get in your life, mister? Hey, Rude, you want me to get in your life? I'll make your life miserable. Anytime you feel like leaping, Piper, you just take the leap. Listen, buddy, if I wanted to, I'd kick in the back door of your house, bust your Doberman in the mouth, plop down on your kitchen table, have your old lady cook me up a T-bone medium rare, and she would like it, and you couldn't do one thing about it. And what's you? really getting to you is you know I'm telling the truth. Then why don't you come a-knocking, huh? Well, maybe I just will. I'll let him get on I'll let him get I doubt if she can Rod, cook. Right <laughs> now, we're going to take you to the event center and Sean Mooney. One week from tonight will be SummerSlam, and of course, there will be no primetime wrestling except for you folks out there on the West Coast and you folks here on the East will be privileged to see, if you so desire, the U.S. Open tennis. But Wait a second. That's <laughs> not something I knew. <laughs> you just learned something. Review? I don't remember that, but there you go. So, at least in 1989, the West Coast feed of USA Network had episodes of primetime that didn't air anywhere else during the USA. Nor was a replay of this one, or a replay of a previous... It could have been, a, yeah, it could have been a replay. Oh, you know what it probably was, actually? Or actually, were they doing something? Well, no, if it was SummerSlam Spectacular, it would have aired on this night, so... Yeah, who knows? They probably do some special replay or something. I'm curious now, though, but we'll talk more about TV stuff in a minute once we're done with this. You and I, you know <laughs> what we're going to be doing, Rod. Volley, love, love, volley. Personally, I'm going for SummerSlam, and I'm going to have myself a good time. You I, and millions of others, yeah, guaranteed. Millions. Yes, sir. Piper's going to be watching from home now, isn't he? He made that clear that he's going to be watching Summer Slams from his own living room. And I'm real happy about that because I'd hate to have to see his ugly mug out in the crowd. And I'd hate to have to smell his rotten breath while I'm taking care of the ultimate warrior. Excuse me, Rudd, but it's not its not my women that are falling over when I kiss them because of bad breath. That's because you don't have any women, Piper, and you never have had Who's any women. Who's this real man pronounced Rudd? 
said, I said I've had three successes. What is your major malfunction? If you try wearing the pants in the family, brother, you might get along with well, one man. I come from, we don't consider that kind of stuff humorous. We have a where nice... Where you come from is in subterranean country, my man. Oh, and exactly where is it that you come from, you... I come from the top of the mountain, and you're going to find that you out, think, Piper. You think because you're some kind of champion all of a sudden, you think you're the only one that's ever been a champion? Is that your problem? No, huh? I'm not the only one that's ever been a champion, but I'm the best champion there's ever been, Whoa. and you can't do a thing about it because you ain't physical enough for me, my man. Huh. I'm not physical That's right. Enough. Nobody wears a skirt and dominates Ravishing Rick That's Rude. That's about all. Let me tell you something right now. Let's just stop this right now because I don't want to go any further. I don't want to change with you no more. I don't want no trouble. You just leave me alone and you go away and save your own life. Leave you alone? Yes. Leave you alone. No You're so easy to pick on, Piper. You're right there, Shut man. your mouth. I, I said to you. I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you what to do. No, no, no. Piper is so legit riled up that he forgot they're supposed to be in separate studios. <laughs> you keep it going, yeah. Because he is, like, he is very obviously throwing things and pointing in the direction of Root. He's, he's worked. He's worked himself into a shoot. Go ahead. Hey, you stay in Studio B. You don't move an inch. Don't let your, don't do nothing. Don't brush your hair. Don't touch your mustache. You just Rod, stay there. Be a good boy. Stay with Boozy. Oh, you know Wait what? Minute, it wasn't. He you was working the camera. Me. That's you don't why. have to look too far. I'll find Rick, you all there, Bobby. No, Rick. Hey, man, I'm holding you directly you're responsible. Holding, they just weren't on the right camera. You're holding me responsible. You created this whole situation. You started. You ate him on. He's got a match with the Ultimate Warrior. Come on. I can't have him out in the hallway getting in a fight or something. Nobody I want somebody asked from this. you to bring a guest here. Uh, no, 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 no. I want somebody from this complex right now to put a stop to it. Somebody get somebody out there right now. Okay, what exactly is the problem here? No problem here. Huh? No problem well, here. Well, where's the champion? No huh? problem here. Where is it? No I'm problem wrong. here. What is your What's wrong with you? What is What's wrong, wrong with you? me? Where's Big Bad Piper? No. What are you doing over there, Piper? I told you I was coming to get you, and lo and behold, you disappeared. What about a macho? Big Bad Roddy Piper just took off and ran, and all I seen was his skirt tails. I didn't even see his skirt tails. That's the last time you're going to say that. Come on. I want you to do me a favor for one thing. Don't do me a favor. Just stay, please. I am moving a muscle. I'm down on my knees. Come on, Piper. I'm begging you, Piper. You just stay there. You don't have to beg me. I'm gonna drown you. Come on, You just Piper. stay right where you are. Come on, I'm gonna drown you. just stay there. Come and talk. get it. I won't bother you. You won't have nothing to do with you me. You ain't nothing. Why are you creating all these problems? I'm gonna problems? need some help. So some help now. That man runs his mouth, and he's Who got nothing. Come over here. Nobody he's got nothing. Come over I'm here. the Intercontinental Champion. I deserve respect from you. And I deserve respect from Rowdy. What exactly what is your problem, huh? Oh, you are a problem for you, son. You are a piece of me. You are a piece of me. You are a piece of me. Folks, please accept my apology. Everything is in disarray here. This has never happened before on primetime wrestling. I don't know where everybody went to, disappeared to, but I think it's time that we get into our feature match. That match, Tito Santana against Mr. Perfect, and then we'll straighten this all up. What are you doing here? Haven't you created enough problems already? Are you happy? 
Am I happy? No, I'm not happy. Do I look happy? If you're satisfied. I hope you're satisfied. I'm very satisfied. Yeah, you would be. You created that whole incident. My fault. Yes, it is your fault. Did I invite a guest here? No. Piper doesn't belong here. Did I invite you to join us from Studio B? No. Piper's the one that issued the challenge. You were telling him to do it. I know you're behind it all. But I'm very happy now. See, Piper's been removed. Piper's been removed from the studio. He's been removed from the building. He's gone. He's history. They had to sedate the guy almost. And where's Ravishing? Well, he's back in the green room. He's in in his own private dressing room. He's with his hairstylist. He's in his own private room. He's in his own private world, and you his know, own that masseuse. brain. And he's so totally are you. Relaxed. I'm going to check this all out. Check it out. Stay with you. lied. He's not over in the green room. <laughs> Who? Who? Your champion, Ravishing Rick. What? He got thrown out of the building along with Hot Rod. As soon as you walked off here to go find out what happened, I got word that Rude was leaving in a limo. He's not here. Now, of course not. I knew that. Yeah, you knew that. I knew that. You said over there in Studio B and you instigated this whole thing. That, to me, is stupid on your part. You're one week away from SummerSlam with a title defense against the Ultimate Warrior, and you take a chance like this. It wasn't a smart thing to do. I'll grant you that. And I told him not to. But you didn't control Piper any easier. What, is the Ultimate Warrior I, paying you off? I should have to control my co-host? Was the Ultimate Warrior paying you and did Piper I ever to do a number? Did I control you here on primetime I wrestling? never did nothing wrong. You never did anything wrong. Why are you here now? Back where I belong. To go, right? Back where I belong as host. Roll. <laughs> you won't be here very long, guaranteed. <laughs> that was amazing. That was fantastic. Oh, my God. Now, real quick, you know, it, though, before we actually talk about it, let's go to the, uh, this is not in the notes, but this is important. Let's go to the cover-dated September 3rd issue of Matt Watch. And this is from the cover story about August cable ratings. Without a doubt, WWF Primetime has assumed the role of the most dominant show in wrestling television, with an average 3.6 rating during August, and the reason is, singularly, Roddy Piper. The Primetime Wrestling episode featuring the Piper-Rick Rude studio square-off, with banter far more interesting than the inconsequential matches in the two hours, drew a 4.0 rating, a record for Primetime Wrestling. Not only that, it was the first edition of a weekly wrestling series, he means on cable, of course, to hit the four mark since the, scrolling up, Frank and Jesse James, a.k.a. Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA versus Midnight Express Angle in February 1986 on World Championship Wrestling. And with the exception... Say that again? That was on in February. When was it? Uh, That would have been May. Are we assuming it's still the right angle, though? Yeah, okay. just may. Um, and with the exception of USA Network's package of first-run made-for-cable movies, Primetime Wrestling is now the network's dominant number one show. But it not it curious that USA does not mention the WWF anywhere in its major ads for the network offerings and trade publications? The old stigma is still there. And for comparison... As far as ratings that week, so uh, 4.0 rating, 6.4 share on Monday night, and 1.93 million homes for prime time. So let's see about what it has. So in the in the thrill, three million viewer range at, the, at an absolute minimum uh, for that. All American the day before did a 2.7 with a 7.8 share and 1.3 million homes. Uh, NWA main event on Sunday did a 2.5 rating, 5.8 share, 1.24 million homes. 
World Championship Wrestling on Saturday, which, Chris, at this point, are they still in a weird time slot? They're whenever, basically. Uh, 2.0 with a five share, 990,000 homes. Power Hour, first one on Friday night, did a 1.6 with a 3.6 share and 792,000 homes. And the 7 a.m. Saturday morning Power Hour replay the next day did a 0.8 rating with a 7.9 share. Actually, a higher share than All-American did by 0.1 in 396,000 homes. And you can see why primetime was what it was. This is the golden age of primetime wrestling. And, I mean, good Lord, Mike. I mean, that went through the whole show, and they they got that feud over so hot there. I mean, and then Rude and Warriors, the match of SummerSlam, it's like, well, fuck that. Well, <laughs> you know, Piper's part of the finish, Piper. though. Yeah, but still, you and know, it, it, the crazy part is, is, you know, how we just aired it doesn't do it any justice, because if you're watching that with the, you know, the ups and down with the matches that they would actually show to always come back and be, I mean, they hit every time, every time, even if it was a little ridiculous, whether it be, I mean, Piper scratching his chin with the middle finger up. I mean, there was something in each one of those segments right up until the very end, right up Heenan, that short one that played that you couldn't really appreciate on, you know, just an audio form where he's looking at gorilla, that face just completely dejected. You happy? And they it goes to break, and then they go to another clip. But it's like it just everything was awesome. And Piper, for anything you can say about Roddy Piper, he could talk. And Rick Rude had the presence of a guy that just he was the slimiest guy, you know. And it's he, you know, the, again the evil, the the evil Tom Selleck, the evil John Oates, whatever it would be, just that slimy guy, and it just a perfect meshing back and forth of the two with Bobby Heenan there with him. I gotta right, say, match. though, real quick, having not watched this era of Rude in a while, the WWF hair in, for him, the perm, it does hurt him. And I, I've never heard it explained why he got the perm in the first place, because he only has it here. Yeah, but, you know, I think it was, I think that's the thing. It was part of that character. I think it went well with the character at that time to have that, personally, yeah. I thought so. Gorgeous uh, Jay just did it better. Yeah, no, and the matches in between all that uh, was Rude again, beating Tim Horner, Honky Tonk and Dino Bravo over the Heart Foundation, The Genius over Stefan DeLeon, Coco Beware over Barry Horowitz, The Rougeos over Bob Allen and Mark Ming, and Mr. Perfect and Tito Santana going to a 20-minute draw. Good stuff on there on the paper, at least. Yeah, all these matches were taped in either Oakland or Fresno at the TV tapings on August 8th and August 9th, my 10th birthday. So there you go. But, yeah, I mean, that Piper was, I mean, he was fantastic in, in, in doing all this stuff and, and on the show in general. And the numbers tell the story. I mean, it got the people so invested. Where else are you going to see stuff like this on WF television, this thorough and in-depth on, on a storyline where these guys are just going back and forth, you know, for two hours, basically. And, um, yeah. And I'm True. in the minority. I, and I'm, I know I'm in the minority on this. And I guess if it worked, they would actually do it. But, like, I still believe that you can do a show like this today for two hours and make it hum 
if you wanted to, you know, and it did to me, it takes a little bit of effort, but you can do things like this and show matches from different places and not actually have first run. I mean, you know, we did proved we, it. Well, you know, we NXT, proved it. NXT just got gutted. So why not just uh, use that time slot for something like this? Uh, you know, Vince probably would be thinking about it if the right person pitched it to him and he was in the right mood at the moment. But, you know, it just to me, something like that could always still work. And they when that show was good, it was great because of that. And, yeah, you had to be a hardcore wrestling fan because sometimes, you know, some of the matches were less than stellar but, but you but know for the it, most part it is was it, the, it was but, the it was the one weekly wwf show that had a decent number of competitive matches though yes and as the thing evolved too obviously you know the, the again the matches did end up getting better as well too yes yeah uh, um this also is this is the earliest i remember watching primetime because given my age and the hour it's on I generally, you know, would only get to see the first half hour hour of the show before I was forced to go to bed. But I remember watching this episode and then watching the Halloween episode a few months later with Piper as Heenan. Like, this was a big deal. And also to show just how big a deal that rating is, I think you'll be able to guess from how I'm asking it. What do you guys think is the next Wrestling Cables broadcast to, to average a 4.0 rating across the whole show? Ooh... Oh. Where are we going deep into the future? Can can, can you give away that hint? Now. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's see. Ninety. Hmm. I don't know. Flair Pillman, of course. Oh, okay. That did a four point oh, but with more homes, and uh, the main event, Flair Pillman. Drew a 4.6 rating and an 8.4 share in 2.47 million homes. Mm. Pretty so, good. And, <laughs> so, yeah, when we talk about that match and the legendary ratings, that show did like, a, I believe, so if you're doing at least one and a half viewers per home, that show did close to 4 million viewers, if not more. Or that match did, at least. Um, and then the next day main event with Flair and Arn versus Rock and Rolls does a 4.4 rating, the highest for any TBS wrestling show since December 1985. Yeah. And Good lord. The main event actually had less homes, though, than the day before. It was 2.3 million homes. But still, that's the kind of numbers we're seeing for this prime time. I mean, that's really impressive. Yeah. So, it's tremendous that they're from everybody involved. All right, WS got a cross promotion with Mineral Light and some guys to be involved in the stop or two of the Who Summer Tour when WF and the Who are in town together. The Who's the Tommy Tour, another big uh, nostalgia rock tour in 1989 that did big business. I'm curious if there are ads about any crossover or anything. Well, I don't remember anything, but uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing there. The because it's funny because Rolling Stones was sponsored by Budweiser. Yeah. So we got sure the, were. So we got the uh, competing beer companies, support, you know, on the uh, competing rock tours. That's great. God, I miss 1989. I want to go back. <laughs> and those commercials, too, you know, and, and for Chris and a lot of people that were sports fans, those commercials are 
you know, that just completely tied into your mind. I remember, you know, going to pick up, you know, <laughs> in the liquor stores and in places where they had the little pocket schedule guide, the Miller Lite oh, schedule God. guide. I still got them to this day. I Man, I would pop for them when I got into the liquor business. I always made sure when that stuff was around, always had it. But those commercials that, you know, Run DMC and L.C. Greenwood and Ben Davidson and all the great names and all the names and all the people that can't do these anymore because they outlawed it for old athletes to be doing this stuff. But, you know, those commercials with Vince and Jesse the Body, who was at, you know, his peak. We talked about him doing the announcing for the you know, the, the Buccaneers, but, you know, he's famous because of being in movies. He's famous for being Jesse the Body and him taking on uh, Bob Euchre and having, you know, random people like Mickey Spillane and Sonny Bono and all that sort of stuff who, you know, revealed himself to be Vince, you know, as Vince tore off his own head and it's Sonny Bono and all that stuff. It was just, it was so, those commercials were awesome and just a, I know they can't do them anymore and I know why they outlawed them, but man, as a sports fan, Burt Jones, all those, all those old old style Miller Lite commercials, I absolutely love. Yeah, right now I'm in nineteen, I'm in nineteen eighty five NFL in my new watching, and um, this is the era where they're doing all the the Miller Lite commercials is at the Miller Lite Open where they're on the golf course. Yes, and, and of course Rodney comes pulling in, Ronnie Dangerfield comes pulling in in his golf cart, doing kind of like a, a playoff of the Al Servic character, uh, just amazing stuff, but. You mentioned Vincent Man on a Miller Lite commercial. We have the clip. Oh boy. So Vince isn't, Vince isn't alone here. So Bix, go ahead and play this, and you'll never guess who's joining Vincent Man on commentary for this. Vince McMahon and John Madden here for Lana Mania. Here we go. John Madden. Come on. Move on. And the 10th, Jesse, the 40, Ventura. Okay, boys. Know the rules. No noogies. Any of this? Oh, no. Lady Mania, brought to you by American favorite light beer, Miller Lite. Who's going to win? The Masked Marauder? Less Philly. Or Jesse? He's great. It was Bob Euchre who was uh, less filling. Yeah. Like three or four of those, right? All together in those commercials where it was it was to be revealed. And I guess the only other wrestling personality that was in there that I could see was superstar Billy Graham. Well, oh, the I had the Fink, which, by the way, the Fink makes everything better, doesn't he? Oh, my God, he was good. Yeah. So. Okay, I found more details about this Who thing to some degree. Hmm. Um, So in Dallas... On what day was it? So on September 3rd, there's the Miller-sponsored, like, biggest party in history deal where they were doing things in Dallas and other places, and there's some Randy Quaid hookup because he's in Miller Light ads at the time. And they're doing this festival at the convention center and then with a Who concert at the Cotton Bowl all in conjunction together and the festival at the convention center, which I believe is what's now the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center, includes a WWF card, as well as performances from, I'm not going to mention everyone, but such luminaries as the Fabulous Thunderbirds, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Natalie Cole, Joe, is it Ellie or Eli? Ely. Ely, thank you. Uh, cool in the Gang, and more. And, uh... Yeah. What a group of talent. Yes, and then 
of course, the wrestling show includes Ultimate Warrior versus Andre the Giant, and there's a $5 admission charge. So at least you're not paying that much for your 30-second main event. Thank God Fritz let that go ahead. <laughs> All right, we have two two more videos of this series that Sim's talking about. All right, oh. so first, first off, uh, let's go to a piece here of the pre-show of this uh this event <laughs> with Mean Gene is, is on location. This is the so one you just sent me? Yeah, the first video. Hold on. Oh, wait. There's two, the two you just sent me, it's the first. The one that says light beer at the beginning. Yeah, go to that one first. And then okay. the second one is a different one. Okay. Now let's go to the next video, which is the third video, I guess, of the series. By the way, I love that we have what appears to be Rob Russin playing Jimmy Hart here for some reason. (laughs) I think there's a stand-in for Bobby Heenan, too. That's what that one guy looks like. But he looks like Rob Russin. Yeah. I wonder if this was shot. Well, especially, I mean, it's where is Miller based out of? At the time? Milwaukee. Yeah. And you have uh, Gene and Jesse here. Hmm. The rider drinks Miller Lite because it's less filling, but I drink it because it tastes great, and tastes great is going to win. But you got to help me unmask him, Don Pardo, the Cruz. Well, Jesse, he's known for getting great seats for his golf swing (laughs) and for drinking America's favorite light beer, Miller Lite. Unmask him and win $10,000 instantly. Watch for details. Back to you, Jesse. Who is this guy? (laughs) I find the commercial where they they finally uh, unmask. Blow it off. (laughs) Where they blow it off. I don't see it, though. I, it's, I, let's see. It's not on YouTube. I just Damn. did. I, I've been looking and I just can't, I, I can't find the, the, the payoff, but that was a thing. That's a big thing, man. I mean, Miller Lite ads were huge in this. Area. Hell yeah, absolutely. And, and have WF guys in there. I mean, that, that's, that's a big deal. Also, yeah, I don't know. We forgot that Jesse fans. had already done other Miller ads too. Yeah, he had. Yeah. Good. Yes, uh, no, I don't know if, it, if for non-sports fans, if it carries the same weight, but like, I mean, those, those it's like the Budweiser horses and, you know, the natural light uh, during ACC games. It's just like they, you see them so much that I don't know, again, if they mass broadcast in the same way in other, you know, during other programming. But my God, you, you saw them all the they time were, and it was a big the, deal. They were the Nike commercials before Nike commercials. In a way, you know, with the athletes and stuff. 
they were what you know had the Nike commercials, especially in the '90s and stuff like that. You know, would go. I mean, Miller Lite was the trendsetter in that, and they were doing the '70s. It started in the '70s, mid '70s, and so they had a hell of a run. But anyway, all right. Steve Blackman's coming in. Well, he gets malaria. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So I think I found it. By the way. Oh. You think? It- Hold on. Let me uh, let me send you the link because he's going after the mask here. Uh, I don't okay. Know do this. <laughs> if I do it, I'll this DM you. Just paste in the Skype chat or whatever. But anyway, uh, I right. work. So WF cards in the fall will be cut to seven or eight oh, matches. There we go. Supposedly longer length matches. So cut back on the house shows. On the stuff going on there. All right. So Bix has got the video. So he's about to uh, plug and play here. So let's go to this. All right. Oh, yeah. It's just this one's just called Light Beer Commercials Early. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have found it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, wait, so, Mike, did you find it using Google or on you or using the YouTube search? Google. See, that? that's why you got to do both, Chris. That's why I do Google first sometimes. Well, I didn't do this particular search to, like oh, okay. this. So I had Miller in the wording. This doesn't have Miller. The Masked Marauder drinks Miller like because it's less I Miller. I saw this. Me, I drink it. So wait, I'm skipping ahead where? 28 seconds in. That's not one we saw already? No. Okay. I I know. I'm blown up. Oh, it's on TBS, too. Of course. Naturally. Oh, because they got Miller Knight sponsored. Introducing the challenger, the Masked Marauder! And the champ, Jesse the Body Ventura! Okay, boys. No, we did see this one. We saw this one. All yeah, right. So I guess I'm going right. to him better. Right here. Yeah. yeah, so it's Miller Light Beer Fright Night Theater. So, yes. <laughs> they have a movie night sponsored by the beer company that went to the WWF. God, they're so good at this time, aren't they? Just completely lighten them up during everything they try to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if that's why they aired the wrong tape this week. <laughs> Who knows? Hold it. Thank you. Jesse's going for the mask. Jesse's going for the mask. You're a mask trick. You're still using it. Who is this guy? Oh, look out. This is it, John. Quiet. It's Euchre. Gee, what a surprise. Hi, Dad. Wait. It's not over yet. Jesse is really L.C. Greenwood. What a makeup guy. It's L.C. Greenwood. Not Vince McMahon. Oh, here's Sonny Bono. Hi, everybody. Sonny <laughs> Kate's Brave has won, which proves Miller Lite is America's favorite light beer. Because when it's Miller Lite, less filling really tastes hey, great. I fooled everyone. <laughs> Who is this guy? Now listen, I got a story for <laughs> Who the fuck is Sonny Bono? <laughs> Amazing. That's all you can say about that. Uh, someone uh, needs to put these all in order correctly, then. And with a better video quality. Well, All right. August 18th in Wheeling, West Virginia, a drill style of 7,800 as the Widowmaker, Barry Windham, beat Paul Roma. Greg Valentine went to a draw with Bret Hart in 1830 of a 20 minute time limit. Baku pinned Hercules. Macho over Hogan by Cat Out, best match on the card. 
Dino Bravo over Jim Neidhart, Duggan over Akeem, and Rockers over the Rougeaus. I'm Go the only up. one who liked that Widowmaker nickname, aren't I? <laughs> hey, I like the nickname. Well, it's cool. fine as a nickname if he's the Widowmaker Barry Windham. If he's just the Widowmaker, it's not as good. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's yeah, that's true. Spectrum and Philly on the 19th drew 12,145, paying 14936 as Hogan Pin Savage. Hearts over Dino Bravo and Gray Valentine. A, oh, yeah, new Dream Team reunion. Rockers over the Rougeos in a marathon match. Duggan over Akeem. Widowmaker over Roma. And Hercules went to double DQ with Haku. So there you go. It's one of the marathon matches, Bix, at the Spectrum. Right, of course, they take place after the Spectrum shows are airing on television. In a few months, yes. Naturally. And Lincoln. here's the thing, though. Not the first... Uh, Iron Man match in WWE history. Do you know what feud actually did it first? Either of you. Hearts and Bulldogs? No. Mike? Mm, God. Um, did Backlund do it with somebody? No. Backlund Valentine? And this is an obscure one because I've ne- I don't think I've ever found results or clippings for it. I only know for sure it existed because years ago there was this one dude who was like early in the like people of the newer generation of tape traders trying to collect full WWF TV. And he had a superstars from 87 that included local promos. I don't remember for what market for the strike for strike force versus the Islanders in a 60 minute marathon match. Ooh, I know. <laughs> Ooh. I, yeah, that, that's something that would make me very happy if that could be, <laughs> Unearthed or revealed, I'll take that one. No problem. Right. That I of the two, I'd be more curious to see that because even though I'm sure it's good, we kind of have an idea what the Rockers Rougeau ones look like because the shtick they did at London Arena and stuff was how they filled like the first half of the match. Well, and Martel and Tito were familiar with each other for a long time, and Martel and Haku had crossed enough, you know, and so I mean, yeah, I would that. Well, that combination plus that was a big anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I was an Islanders fan as it was too. So it's like every, yeah, everything about that. I, I'm, I'm all over. Oh yeah, man. That sounds great. And also, of course, I mean, not that this is a full spectrum still almost $141,000 gate here. Yeah. Well, they're doing great. It's a Hogan Savage. And that's, yeah. I yeah. was looking at a lot of Hogan Savage like results and attendance and gates and stuff recently. I didn't go through everything, but that program might be the closest in wrestling history to there was a sellout every night not being much of an exaggeration. Oh yeah, it was hot. Red hot. And I mean every iteration of it too. 85-86. The one-offs in 87. Here in, you know, 89-90. Well, yeah. is that officially second to Hogan Orndorff for him at that time? Hogan and Savage? Well, it's weird because Hogan Kamala outdrew Hogan Orndorff in some markets. So there's that too. But I, I, someone needs to actually do a comparison to see based on what we actually have, how those three feuds compared against each other. Lincoln, Nebraska on the August 20th through 3712 as Tim Horner and Barry Horowitz. Mr. Perfect and Hillbilly Jim, Warrior of Andre in 28 seconds, Demolition over Tully and Arm by DQ, Martel went to a draw with Tito in 18 minutes, and Root over Beefcake, and then Binghamton on August 21st drew 5,400 as Winnemaker Pin Roma, three and a quarter stars. 
Barcelona over Valentino Dino by DQ, star and a half. Haku Hercules, Haku over Hercules, stud. Hogan over Savage, three stars. Duggan over Akeem, sev- negative several stars. And Rockers over Rougeau, star and three quarter. Wow. Well, so they, you know, I'm, I guarantee you that is them doing their shtick match and someone being like, they didn't lock up until 15 minutes. There was no wrestling. Possibly. And I'm just saying, I'm, I'm not sending Under the Giant to Lincoln, Nebraska. All right, uh, just to <laughs> just to circle back, I, I, I ain't doing that one. Of course, I ain't sending Blanchard Anderson there either. But well, Cedar Rapids was the next night, and that's where everything went down. So yeah. there you go. And okay, so since Hillbilly Jim is clearly being phased out of the ring at this point, this is after the Select Markets Andre feud, or was that later in the year? Mm, I can't remember time I was. Yeah, because. That that's definitely in '89, though, where they do the thing where they did the angle that they only aired in some markets, where he runs off Andre making a save using his horseshoe. I know they did yeah. it in New York, but I'm not sure exactly everywhere they did it. Yeah. Was that did they air that on Spotlight? So because uh, I think they may have aired that in Baltimore. That in Baltimore probably I'm sure they probably did just because well, of the nature of the Baltimore too. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, okay, so the angle was shot at the June seventh TVs. So you would think the program was going on still at this point. So that's actually interesting that Perfect's beat it. Well, it's in a market where Andre is not working with him. So whatever. The two fans who are kicked out of the arena in Oakland Coliseum Arena, WF taping on August eighth for holding the NWA banner are contemplating soon in WF and the cause for being kicked out without unruly behavior and what they were kicked out for apparently constitutes some sort of a violation of freedom of expression. Oh, I didn't know that the uh, Zajek twins or whatever their names were traveled to California. Well, we just mentioned Lincoln, Nebraska, too. So well, there I was you about go. to say that, that it's like, oh, we're so close, but freedom of expression, that's... Are they hypocrites about it? Yes. Is it violating any law? No. It's silly, but that's what they did. And they did, I mean, they were doing it for years and still doing it today. Well, and also, I believe this might be the first time where they're getting really strict about it, is this incident. Yeah. About well, the signs and the shirts and all the uh, TV tapings. It's in a, it sounds kind of uh, like what's happened with them reacting towards the AEW stuff. You know? So, yeah. 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 Those NWA We Russell signs. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just a new competition, you know, and everything. So there you go. And to close, speaking of, the Village Voice in the Jock Beat section ran a short on why Vince Man wound up doing the Entertainment Tonight segment, even though he would have to acknowledge that there was opposition to form of the NWA on the segment. Now I just want there to be Jacques Rougeau, just an extra way for a guy who just naturally gets heat to have even more heat by having a segment called the Jacques Beat. <laughs> <laughs> just being completely just extra Jacques. Just <laughs> you know what this tells me, by the way? And I'm curious when he started manifesting it in his head. At this point, Vince has not manufactured mentally the I am fighting Ted Turner thing yet. Because if he had, he's probably a lot more fine with the NWA being mentioned in the segment. Yeah. Right? So the, 
the earliest, but this is in public at the time, but the earliest I can think of it being a thing that we know about is when he's talking with Meltzer during the scandals in early 92 and makes Dave promise him that when it comes out that Ted Turner is paying all these people to lie and say mean things about him, that Dave will be brave enough to report it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe also it was just a deal he had to acquiesce because it was the, the the Entertainment Tonight, and what else could they do, you know? So mm-hmm. it's better just to ignore it and do that as opposed to, you know, what are you going to do? Create a stink and then have that reported on a show that was still, you know, I would assume still unique at the time, still coming on at what seven seven thirty after national news in some places. So I, you know, I I, I don't know. I could actually see it where. What else are you going to do besides shrug your shoulders and move on because you can't control them in the exact way that you do you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous or some other stories on, that you can do on your own terms? Yeah. Oh, that segment appears to be on YouTube, at least part of it, but it looks like it might also be someone shooting their TV with a camera phone. <laughs> let, let me take a look real quick because I'm curious if there's anything of note here. Yeah, this is terrible. We can't play this. I hate that. I hate when people do it on YouTube. Okay, everyone that does... Okay, in fairness, this one's from 2007, the upload. Yeah, that's a little different, but still. Uh, Oh, God. No, the worst is... And that account might be gone now. The dude in Montreal with all the Montreal-exclusive WWF stuff, where his entire channel is holding up the camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just find someone to convert this stuff to DVD for you, please. Really? There are people that'll do it for free if you just, like, let them have a copy of it, for heaven's sakes. It just, uh, you know, the, the, hey, look, watermarks bother me, but I get it. I actually understand that, but as somebody who just wants, like, pure old without, you know, <laughs> anything taking it up, but I do get that. But still, just, if you're gonna do it, put put at least that effort into it. If you're gonna stand there and actually record it, you record your screen, for Christ's sakes, if you're putting forth that effort, get a just, tripod. Convert the damn pod. thing. Well, at least get a tripod or something too. No, don't even do that because that that <laughs> no, quality right. just ah. Uh, no, the worst. Right. Um, and from part two, I know we can't really hear it. I didn't mean to. No, I was curious no, no, to see no, no, it. No, no, no. I was curious just to see it because the thumbnail for no, that part no, had Ted. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's just uh, a very generic segment. It looks like so. Oh, hey, it's one at uh, the WWF headquarters. All right, let's go international now. And this is a short section. In fact, it's so short that I actually put all Japan house shows into the uh, re- into the results here to so have something to talk about. But uh, all Japan, they started their latest tour on August 19th at Cork and Hall. We have Missile Momoto over Shioshi Kikuchi, the Jive Tones, Pez Watley and Tyra Conway Jr. defeated Akira Tawe and Asamu Terenishi. John Tenta defeated Gorish Rumi. Kiyosato, Giant Baba, and Rush Kimura defeated Haruka Egan, Masafuchi, and Matoshi Okuma. Shunji Takano defeated Shane Douglas. All Asia tag titles. The Can-Ams, Crawford and Furnace retained over Footloose for Yukin Kawada. Hell of a match. Abdullah Bush over Johnny Ace. Kabuki and Yoshiki Yatsu over Terry Gordy and Todd Champion. And Jumbo Shrewd and Kenakabashi defeated Tenyokurichiro and Yoshinari Ogawa in the main event. So your foreigners here... At least your your non full time foreigners appear to be being booked by WCW and Nelson Royal. 
Well, Todd Champion is a substitute for Danny Spivey, which we told that story on a, uh, the, a previous episode of Between the Sheets that Spivey uh, kind of ditched him, and Baba was pissed, said he was never going to book Spivey again. And so he then, brought him uh, back with an change. even bigger push? Yes. Okay. Changed his tune on that one. Um. So Champion, but Champion would be, Champion's not affiliated with WCW at the time, is he? No. That's what I so that's what I was saying. So you're kind of full time foreigners or Gordy, Tent, uh, Canams, and the rest are either WCW guys or former Crockett guys that live in the Carolinas or nearby. Mm, pretty much. Who now I guess... think would be booked by Nelson Royal because didn't we talk about that recently that we thought he might have been booking some people in Tall Japan? Well, he toured with All Japan himself. So when was his last tour? 87. Okay. Well, so, yeah. were the were the Deatons through him? Well, Joel Joel goes over the, for the for the first time after uh he gets fired from Crockett for the uh, car accident. And um prob- it's possible, yeah. It's possible. Well, Todd, you know, Todd Champion, you know, see, I, man, I'm not sure. Was he was he was he just in ACW at this point, or was he back in WCW? No, he was just in. The, he was working indie shows. He yeah. didn't. Yeah, he didn't return to any type of major wrestling scene until the Patriots gimmick in '91. '91. So yeah. So he yeah. Faded point, away. Yeah, because he was bumping around, did the the ACW tapings, and then yeah, he just would have floated around there. So yeah, I, you know his plug to get into that spot. Yeah, it's interesting to to see you know exactly who that would have been if it was Nelson Royal or not. Yeah. Yes, and All also, right. I mean, we'll have a match where they team up here in a second too. But I don't think people realize generally that Johnny Ace got into All Japan via the Dynamic Dudes being booked there. No, no, he was there before. He was? When was his first tour mm-hmm. then? His first tour was, was with teaming with his brother. Yeah, that's the Road Warriors. Oh, with Mark, you mean. The Road Warriors. That's why he had the Abdullah singles match here. He teamed up with Terminator. That was his first tour. And when I think that, that? 88. Okay, now I'm curious. I think it's a real. I think they were in a tag league. Um, I think the one he's in with Terminator is later. Boy, does it, well, he does that too okay i'm looking you were right uh no tom zank well yeah that's for summer action series and then tag league was with spivey i totally forgot about that yeah oh geez okay but still he toured as a dynamic dude where they're in their dynamic dudes gear (laughs) and they're teaming on this show august 20th at the abena store ice rink John Tenta over Todd Champion in your opening match. Can-Ams over Kenakabashi and Shioshikuchi. Akio Sato, Giant Baba, and Rush Kimura over Abdullah Butcher in the Jive Tones. Shuji Takana and Yoshikiyasu over the Dynamic Dudes. Terry Gordy over Kiratawe. And Revolution, Tenru Gurichiro, Samson Fuyuki, and Toshak Kawada defeated Jumbo Shiruta, Masafuchi, and the Great Kabuki. And then August 21st in Nigata, at Nigata City Gym. Summitary Nishi over Shioshikuchi. Akira Tawai went to a timeline draw with Sansa Fuyuki. Giant Baba, Mitsuo Moto, Rush Kimura over Haruka Ega, Masafuchi, Matoshi Okuma. Okuma then won a battle royal. And the Can-Ans defeated Kiyosato and Mighty Inoue. 
Abdullah Najib Tones over John Tenta Kabuki and Yatsu. Jumbo Sharuda and Kenta Kabashi over the Dynamic Dudes. And Tenru Kawada over Terry Gordy and Todd Champion. I am loving the six man of Abdullah the Butcher and the Jive Tones. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and that's what Abdullah did. I mean, he would bring in various um, black wrestlers or dark skinned wrestlers, and they, they would be his guys, you know, his flunkies. Whether it was uh, SD Jones in New Japan, Bad News, um, All Japan, he brought in Savio Vegas, TNT. Um, he had various other, you know, wrestlers uh, that would be aligned with him. That's just what he did. And this is the giant where the giant stone, giant stones fit in here in that, in that position. And they, and they were fun. I mean, this stuff, some of this stuff was televised and, uh, yeah, they, they were something else. Hey, the yeah. last, last gasp for Tiger Conway, who, you know, blackballed blacklisted whatever we don't need him you know we got a quota here whatever it is you know Tiger Conway wait he was June uh whatever well no I mean if you look at it whatever the reasoning was that he really was not used outside of Houston I mean yes he went to different places but never really you know he gets forgotten about you know and really oh I thought you meant jive tones okay no it's you know the, the jive tones it's like you know that that's his last little gasp, and as as ridiculous as it is, you know, for what he's doing at the time, it's some of the only FaceTime you know a lot of people even know him for, unless they watched you know Houston, you know, when Bruce Starp had that, and or however it works now with the NWA and that footage, and you know, other than a little bit of stuff from Mid Atlantic, you know, it's not a whole lot of appreciation for that guy. He uh, he had a run in Southwest. He worked San Antonio off and yeah. on. And that's yeah, at least that little of that footage is out there. At least he had Florida in '85. But the main places he was a star were Texas and Detroit. Yeah, well, Mid Atlantic. I mean, him as a world tag champion with Steve Kern. That's right. Yeah, he so, did have yeah, he did have moments with. And again, it's the unfortunate part of that is it just comes before the videotape. Exactly. Also, uh, I just pulled up his cage match. I mean, maybe there's some indie stuff after this, but. At least what we have documented, these are his last matches this tour. Summer Action Series. Two. He worked he were for Putsky. He worked for Putsky's group. Down the Texas. one that did the TV tapings? WWA, yeah. We talked okay. about on the show. He, he was working in 90 for Putsky. But probably not much longer after that. No. No, not at all. But, um, yeah, 89 All Japan, you get all kinds of foreigners in and out of that, that promotion at the time. They were bringing in all kinds of people. And, um, yeah, really fun stuff. And you're, you're seeing Kabashi move up to cards. He's starting to, you know, get some juice going. And uh, Taui as well. So, fun time in all Japan. Yes. As things are starting to shift a little bit. And for people who haven't seen Kabashi stuff from this period, you know, the 89, early 90 stuff, it's worth checking out because there are some standout matches and for some reason his wrestling style is completely different like he's mainly like a technician joe malenko uh protege is kind of how he's positioned because they're a tag team at times and that's kind of his style so like i'm curious for example how this early can-ams versus kabashi and kikuchi might have looked compared to their later matches yeah so interesting times in all Japan, and that's it for Japan. New Japan's not on tour; they're uh, they're on break. So 
Let's go to Europe and out of Vance's CWA. And the only result we have from this show on August 21st at the Who Market in Wien, Austria, was Bull Power, Leon White, winning the CWA World Heavyweight title, beating Otto Vance in the seventh round by TKO. And this is uh, this world title, first big world title here. And, uh, yeah, he would defend this all over the place. Went to Mexico later in the year, defending it in the EMLL, and had it with him when he went to Japan. And well, uh, you're forgetting the big part. This is the beginning of the simultaneous world champion on three continents at the same time run. Yeah, this is, the, this is where the legend yeah. begins here, isn't it? Yeah, this is the first one. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he ends up winning in the next few months the UWA title and the IWGP title. And the whole, he doesn't hold them simultaneously for long. It's only a few weeks. But that's where that famous photo of him with the, with the mask and the three belts comes from. Is from this period. Uh, Which is also, awesome. Yes. Also interesting that we only have the main event results here because you would think for a major show like this, we have results since we usually do for CWA. Well, there's stretches where you don't. Okay. There's stretches where you only have the main event matches. Hmm. It's in different different eras, and but there are stretches like that where there's nothing available but that. So, but yeah, that's a big deal. And uh, he had, of course, been there before, had a history there, and now he's a champion. So there you go. All right, Mexico Arena, Mexico EMLL, August 18th. Only one result here. Irma Aguilar took the hair of Mata Lobos. I'm sure that was a humdinger of a match. <laughs> so there's that. Now we do have Torreon. A show, big show there. Plus de Torres, Valente Ariano. We have uh, Mr. Terror, Playboy, and Sireta Negra against <laughs> Blackmaster, Sario Rojo, and Grand Marquis. Not Marque- Grand Marquis, but Grand Marquis. Or whatever. Or Grand Marquez, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Bagasso and Rudy Gonzalez team with a question mark. They went against uh, Fedayan, Superpunk, and Verdugo. I don't think that's his government name. <laughs> no, it certainly isn't. Condor de Oro, Felino, Antonio Rodriguez went up against Black Charlene and the Ministros de la Muerte. Conan, Rey Mysterio Sr., and Stuka Sr. defeated Anjo Blanco Jr., Blue Panther, and the Red Killer. And then our main event was a Mascara Contra Mascara match as Frey Tormenta defeated Demonio Arieta. No can to Jake Arieta, the recently uh, released uh, pitcher by the Chicago Cubs who just signed with the Padres. But it's funny because he just lost his mask to a Padre. So there you go. Yeah. And, and then UWA, we have... Well, you, uh, skipped, you skipped his real name, that Demonio S. Uh, Carlos Arista. I just said that. No, that's you just why, said Demonio that's why, Arieta. That's why, no, you said he beat Demonio Orietta not to be confused with. You didn't well, get to the real name part. His name's in the ma- in the gimmick. <laughs> but you didn't get but it's in the no okay, forget it. Um now by the way though, so is Black Charlie Charlie oh, Manson? No, hell no. It's nineteen eighty nine. I don't remember so, when he debuted. He's probably a kid. Okay. When Ch- Charlie Manson. Um uh, No, I don't need that Charlie Manson. Uh yeah, he would have been 14. Okay, well, but it's Lucha. <laughs> but it's not But no, it's not him. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, that's have, right. He was Jim Kata originally, but spelled J-I-M. Yeah, he's 14. Yeah. And then UWA, uh, August 20th, El Torreo, 
We have Los Brazos, Oro, Plata, and Brazo over uh, Chaos, R- Rambo, and Zondacan okay. in your main event there. So there you go. Torino There's all your luchas. Looks interesting, though. Um, I, one thing that also sticks out is that in this era, and this is the only time I know of where this was really happening, because I don't think it really kept going with like once this crew kind of filtered out. Northern Mexico, through coast to coast, is basically the same crew working. War, at least as far as the stars, Juarez, Baja California, you know, etc. You know, because you have Conan and Ray Senior, you know, not in Baja California, for example, and they're not national names yet. Yeah, and just have different people coming in and out. But is there any particular reason why it's only like this? Like late '80s, very early '90s period. I guess I have no. Yeah, I wouldn't know. But it's but it's weird, right? Like yeah. normally, your indie guy, you're no, you're not net yet national name indie guys are not doing that kind of traveling. Yeah, who knows? Why? What were you gonna say? No, I just it's I'm just thinking, looking at these notes that like if WCW didn't light its face on fire this week, this would be an unbelievably quiet week by by most standards. Uh, yeah, it would. <laughs> it, well, really, yeah. I mean, you know, WWF's big thing is you know obviously you got the 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 the, the law stuff. But, you know, it's Jim Troy and talking about numbers. And, you know, again, if it wasn't for WCW, I mean, yeah, you'd be talking a little bit more about the angle, I guess. But, uh, you know, still, it's still pretty pedestrian. It is. And we have this as we go to Canada. Stampede Wrestling is in negotiation with ESPN for U.S. coverage. Now, this lights it up a little bit. Especially for people, I guess, who don't know that story. Yeah, it's interesting because at this point in time, it's Stampede. <laughs> because they're almost I mean, dead. <laughs> yes in fact i mean there's no results of the card that of the 18th in calgary no full results other than what i'm about to read off here so we'll talk we'll talk about the card in a second but what this was is dave in the in the next week's observer mentioned that supposedly the Stampede deal was only for them to air on ESPN in Minnesota. How is that even possible? I have no idea how that would be possible. Because <laughs> ESPN doesn't do, you know, localized time buys. So th- that that one was very weird when he just said that. That they're going to be on ESPN only in Minnesota. Are we to assume that whoever told him this got ESPN confused with whatever the regional sports network covering Minnesota was at the time? I mean, it's possible. Depends on who says it. And Bruce or somebody like that. No, no, this is what we got. I swear it's true. I'm trying to think what that would have been. uh, Which sports network that would have been back in the day. Like some prime Minnesota, yeah. It's uh, it had to be something sports channel. Let me see. We had the North Stars cable. Well, so here's so I mean, in the meantime, as you're looking that up, what? Uh, okay, so what do we know in this era about Stampede airing elsewhere? Obviously, they were on in the UK on Screen Sport. They had the Screen Sport ring apron. Um, you know, they had. And I don't know if they had all the weird international syndication deals in this era, but. I've read over the years. I don't. I don't. 
I don't have ever any memory of watching U68 here in New York, or U67, whichever it was, but my understanding was Stampede aired on there, too. Although I'm not, at least on newspapers.com, but again, it could just be listed as wrestling. I don't see any results for Stampede Wrestling in the United MSC, States. MSC, Mike, Midwest Sports Channel. Okay, yeah, because all I saw was uh, Sports Channel America having the NHL at that time. So, okay, that, all right, there you go. Hmm. All right. But yeah, I, I guess it aired there. It, it, so if it aired there, that you would... I gotta think it was airing a bunch of places we just don't know about, but we also need to remember at least the earlier iteration of Stampede, there were a bunch of places where it was just bootlegged in syndication internationally, too. Yeah, I mean, it's just a weird story how it only being in Minnesota. <laughs> but who knows? You know how stuff gets reported back then, sometimes. All right, August 18th in Calgary, saw Owen Hart get injured so he can tour Japan. Mm. Owen pinned Johnny Smith in the main event when Larry Cameron ran in and gave Owen a pile driver on a table, which set two up for a few when Owen gets back from Japan. Also on the car, the Samurai Warriors, Sumohara, that's uh, Tessimi Kitahara, and Kensuke Sasaki, who Dave has been told it was a pretty good tag team, catching international tag titles from Bulldog Bob and Carrie Brown. Mm. Oh, Bulldog Bob Brown. Oh, lordy. And also, uh, what Dave did not realize here is that Kensuke also had a Stampede-specific name. He was Benke Sasaki. Benke Sasaki. Yes. That is correct. Sumo, <laughs> sumo or Sumuhara, they went back and forth with that. And Benke Sasaki, yes. Uh, and, and both are here at this time. On ex- Actually, wait, is Kensuke is with, Kensuke's with New Japan, right? He was By this with, time. Yeah. Yeah, he came back with Choshu. Yes, so you have a rare learning excursion team up of all Japan and New Japan guys, too. Yeah. How often did that They better have paid attention to Lethal Larry. Was that about Lethal Larry? Go ahead. I said they better have paid attention to Lethal Larry and some of the workout tips. He, yes, you know, God knows I talk about Lethal Larry Cameron a lot with Rob Naylor. I mean, that's a guy right there who, good Lord. What an amazing-looking character he was. It just sucked. He was uh, 40 years old. You know, the guy could have... If he would have been 10 years younger, I mean, he could have been a big deal in WCW or somewhere like that, you know, because he had the look. But uh, this was too old. We got into it late in the game. You know, back then, it's so different than it is now. You see a guy like Batista, you know who becomes a major star, you know, around the same age as Larry Cameron was here. But, uh, yeah, it just was against him in this era. But, yeah, man. Who knows Who knows if it would have flashed out, but he was such, you know, in Windy City and in the AWA and in Stampede, he was such, he was so much bigger than everybody else who was there. I mean, personality-wise and everything else, he was like, you know, he, he obviously stood out. And, yeah, who knows if he would have continued to do that throughout his career, but... He would have been able to start pretty hot wherever he would have went. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So I am curious, yeah. though. Can you guys think of any other times where two Japanese wrestlers were on excursion from separate promotions and teamed up as a regular team, as a gimmick team? That's interesting. I wonder, you know, in California in the 70s or in Stampede, because we're in Amarillo. I mean, I'm trying to think even with the Funk's connection well, there. Well, no, Amarillo, I think, was exclusively all Japan. All, all all Japan there. I mean, 
God, who else would have gotten them? I mean, you know, somebody in California and in and in Calgary, and I guess maybe in Kansas City. That you know, that, I guess that would be the other place probably to look first. You know, of, of who might actually have a, a hodgepodge together. Well, I mean, you had Hase and Yamada. They weren't teaming together, but they were working together in Stampede. But Hase was at, with New Japan by that point, wasn't he? Not at the beginning. <laughs> not at the beginning, he wasn't. Not when Yamada first goes in. That's right, because it's him and Nakura coming through all Japan or Japan Pro, right? Yeah. And Choshu, mm. and Choshu does the jump. They weren't a you regular know, after, team, though, Hase and Yamada. No, but they were, no, they weren't a regular team, but they were there together, working together. I mean, yeah. I mean, but Joshi jumped when, when Hase was in Calgary. Um, Sasaki, um, well, I mean, Hara teamed up with um, somebody else, too. That was um, not an All Japan guy. Oh, shit. In Calgary? <sighs> hmm. I'm trying to remember who he, I mean, he had another partner. Because the other thing, too, point. is Hara was there, for, I mean, well, Kitahara was there for quite a while because he'd already been in Stampede for months and months before Kensuke showed up. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it didn't happen often, but it would happen. Um, trying to think of anybody else. Um, I guess you might have some yes. guesses. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Mr. Uh, when Saito team with Kabuki in Florida... That's not a, that wasn't on excursion. Oh, when they were on excursion? Well, I mean, that was in the 70s. Sa- uh, Saito was not an All Japan guy. You mean it's Saito was... and Takachiho, technically? Well, he was Mr. Sato. Oh, okay. Wait, so they were Mr. Saito and Mr. Sato? Yeah. Go, oh, great. Okay. Uh, he t- yeah, Saito was IWE. And, um, of course, Sato um, Kabuki was All Japan. So I mean, it happened, and they were managed by a new and they were managed by a new Japan guy, Tucker Tori. So there you go. That's, that's really that's, that's <laughs> and, the you'd, al- and you'd also have a, a younger guy team up with a U.S. based Japanese wrestler who was affiliated with a different promotion. That you'd have a little bit more often, but for the most part, if there was a team of guys on excursion, it was usually from the same promotion. Yeah, and in this exactly. case, at least it's two guys who already knew each other. Hmm. I'm trying to think of anybody else on top of my head. I can't think of anybody else. Oh, sure. Mm. I don't think anyone was a regular tag team in that weird Florida run in the mid-90s, right? Where you had FMW and New Japan guys, was there? No. Mm. I don't think so. Yeah, they were, I mean, they were there, but I don't think they were teams. Like, I don't think there was a Kanemoto Hayabusa tag team or anything. No. Well, on that note, it's halftime. So after uh, some great 1989 commercials, we'll come back. We'll talk about Patreon. We'll talk about IWTV, hit the plugs. And then we'll come back as we'll go to the uh, indie scene in the United States where we have uh, all kinds of stuff going on, including you, the Uncle Sammy, Sir Samuel F. Kent, Continental News, Tom Pritchard, uh, being injured and running P. Gossett promoting for the week in Memphis. All that more after the break. I'm saying something. More? British Knights. British Knights. Dinosaur. Dinosaur. 
chocolate center. I'm a southern roasted peanut, roasted to a golden tan, and drenched in milk chocolate. Then, then we're, we're both, both covered with thin candy shells, so there's no chocolate mess. Play it again, peanut. All right. I can't believe how square you used to be. Me? Oh, Good chocolate! smile on faces big and small. The milk chocolate melts in your mouth, not in your hand. M&M's can so have a handful of smiles. Yo, Fab Five Freddy with Billy D. Williams. Yeah. Nothing to fly us acting the business, but Billy, what do you do to massively love? Well, Freddy, I usually like to spend a quiet evening at home with a few friends and Colt 45. Yeah, I can dig that. that, that. Oh, Billy! <laughs> Action Park has 75 of the wildest, wettest rides anywhere, like Roaring Springs, the Grand Prix, the world's largest water park, and now bungee jumping. Action Park has excitement for the whole family, just minutes away in nearby Vernon, New Jersey. Action Park's so cool, it's hot, 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 hot. Ray Charles, Little Richard, and Ricky Ricardo, all on one show. There's a conspiracy, a C-O-N. Conspiracy. Don't miss In Living Color. Then hang out with Chris and Larry. Are we moving through the loop a lot slower this time? Get a life. Ah! And the Bundys are heading way out west. The rubes think I'm sexy. Yeah, I would too, Peg, if I drank whiskey for breakfast. Tonight, beginning at 8 on Fox 5. Milk is sure helping me get stronger. Back when I started high school, guys pushed me around. Just because I was smaller. But I was working out, drinking milk, developing my muscles. By senior year, milk had made a difference. Pardon me, guys. I love this part. Pardon me, guys. So as you can see, it pays to be big on milk. Milk. It does a body good. Hey, dude, for the yearbook picture Friday, how about these? <laughs> yeah, yeah, how about these? <laughs> Couple of beauties. Immortalized in the yearbook. You've got time. Time to what? Oxycute. Yes, Oxycute pimples with Oxy pads. Watch through the microscope as Oxy's powerful medicine breaks up zit breeding oil so you can wipe it out of existence with your Oxy pad. Oxycute him. I wanted to stop drinking and drugging, but just didn't know how. I'd lost all control. I needed help, but was too proud to ask. With proper treatment, I was able to receive the help I so desperately needed. My life has changed. I have a desire for living clean and sober today. You don't have to lose everything. Please call now. Call 1-800-442-7623. 1-800-442-7623. In 1985, Glen Arden, Maryland had one of the highest crime rates in the nation. Most crimes occurred after 10 p.m. by kids under the age of 21. That's when Van Standifer decided to fight back. He started a midnight basketball league. It reduced crime by 60%, gave kids something better to do with their time and new meaning to Van Standifer's. To learn what you can do in your community, call the Points of Light Foundation. 
Do something good. Feel something real. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed all those great 1989 commercials. As we pivot to the halftime segment, we did do 1889, right? <laughs> I don't remember. Yes, yes. WCW, everybody. Wrong tape. Well, we recorded oh, yeah. earlier than usual. It's understandable. <clears throat> yeah, we, we, yeah, so. We, I mean, this is, uh, we recorded this a week after we started recording the, fir- the first part of the yeah, show. Literally, yes. <laughs> so, anyway. All right, so we hope you enjoyed all those great 1989 commercials. That we've had, at least I had a guess right as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. And we'll talk about Patreon, patreon.com slash twin sheets. And this is the most current thing we've recorded as uh, we grinded it out over uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of last week as we did the episode talking about Superstar Billy Graham versus the World Wrestling Federation. And what an episode that was in many ways. Oh, the, uh, boy, yes. You heard some things so, you had never heard before on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, between the, the audio stuff from the uh, from John Arezzi's show, the Donahue clips, the other assorted clips we played, I mean, that's w- some wild shit. And uh, it's, 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 it's great alone just for that. But then you have all the other stuff that Graham did, whether it was being interviewed by Dave, and so the other stuff he did, just telling his story of uh, the stuff that he was involved with, uh, you know, regarding steroids, Dr. George Zaharian, um, his take on the child uh, sex abuse deal, what what was true, what wasn't true. Uh, just a, <laughs> a wild show, folks, that uh, you may know some things and you may think you know all the truth the story there but uh you definitely need to listen to this show at patreon.com slash twin sheets because uh there's some stuff in there that you'll learn like i did so that's well worth the five dollars a month in my opinion that's uh for that show and also if you want to hear someone on various talk shows while very obviously high on something this is your show yeah, who knows what, but uh, and that's by his own that, admission, by the way. That's not conjecture on our part. And that was, um, and that was also Hogan on Osiri- on Arsenio. That's another yes, thing. We played. Yeah. We didn't play the whole thing. Obviously, we played the Graham specific part. But yeah, so uh, yeah, just <laughs> a lot of interesting stuff on that show. Vince McMahon reactions alone on the Donahue show. Uh, there's a lot of craziness going on. The authorities. The, the authorities. Yes. But, uh, um, the free preview clip's already up in the regular free feed that the podcast is in. Should be at the end of this episode, too. And because of the timing with all this, we'll, if we have room, also be up at the, at the end of uh, next week's episode. And that does deal with the Arsenio stuff and Fallout, specifically, that preview clip. So check that out if you have not already. Yes, $5 a month allows you access to that, plus every other show that we have done in the near five complete years of our Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Dollar a month gets you uh, access to our Discord, and thanks to this segment, which we're doing in just a minute. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now make sure you pick a show that we haven't done already, and if you did, did do that, make sure you have a backup choice handy, because it could be a show we've done, or a show somebody else has picked. So... You need to be prepared in that case. 
and make sure that you follow the 10-year rule on that, the 30-day rule as far as getting that information to us, the protocol, the Patreon website on how to get that information to us, Wednesday to Tuesday, all that stuff that you probably all know by now. So you do that, and you should have your show taken care of within this year or next year at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Fifty dollars allows you to send in for a segment of that show, and a hundred for the whole show if you choose. And everything else is all on the Patreon website, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And as we announced on the Patreon show, next month, the month of September, we will discuss the twenty-fifth anniversary of the New World Order. As we will discuss the Beginning of the New World Order, just the beginning of the New World Order, as Scott Hall and Kevin Nash made their debuts at WCW, Hulk Hogan turning at Bash at the Beach, um, and all the various other turns and stuff that went along the way. We're going up until Eric Bischoff joined the NWO, and right right as they're trying to re- recruit everybody from WCW, basically, <laughs> when Bagwell and all that stuff happened. So we're, just, we're focusing on the original core group of... Hall, Nash, Hogan, DiBiase, Giant, and Six Pac, and then Bischoff. So we're going to discuss that. So should be quite the show. We'll talk about everything going on there, what could have happened, what did happen, who could have been a member, who what who wasn't a member, all that stuff at patreon.com slash between the sheets next month. All right, Bix, who do I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right, we would like to thank... Ah, might as well just start with him, because he's first chronologically. Alan Cunahan, Alan 4L. Yes, dear friend, Alan Cunahan. Thank you, Alan. I think he specifically tweeted he was going to sign back up for this one. Yes. Definitely thank him. Yes. Um. By the way, because I don't know if we did yet, want to congratulate our friends at Fightful at... Excuse me, for... Now being the, as far as anyone can tell, the biggest wrestling-related Patreon. Well, hey, they uh, they break a lot of news there. They do a lot of audio there, so they have a lot going on there. Yeah. Well worth the money if you're uh, inclined to to get on that. Yes, and let's not forget the who actually was the first to break the CM Punk story. John Ross App at Fightful on Fightful Select. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, anyway. That's right. We would also like to thank the returning Sean, Emily. Thanks, Sean. Uh, okay, I'm making sure I'm pronouncing this name right-ish. Malik Douglas. Thanks, Malik. Okay, this is... Okay, I want to make sure, absolutely sure I pronounce this one right. I believe it's... Harpeet Juddy or Juti. Thanks, Harpeet. Another Pete, Peter Finocciaro. Thanks, Peter. If I was going to say Peter Rose- Rosenberg, that, that would have been a, a big story, Bix, if he was describing our Patreon after this week. He literally just sent me. <laughs> literally, the second you said that, he just sent me a DM. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that ding just now? Yes. I talked him up. <laughs> Uh, should we explain this now or after we're done? 
Yeah, you went after Peter Rosenberg, uh, and let's, uh, let's give the whole story at the at the at the end. Let's do that. I mean, you just. Uh, I mean, you, you can get the story out. It's better for you to do it. It's your, it's your story. No, I mean, at the end of this, let's finish the Patreon thing first, and then when we do the plugs oh. and whatever. All right, well, who's next? All right. Wait, Peter Rose... Oh, never mind. Uh, Joseph Swafford. Thanks, Joseph. Damien A. Thorne. No relation, maybe? I guess? Thanks, Damien. Nick Perkins. Thanks, Nick. Jeff Pop, P-O-P-P. Thanks, Jeff. And some guy. Thanks, some guy. So we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons coming along the way. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. All right, tell you Peter Rosenberg's story. Oh, we're not saving it for the end of the segment? Say it, tell it now. Okay. So... What was it even that he did this time? Oh, he he had this weird tweet about it was before the it was before Rampage aired, right? It was when everyone was talking about punk, I think, but before the thing actually happened, right? Something like that, yeah. So I think this was like Friday late morning, early afternoon. He tweets this. He tweets like this weird, like it was wrong in so many weird and different directions. Like about Pete, about the Roman Reigns thing and about compared punk to him and Rock and Cena and that whole thing. But he was saying that and you know, a bunch of people had already like dunked on it or whatever, so to speak. And I did, and I look, I I, I get this is what it is, but it's like I did a quote tweet being like, wait, you work for WWE and you don't know what over means? Because he was you going entirely by the volume of crowd reactions like literally the volume and then being louder pops which is not exactly what over means it's a component of it but then he and i didn't see this for hours because twitter quality filter until someone pointed it out to me he quote tweeted me back after a couple hours like aren't i don't have it in front of me but something like aren't you the guy who went on sam roberts podcast and said that i pay to go on i pay to be on wwe programming when I didn't, when I was on Sam Roberts' podcast, that was not Peter Rosenberg. Uh, <laughs> I believe, and I haven't listened back, but I did talk to Sam, and he remembered it the same way. But I, if it came up, I forget if I brought it up, I think maybe I did. It was specifically as an example of, here is a bullshit story that has gotten a lot of widespread attention that shouldn't have because it's clearly not true. Which, also, whatever else I think about Peter Rosenberg, haven't I always defended him on Twitter from that? I think so. So I see that, and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's blah blah blah, what I just said. And he sent me a DM shortly after SummerSlam ended, um, saying he'd retract it if he was wrong. Um, and, but didn't like that I had never said a nice word about him. And I was like, dude, I checked with Sam to make sure he remembers it the same way. And then when he didn't reply for more than half a day, I was like, dude, just take the L. And now he just appears to be ignoring the main issue. 
I remember hearing the pod and thinking you were a dick about our work. He also capitalizes dick each time, by the way. I mean, he really means it. I guess so. (laughs) I do think it's funny, too, by the way, that he's doing this the day after just this whole thing reminding me, just tweeting. Sometimes I wonder if Jonathan Coachman realizes that all the ranting he did in my DMs is not off the record. (laughs) Which, someone said that should be a Patreon tier. The Coachman DMs. Well, you can put it on there. (laughs) You sure DMs. Anyway, if you would like now, if you want to enjoy some wrestling that Sam Roberts may watch, but that Peter Rosenberg does not, IWTV. <laughs> yes, IWTV, and uh, got some stuff up this week. Some new stuff, Action Wrestling Show, which I thought about last week, went up this week, and uh, in fact, I think uh, Dylan Dylan Hales uh, said this may have been the best action show, top to bottom, that he's ever announced. Now, uh, was that because of the wrestling, or was that because of our dear friend Jaden Newman and a dashiki? Um, both the rest wrestling, I guess. But you talk about the everything, the work, and everything going on. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's you know that's some high praise. So everybody definitely go check that out. I haven't watched it yet, so I can't really say anything, but. Uh, Everybody's talking about it, so there you go. Um, and it has the first round of the, excuse me, action tag title tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Including the Skulk and the unique tag team of Bobby Flacco and Brogan Finley. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, so that's up, yes. Uh, what else do we have here? And by the way, also, uh, first action show for a, char- for a charity since the pandemic. Yes. Action for Southside Support. Yeah. Which uh, Matt had done at least one show for in the past. I think it might have been two, right? Yeah. So I think so. Everyone check that out, of course. Um, What else do we have that went up? Uh, Hold on. I was looking at... I, I do this sometimes. I click on Featured instead of just Edit when I should be looking at just Edit. New C4 mixtape looks quite tasty, as it has two matches from... I guess they haven't announced him as being full-time yet, but the fact that he's had to wipe his Friday bookings clean, I think, means he is. Daniel Garcia, two different championship matches of his, one versus Josh Alexander. I think that might be when he wins the title. And a match against Evil Uno. So, and some impact and fellow AEW stars there. On the newest C4 mixtape, which is, if you're listening to this later, I realize I should mention this when we talk about it, volume 68, which means next one will be volume 69. Nice. Uh, what mm-hmm. else? CZW Fake UTV, the first 10 episodes from 2001 are now up, which I guess most of that was probably up in some form on the shows they had up, but maybe not all. So... We've talked about that a little bit before. We did the week of the first TV taping. I think, was that last year or the year before? Oh, I don't remember. When we had Bahari on to talk about the, you know, Divine Storm oh, right the, XL. Yeah, anyway, I have no idea. But those are up, and there's some interesting stuff there. And there was one other thing. I forget, did we talk about TWE last time? Or no, since it wasn't up, or was it not up yet? No, I don't think we talked about it. Okay, I... Trying to find it now, but I believe the TWE show from Scenic City Invitational Weekend 
which was headlined by uh, our dear friend Daniel Maccabe versus Damian Tangra, is now up as well, and that match has been getting raves. So I'm looking forward to that. And Dylan, Dylan, I think, said that was his favorite match of the year so far in independent wrestling. So that's mm-hmm. high praise, too. Dylan, who made a an impromptu return to podcasting the other night with the punk thing, too. Did you see that? Yeah. I forget well, what show it I forget what show it was, but it was a Patreon exclusive uh, rampage post show. Yeah, I think it was on the distraction. Yes. Not to be confused with uh, David Roth and Drew McGarry's distraction podcast. Whoever they are. <laughs> wrestling fans will not know who they are more often than not, so There are a lot of wrestling fans that Red Dead's been and now defect would think now read defective. Uh, I don't know about all that. <laughs> there were multi- there were numerous days where my articles were the highest, most viewed thing on the site. So, well, that means that they read your articles. I mean, oh, you you you, you think I was the Monday Night Raw to their USA Network? Well, no, I'm just saying that for wrestling fans, they're going to read wrestling things. You know. Those guys go to more of a sports and that type of stuff and, uh, base. Wrestling is different. It just is what it is. I'm not saying nothing bad against them. I'm just saying that they're probably not known in wrestling cir- fan circles. Sure, sure. I mean, this is the way it is. Yeah. Oh, also Casanova Valentine's newest uh, No Ring show is up as well on IWTV. Headlined by uh, Casanova taking on Billy Dixon in a Taipei death match. Interesting. I feel like those barely happen anymore outside of like the occasional IWA Mid-South King of the Death match. And you don't see the, ty- the word Taipei death used as much, no. Well, probably just because it's such a whatever to glue the glass onto the taped fists and all that. Yeah. Anyway. So... If you'd like to check out Independent Wrestling TV and you have not already, sign up using code BTSPOND. You do not get anything at this moment. But uh, if you're subscribing anyway, then we get a referral fee for the life of your subscription. So, independentwrestling.tv, use code BTSPOND. believe there's also a direct link that fills it out in the description, along with all, everything else we talk about here is always in the show notes. All right. And that's IWTV. Now, Viper VPN, which uh, people are talking about. So, uh, for various reasons, uh, trying to get uh, VPN to watch uh, Fight TV or whatever and blah, blah, blah. So, tell everybody about that. Yes. If you wanted to watch uh, CM Punk's AEW debut slash pro wrestling return without commercials, you could have signed up for AEW Plus, even if you're in the U.S. or Canada or wherever. Which, so I believe it's every Dynamite and Rampage, both live and archived, completely commercial-free. Um, Plus, I think they have Dark and Dark Elevation there, too. So if you prefer to watch it all in one place, you can do that. And I have... N- okay, so I've not tried this with Plus but at least from when I've tried it with the pay-per-views and stuff, you don't need to set up a new account or anything with Fight. You just turn on the VPN, open up Fight TV. If you are you have it set to one of the right countries, it works. 
So then that's fairly easy, and you can just cast it to wherever, the way, you know, usual way Fight TV works. Of course, you can also use it with WWE Network to get WWE Network in the United States again. Um, used it for SummerSlam, you know, last night as we record this, we'll be using it for TakeOver tonight. The speeds are great. I have no, you know, hiccups in the streaming, no quality drops, nothing. Their speeds are great. They have, you know, plenty of countries, good security features. They do not keep logs. That's been third-party audited, so all the privacy stuff's real good. They have the kill switch feature if you want to turn it on, where if the VPN drops, then it cuts off your connection until it comes back. So lots of good stuff with Viper VPN. VYPR, that is VPN. And if you want to sign up and get the best deal, which is maybe the very best deal on a big-name VPN, $60 for three years, less than $1.67 a month, by going to tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. And like with everything else, all this is also in the show description. All right. So, plug time. Uh, nothing on the solo podcast for under cover to cover. I need to get with Rob and see if we can get one hammered out soon. But uh, other than that, we got Between the Sheets next week to talk about. And next week is a Patreon-requested show. As we go back to 1997, and we'll talk about all the stuff going on there. We have two episodes of Monday Nitro to talk about. As uh, we have the Arn Anderson retirement promo, and then the NWO retort the week after. So that should be quite the interesting uh, thing to talk about for sure. And, that and worked out nicely, yes. In a packed WCW section. And you know what? I'm glad it worked out this way because I feel like doing one on the word on the other on its own show would have been a little bit lacking. And just the time, the way the way our week to time set up, it that's how it happened. Both uh, both shows fit in here. Now, luckily for us, we don't have two Raws to talk about because U.S. Open was going on. So they had a Friday night's main event episode of Raw during our week. So we'll have all the stuff going on there to talk about. Plus, Japan, Lucha, uh, the independent scene, all kinds of stuff going on. The big plugs at the end of the show. So definitely get on there as uh, Vera Thoris will be back. As, uh, that's the, uh, this is what, second time? Yes. Second time, so Vera picked out a very interesting week for us to talk about. So uh, Vera will join us for WCW, I think, alone, correct? Correct, yeah. She put down uh, the $50, yes. And also... It's the biggest section. Yes. Hopefully things will be fine when we record this uh, tomorrow as we're doing this, but... (laughs) Vera also has this weird way of doing these Patreon shows when I'm having terrible apartment issues. (laughs) Yeah, Henri ain't helping you either, I guess. So. No, but I mean, la- last time it was when I was in the Airbnb between the pet sitting and the new apartment. Uh, this time, hopefully everything will be okay, but we are having various issues with it appears to be something with a pipe that's causing issues when it rains, that it's leaking into my room just south of my bed and now, and also in the... Uh, main bathroom in the apartment so that's fun had to try to sop up water all over my floor 
That was wonderful. Can't catch a break, can you? It's also weird, like getting the National Weather Service alert and warning me of storm surge, even though I live very inland. But it's like, I guess it's I guess it's based on counties. So, like, you can be anywhere in Brooklyn, but because of Coney Island or Brighton Beach or whatever, it tells you to beware of the storm surge that cannot get you because you live in the middle of the borough. Yeah. All right. Well, let, <laughs> anything happened this week in the world of wrestling? I don't. It was a pretty quiet week, wasn't it? Uh, look in my eyes, Chris. <laughs> look in my eyes. Well, you see? you're 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 busy uh, p- pounding out a tandy computer. <laughs> No, the bet. Yes, the best <laughs> line. The best line of the week is Tony Khan saying, "Oh, he's saying Bix is very professional," and then Punk saying, "Is he?" Well, <laughs> I tried to tell you. <laughs> you bought me some time. Res- residual heat still goes a long way, doesn't it? <laughs> he seemed like he was kidding around. Well, I don't even. Know. Well, we can talk about that later. <laughs> We've had discussions anyway, about what, CM Punk. We've had discussions about that. I I honestly don't know what caused that residual. <laughs> yeah, but uh, CM Punk's back in wrestling, and uh, of course we did the Patreon show. Well, no, I would. Last... I know what what could have caused it more recently, <laughs> but not yeah, recently. but then, I mean, this was way before that. Well, yes, yes. Uh, and I, uh, you know. There's a theories there, but you know, I won't get into that here. Um, he's back in wrestling, and we know we did the Patreon show a month ago. And it's interesting, you know, that we we talked about on this, you know, on that show in 2011, how they did this major angle and all this. And business wise, it really didn't do anything. Ten years later, <laughs> he makes his return. And it's, it's, it's very early to tell, and we haven't even got the ratings yet, but just social media alone, their first actual mention, uh, basically on ESPN in a way, as far as Twitter and stuff like that, and uh, just other people, seeing people talking about AEW that I really haven't seen talk about AEW before on social media outside the wrestling world, um, yeah, it did the exact opposite already. Um We'll see what happens uh, as uh, All Out comes along and he wrestles his first match against Darby Allen. But um, one thing you can't take away is what happened last Friday night at the United Center in Chicago. And Which one the, was sold out on the rumor of CM Punk. And that's another thing I was going to get into. But, I mean, that's one of the greatest moments on a wrestling show in, in, la- in the last 25 years easy. I mean, just that way everything happened. And the fact that it was in Chicago... You know, they're doing all that on this new television show, which is an hour long. So, you know, you're, you're able to let it sink in more that way. And, yeah, just the, it's a perfect storm of everything to happen. And, yeah, like you said, it, all all AEW did was wink, wink, nod, nod their whole way through this. They never said anything about him, never mentioned his name. I mean, there was all the little teases and this and the other Easter eggs and all that stuff. Focusing but, on the signs, lingering on the fan chants. Well, you know, Kenny Omega wearing a chick magnet shirt. And a Cookie uh, Monster shirt. And, and just other things. The best in the you world know. stuff. Yeah, which, that you know, that could have went for him or Brian Danielson, who will be on his way soon. 
But I mean, which they're already doing that too with him, and you know, in the action figure thing that they did with the two pack of him and the Fiend, where all Kenny Omega talked about was the th- the Fiend figure. But uh, the uh, someone else who also appears to be going to AEW, possibly as well. Um, it's just it's a lot going on there, and they have achieved a buzz right now, and they got momentum, and they're going after a. A fan base. They're enriching their own fan base, which they've done. And now they're trying to go after new fans and different fans and all that stuff. And it's going to be, it's definitely going to be interesting because WWE is pretty much, they're changing their focus in a lot of ways on things. They're getting back to a, a more insular approach of running their business. They're, Going back to straight developmental, you know, not let's sign indie wrestling superstars and bring them in and have our own version of an independent wrestling promotion. It's like we're going to take these people that either are very new to wrestling, maybe have worked independence, but very new, or athletes from other sports, or in the case of, you know, Gable Stevenson and uh, I can't remember the, the, the um, women's gold medalists that they had on there with, with Gable, but it looks like they're going to sign two gold medalists probably from the Olympics. And, you know, they're going to teach their way of pro wrestling. And, you know, they did that for a long time, you know, in the previous developmental systems, you know, they, they had, you know, good and bad, but that's going to happen no matter what, but they're going to that direction now and they want to create their own people, which, okay, that's the way you want to do your business. That's fine. That's fine. You know, it's, it's something that Vince has always longed for. Look at all look at all the people from WCW that came in there and they had to beat WCW out of their systems, basically, in, in their mind. Bump Chris Jericho. Every punch, God damn it. Chris Jericho comes to mind for sure. You know, how he you know, got people like that that they had to tear down and build them back up to make up WWE guys. Well, the the Vince quote from Jericho's book Green is grass and your contract isn't worth the paper it's printed on. <laughs> so I mean, this is stuff that's been going on forever. But with Paul Lebeck was you know in his position, you know that's when they were trying to become their own independent wrestling promotion. This and another, and now he's out of that power, and Nick Khan's in. Nick Khan is like Vince in that way, and you know it's a very interesting thing. As at Nick Khan did an interview with Ariel Hawani. And Ariel Hawani, His former and, client, Ariel Hawani. Yeah, Ariel Hawani and no, has no, has known Nick Khan a lot longer than a lot of the people. And although we should also note, besides being his former client, this was in Ariel's capacity as a what do we even call him? Interview? I guess he's, I guess he's sometimes a pundit, talking head, analyst, sometimes interviewer on BT Sport, which is WWE's. British TV partner. The thing is, is that, you know, basically what Nick Khan told Air Hawani is they don't think about competition. You know, he doesn't, that he doesn't think about competition himself. Well, he said, you know me, have I ever like been focused on competition? And that I believe. Well, he did also say that, it, no, but I'm saying he did also say that as far as he knows, WWE never f- focused on their competition, which is, do you think he actually believes that, or do you think? I think. <laughs> well, well, what's what I said before 
it's all it all depends on what you consider competition. You know, Vincent Mann, I've said this before, never considered WCW competition. He considered Ted Turner his competition. You know? Um, and also the great line, you know, the, you know, to Ted Turner when he called Ted Turner when Ted Turner called him when he bought, you know, the NWA and, and you know, said, Vince, I'm in the wrestling business. And it's like, good, I'm in the entertainment business. <laughs> Which by the you way, know? I'm getting sick of that story lately because the only source for it is Vince. Yeah. Now, do I think it's possible that Ted called him? Yes. Do I think the conversation went anything like how Vince has described it? No. It's, yeah, it's a Vince story, but, you know, that's all we have. <laughs> so, I, what we have to go by. Well, I wonder if that Ted Turner deposition, which, by the way, how great is it? Do you... Do you realize how much Vince must have loved that they got Ted under oath in the for a deposition in the NWO lawsuit? Oh yeah, but like they, you know, it, that's for yeah. For people who don't know the Ted Turner interview clips in the Monday Night War documentary and stuff, well, documentary series and stuff on the network, those are from his deposition. Yeah, but anyway, but, um, but yeah. So I, I'm I'm curious if that's asked about in there. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's just there hasn't been any real competition, you know, since the formation of AEW. And TNA was never competition, you know. Nobody else was. He was still fuck with these people, but it's not competition. AEW is now direct competition, and you know, I mean. We've heard the comments. We've talked about this, before, you know, this before from the last, you know, conference call and all that stuff. But it's just we're we're in a a, a point in the, in the wrestling business right now where you have two major promotions that are going about wrestling completely differently. And you know what? That's good. That's good because you don't want two promotions where one. It's actively trying to be the other promotion. And I know there's the arguments, well, AEW, all the AEW's roster is WWE, XWE people. Well, yeah, of course there's so many XWE people on there, but they have a lot of people on there too that were not in WWE. Oh, and they may be doing some extra work, but never and as a as a contracted talent for WWE that they are pushing and they're top talent. Um, yeah, I mean, they're hiring a lot of people and, not, you know, I've seen some people, to, you know, Today on Twitter, this Sunday, as we record this, you know, talk about, you know, with Tony Khan tweeted his thing about you know, pro wrestling as an art form, and everything. And people, there's no one direct way to create your art and everything. And then I, I saw people quote coming back at him saying, well, it doesn't matter. You're going to hire him anyway. You know, that people that learn the WBR form, if they become available, you're going to hire them. Well, it's business. But. We need two different wrestling promotions. You need that yin and yang. You need the variety. And that's it's good that way. It's good for the wrestling business. And, you know, WWE is going to have the people that watch WWE. You know, I've talked about this ad nauseum on this show. They're going to have people that just watch WWE. That's fine. There's going to be people that watch AEW that just wants, wants to watch AEW. That's fine, too. There's no problem with that. It's, you know, the problem when it, when it starts getting as far as like in our world is when you have these people that are so hardcore, vigilant, whatever, 
that if somebody comes out there and has anything positive to say about the other, that you just want to just rail on them, you know, and try try to, you know, kill their vibe or whatever. Just enjoy what you want to just enjoy what you enjoy. Who why should you care that somebody is, you know, loving what they're watching and w- want to try to you know, put them down or try to tear them down. Oh, that shit ain't that good. You know, blah, 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 blah. It makes no sense to me why anybody would want to do that. I mean, there's one exception I grant on that, which is people who poke fun at the lore of the fiend types who are oh, reading too much into what? stuff. But pe- someone likes it. Someone cares. likes it. No, I don't care. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't care that anyone likes it. Do I think it might be funny that they're reading this deep lore or whatever into Wyndham Rotunda's wacky, like, horror movie ideas? Well, he yeah, might become an AW, like so you're going to have it there. So be, be ready for that. I, but I, I don't think they'd have him doing magic and stuff, though. <laughs> if you give him control, who knows? Because a lot of that stuff is, it was his ideas. So I don't know how much, <laughs> though, because I saw someone point this out and they were right. The first like month or so of The Fiend, maybe a little longer, did not have that. Well, well I mean, we'll see. But there's a lot of input he had into that. Let's put oh, that Of course, way. yes. And the, but, but before long, he was frustrated with how they were treating the character, too. So yeah, there was other things, too. But... I mean, who cares what somebody likes and dislikes? If you have valid criticisms, that's one thing. But to go in somebody's mentions and just blow them up and whatever, and anytime they post something positive about what they're watching, WWE related or AEW related or whatever. Well, it's not even I mean, just it, that. Like, it's just stupid. It's on everything. Like, okay, when the conference call scrum, whatever you want to call it, was going on, I tweeted what I feel like most, you know, I saw other people were covering, so I didn't usually, but. I tweeted one thing that I thought was particularly interesting, which was that he said, Punk said that, not in the, those words, but this was basically what he was saying, that the handling of Brody Lee's illness and death and everything with his family between keep everyone keeping it a secret and then how they've helped out the Huber family and all that, that gained... That's probably the wrong word to use, but that really increased his trust in AEW. Yeah, and he's right. I mean, they they handled that with aplomb the whole time. Especially when you consider, and I didn't even think about it this way at first until someone else pointed out, quote tweeting my tweet, that um, he had the WWE doctor spreading his shit in group chats with wrestlers. He He has a lot of valid issues with how WWE handled things with him. Absolutely. Right. Well, anyway, I mean, my point is with bringing that up, though, was that there were people talking about how that was stupid or whatever. It's like, dude. Or, like, just, the, there's insane shit sometimes. Like, there was the one I tweeted, like, last night because it was so egregious. Vicky Guerrero posting the smiling photo of her and Punk in the back at the United Center on Friday. Okay? And... Someone just replying, WWE is better. Oh, yeah, but you're going to have that. You're going to no, have that. No, but to a tweet, I... no, but to a tweet that specifically says he's very special to our family, which is true because, like, he look, he has looked out for Vicky and the girls for a long time, among other things. You know, like, but it's like, it's, it, to me, the 
type of stuff it's happening on and all that is getting worse. I mean, but anyway, we talked about this forever it's, a few weeks ago. But yeah, I mean, it's spawned it's from both, long, so we should finish up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's spawned from social media and all this other stuff. But, but anyway, I mean, the thing is, is that, again, who cares what what people like and don't like? Don't come after them and stuff like that. Be be better. If you want if you want to do your if you want to do your shit talking, do it directly to you know a direct statement on your social media. But don't just come after people. And it's going to well, be interesting to see what happens. And something else too that I feel like whether you think it's like good or bad, I said this a few weeks ago, and I get like it, I was surprised this got a lot of shit like. People have to be realistic about the fact that WWE programming is, like, heavily stylized. It, it is a very specific thing. You know what I mean? Like... They have their way of doing things. But you get what I'm saying? Mean, anything that that's stylized, of course there are going to be people who don't like it. Again, this is like any anything like Coke, Pepsi, or McDonald's, Burger King, or any type of situation like that. I mean... You're going to have that, but you never see the fans of Coke and Pepsi or McDonald's and Burger King, you know, basically try to just flame each other out. <laughs> so it's just so stupid. But yeah, I mean, and of course, Becky Lynch is back in WWE, Brock Lesnar's back in WWE. I mean, if you're a WWE fan, you have a lot to be happy about, you know, so focus on that. Focus on what, what makes you happy and whatever you want to watch. And let everybody just, you know, be positive and be happy. It's no sense in going after people because they like something. So it's so stupid. But anyway, um, so yeah, there's that. All right. So that is it for us in this segment. We'll get back to the rest of the show. All right. Let's go to the United States now and to the, uh, independent scene most of the territories and we'll start with icw the savoldis and then tv taping on august 18th in parsippany new jersey of course they which do which drew 175 fans as vic steamboat beat tony atlas by dq for atlas's icw title when kendall windham interfered and nikolai volkov also worked the taping vic steamboat tony atlas you say yeah i don't know if this one ever aired on tv though because vic steamboat doesn't win the title or lose it. No. So that's still, okay. The, the ten trillion times they are the other one make up for it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so. Yep. And uh, wait, there was something else I had to say here. Kendall Wyndham on a Savoldi show, huh? Yeah. I should, well, they were sure they, well, they. Yeah, I guess he had worked with them before, but I'm sure they liked his ability to make money. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well they had a, they had the florida tapings in this era you mm. know oh so with, a, the, with that with well that's that's more 90 but yeah 89 90 whatever it's still the same type here they're still going on with, with steve kern and this crew so yeah there is uh, and now we have a nelson royal update from matt watch no real explanation but nelson royal must be running out of money because the ACW takes the past month and a half have either been full recap shows or replays of complete past shows. Oh, that's not a good sign. Not a good sign. Not at all. Well, who who would have figured Trent Knight wouldn't be able to take you to the promised land? You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know, Colts, L.A. Stevens. 
So Colt steals calves and thighs. You know, they, they couldn't take you there, although they were very impressive. Yes. And he actually got the uh, the dusty boots. Uh, what was that? What was the uh, the place in Texas? They used to have the eagle boots. Cold Steel got him, just couldn't live up to the tradition, though. No, he couldn't. Mm-hmm. In the Mod Squad. Mod and... Squad. <laughs> and then Spike left, so it was the DI and Basher together at that time, and Nelson Royal and his granddaughter just running roughshod. <laughs> yeah. Nelson and his toupee. That's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Nelson Royals Western Western wear. Come Sam, in, pick you up a pair of Wranglers. Yeah, Sam Houston, baby doll on commentary. Yeah, yeah, doll on commentary. Who else? Uh, there's some of the other luminaries. Uh, Tommy Angel, of course. Yeah, G- you know, G- Jimmy Garvin weren't there. Gorgeous uh, Jaded. Yeah, then then Ivan Koloff came in with Nikita. Yeah, Rock and Rolls did some shows for him. Slaughter, yeah. Slaughter worth a couple of Slaughter, shows. Well, yeah, because Carnoodle got him back in, and Carnoodle was feuding with Playboy, uh, or, I'm sorry, Playboy, Pretty Boy, Doug Summers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, hey, it was it was fun. And again, it's one of those things I regret not taping on HDS when it would come on, kind of took it for granted when I'd see it on there. And it's so, too bad. <laughs> there's some on YouTube if you want to go check it out. Not a lot. Yeah. And Not that's a lot, but there. And, and those guys too. And you know, obviously, the reason it was, I mean, kind of hard to take seriously is, and it's true, it works on your psyche at least for this kid growing up, watching all those guys get the shit kicked out of them. And it was still like, hey, it's wrestling, so I'm going to watch it. But you know, it does feel lesser than, unfortunately. And that was, you know, the, the biggest problem when they didn't have Ivan or Kernoodle or a Nikita, or a rock and roll, or somebody like that, and very quickly, obviously, <laughs> with what's taking place here, you know, it didn't last much past the first couple of tapings. Yeah, that, that is interesting, you know, to talk about is, I mean, these are guys that you would see you know, doing the jobs on Crockett Television, and they're pushing them here as more than just that. Um... It's tough. I mean, it's tough. And it's not, uh, you, you, I mean, these guys deserve the, the opportunity to, to uh, have a chance, but I think there's a way they could have done it, you know, that, that it would have worked better. And, you know, you know who stood out and, and it was also to some guys, you look at the angels and the, the guys like that and you hear them on commentary and it's like they were trying to cut interviews and it's like it's like seeing Vinny Valentino in Central States or wherever. And it's like, you know, you're only at X level and you're never going to make it higher than that. Where they're like a guys like the Deatons, you know, actually did stand out because they, they, they did try to elevate their game a little bit more and they were able to do it a little bit more. You know, and, and they, they, at least there was that, whereas just some of the like, and, you know, George, George South, who got to stand out and you saw him again when he was working with other guys like that. For some reason, uh, George South stood out a lot more and he was able to again because he wasn't getting beat maybe as well, too. And he was showing a mean streak at times that it's like, wow, th- this guy really is this guy is really good. Before the uh, long before we celebrated the uh, the carpenters and the enhancement guys and the jobbers in the way that we do now, yeah, weird, weird. But I mean, it, 
It is what it is. So, I mean, it, 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 it was they were yeah. trying, but it just didn't work. A lot of mullets on that show, by the way. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of mullets, in a way, it's Southern Championship Wrestling, Jerry Blattles promotion, Sir Samuel F. Kent, Uncle Sammy, and an angle on the uh, Superstars of Wrestling block on Channel 69 Atlanta. Did a deal where he proposed to have Oprah Winfrey and several other celebrities at a party at his home. The bit was well built, according to Steve Beverly, to a climax around 11 o'clock where Uncle Sammy was exposed as being a fraud. Oh, I thought they pulled his pants down. <laughs> no, uh, no, they, <laughs> the Sammy puppet was the only thing with the wood. Wood, wood there, but uh, <laughs> I wish we had the uh, heel Uncle Sammy stuff like this. I mean, there's a very little online, very little, but I wish there was more because that guy was so, something else. He was a fucking hoot. And um, this is the time period Bix was Randall Brown co hosting with Bonnie Blackstone oh, boy. on the block before he decides to uh, try to do his own thing. And run opposition. Yes, we, we had my, we had a opposition wrestling block. And what channel Atlanta. was that on? It was on oh fuck, I can't remember. But yeah, he had an opposition block. Would it have been the same one that uh, the old uh, Lars yeah. Anderson? <laughs> it was in forty yeah. eight. What channel was that? <laughs> he was on forty six. Forty six. That's by it. this by this point in time. Forty six was. Uh, you know, big time independence, independence. No, this still, let's see. Yeah, they're still independent at this point in time because, or let me try to think how this play out. Yeah, because Fox Five was still CBS. So yeah, 40, 46 still independent because thirty six was Fox, and then when Five took Fox, thirty six became independent. Forty six took CBS. Ah, okay. I gotta get, I gotta get all my my Atlanta. Uh, TV politics in line. That was 94 when all that went down. But, I, was, uh, I was always wonder how 46 became a CBS affiliate. It seems a little out of the realm. You know, Fox yeah. and 5, it, that fits together. That's a nationwide gig they got lined up. But 46 and CBS can't make, can't make New York happy. Big market like Atlanta. Oh, yeah. And, but, and, and that shit was a big fucking deal. And, uh, you know, when, when they did that, not as big as the 1981, which that's the all-timer. When uh, Channel 2 and Channel 11 switched, Channel 2 <laughs> became the, the ABC affiliate and Channel 11 became the NBC affiliate. That was a huge fucking deal. Here's enough where Channel 5, the C, which was then CBS, they did like the, a, a commercial, like making fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. It's hilarious. But, uh, but yeah, Uncle Sammy. A legend. Yes. Oh, wait, Chris, right. I'm getting a message from the truck. We need to break into the Vic Steamboat versus Tony Atlas. Oh, Steamboat, look at the poise. Look at oh, the Yeah, we had to go back into the future and then back into the past to show everyone Vic Steamboat winning the title from Tony Atlas just so everyone could get a feeling of the true ICW experience. <laughs> yes, there you go. All right. FCW. RIP Sports Channel America. There you go. FCW. Charlotte Humper needs to move to the NWA. May or not signal something. Dave's had two reports on 
or reliable one not so this is returned from the UK that excuse me that should be Steve Beverly that Florida is already or will fall by Labor Day I forgot to put the plus there uh, Steve he hasn't been able to contact Wayne Coulter but he does know some prospective wrestlers were told not to come to Tampa because promotion was folding more next week mm-hmm. it didn't fold but uh, <laughs> it scaled down scaled down <laughs> tremendously yes Mm. So there you go. Now let's go to Continental. Ronnie West has talked to Liam Pro Wrestling, which will give Robert Fuller just about complete control of the CWF. Well, he doesn't leave wrestling. He just leaves the, for- the start up his own little independent group. And that leaves Robert Fuller in complete control of Continental. And that's what we get for the rest of their run. And this, unfortunately, is not the best time for Robert Fuller to be in complete control of Continental. No. No, and it's not his, not all his fault, because Ron decided that you know, you know, to to do what he needed to do, and basically that that's you know went into the whole thing. So fun, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you watch Continental, and you get the feeling that white lines are definitely. in heavy usage. Don't do it. <laughs> but this time he's not the full full in charge yet. So we have um, this deal here where Dr. Tom Pritchard is injured as he's leaving CWF to return home to Texas. On the CWF show that aired during our week, Dennis Codry gave him a series of DDTs on a steel chair and he juiced heavily and was stretched out. All right, so we have uh, two clips here. We have the first clip, and then we have this clip to uh, play off the first one. So let's go to uh, a first clip here, which is a confrontation between these two gentlemen. On today's edition of the CWF, you stay with us. Don't go anywhere. And uh, lover boy in this country, let me tell you something, Swindle Cooley. <laughs> you talking about beating up on me, fella? Are you crazy? Are you? Well, brother, I'll tell you one thing. If you're not crazy now, you will be when you get through with me, buddy. Because I'm going to tell you, I know the history on you. I know you've had a bad bringing up. I know you were born by a sewer. I know you've lived by the sewer. And you're going to die by the sewer. Because I'm going to make you commit suicide. That's exactly what I'm going to do to you. And now we got this geek running around out here, Tuppert. You got a tape, a, a picture with a thousand words in it. Show the tape of me a Tom Pritchard. I ain't got a tape. You better have one. I don't know hey, you show a tape. tape. Show the tape what? of me and Tom Pritchard. I'm getting mad. What, show it. Nicky, do we have a tape? Yes, you do. Did you set this up? Yes, I set it up. Well, show the tape. Let's take a look at it. Condry goes to the pin, two counts, and the doctor powers out. Front chantry by Loverboard Dennis Condry. The production values are there. And he backs the CWF champion. The CWF champion has backed him into mm-hmm. the turnbuckle. Good short knee by Pritchard. This promotion is owned by a TV Pritchard station. Pritchard now firing back with a good shot sure to the right to the top of the head of Dennis Condry. Condry staggering around over to the turnbuckle, but it's Condry fighting back. Condry takes Pritchard into the turnbuckle, comes off with a good boost. Condry. 
Well, as history has showed us, even in the future, sometimes that just doesn't matter. Match we have going here, this for the CWF Heavyweight Championship, 30-minute time limit. Good reversal by Pritchard. Condry, wait a minute. Condry catches his mask. He is counting 10, 2, it's over. It is over. We have a new Continental Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion. Well, I think that's uh, something we've seen before. He was going to pay face that time. Yeah, I guess it is. I tell you one thing, brother. He comes out here, no man on earth challenges me. And smokes. Wait a minute. First of all, I don't know what you're trying to prove by showing some kind of tape. How you got lucky and stole my belt, Henry. I am the champion. I'm the baddest dude. And I'll get you I like his argument with you and Henry better. I'm looking around at you in the dressing room. You mumbling under your breath. You got something to say to me. Why don't you say it to me now? Carry yourself, Tom Bridger. You, you want to fight, buddy? We'll fight. fight. Let's fight, there, baby. You I guarantee you one thing. Come on, then. I'll get you. I am the champion, and you know it, and everybody else knows that I'm the guy. You gotta beat, man. We'll, we'll, we'll be back with more action on the counter. You cannot come out here on my ear if you can do it to me. No man alive. I don't At the commercial break, we go to part two. So let's go to part two of this uh, saga here. I've been away for so long. Ladies and gentlemen, this contest is scheduled for one fall. Introducing in the ring from Knoxville, Tennessee, weighing in at 200 pounds, Keith Hart. Yes. So it's Tennessee Keith Hart, and they spelled it H-E-A-R-T. Correct. I love how the oh. Except I want to see if the CWS heavyweight champion Dennis Condry has a gut in his body to come out right now and get in the ring and show me what kind of man he is. Whoa. If you got a gut left in your little finger, Condry, why don't you come right in the ring now and I'll show you that I am the CWS heavyweight champion. Frederick means business. We don't really need a PA system for that. I, I haven't heard. I, I, I love how I clearly no David Woods read Steve Beverly begging for and, a light. Uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard and he got the most inappropriate lights uh, possible to light the room. And, uh, no response. Pritchard takes his man into the turnbuckle, into the ring rope, tied by body dropped by Pritchard. Going with a boot to the chest area, Pritchard irate. It's Pritchard trying Man's to do right for AJ Pritchard in the championship, but uh, Dennis Condry seems right? to be avoiding the issue. Is it? It's, it's Pritchard doing Piper AJ Pritchard. Yeah, well, pretty much. Well, what do you say? Because well, it's a baby. Well, because the baby face doing this aggressive. Whoa, a DDT. Quick DDT by a lover boy, Dennis Condry, putting something back into his sights. Wait a minute. Burhead Jones was sitting at ringside. He got waylaid. Now it's in the ring. He's taking a metal folding chair. 
taking a metal folding chair. DDT again into the folding chair by Dennis Condry, a man possessed. Give me a microphone. What about it now, Tom Pritchard? You take yourself, don't you, boy? I'll show you the tip. Blade. Yep. DDT by what? No. Wait just a minute. Condry again taking Pritchard up. Whose head? Oh, his head is dashed open. Hitting the, the sharp metal part of that chair as he came down. And yeah, what a disgusting display by Loverboard Dennis Condry, who is putting the boots to Dr. Tom Pritchard. No man alive walking the face of this earth is going to take my interview time. Well, here you have an irate Dennis Condry, and we have an injured Tom Pritchard in the ring. If we could get up there on the ring and uh, take a look at what is is uh, happening. We got some help on the way. Uh, Ronnie West is out here. All the referees are out here. And, uh, boy, he is, oh, he, he can hardly, they're picking him up out of a pool of blood. We'll, we'll, we'll be right back. We'll, we'll, let, let's take a look at, uh, let's, let's do this, Mickey. Let's take a look at a, a guy coming to the CWF. That is uh, Jeff Jarrett. It's gonna be a while before we can get this situated in the ring. Uh, oh, man, I tell you what, there were two disgusting things that happened there. Number one, obviously, the DDTs on the chairs that busted Tom Pritchard wide open. But second, Dennis Condry continuing to wear pastels after the Easter season. I tell you, <laughs> especially at this time, Dennis, you know better. And by the, Dennis is great. And that's the other thing, you know, people didn't see, you know, <laughs> they'll have to go back and watch the footage of this to actually see Condry hit during those that during that interview that they, they kicked that thing off. Just incredible. When he wanted to go, he was a great asshole. And him and Phil Hickerson is another one. Thank God there's tape of those guys that exist of those two talking because they were something else. And when him and Randy were together, you know, and and Southeast yeah. in '81, I mean, you see, you know, the uh, what Conjure could do, and uh, you know, when Bobby died, you know, I, I was putting the, the stuff out there, you know, stuff I uploaded, and other, other people have uploaded. Uh, Bobby cutting promos in Memphis, and you know, Bobby could talk too. He just didn't never they never had to do it because Jimmy was there. That's Jimmy's job. So and Bobby and Bobby was Bobby, but Dennis was, you know, again, Dennis was, again, the, the captain. You know, before Jim Cornette, you know, you can't imagine him without Jim Cornette. But Dennis Condry, if he never, if he never met Jim Cornette, would have never needed Jim Cornette. Just so happened that everything worked out the way that it did. Exactly, exactly. And the DDT on that chair, Ronnie West, you know, had saw that in Mid South, you know, with Jake DDT Terry Taylor. But they never did that an injuring all around it. But I mean, that's you know one of the big angles that happened there during that time period. But yeah, so good stuff. Fun, fun TV shows. These kind of shows were in this era. Different but fun. Speaking of that of different but fun, let's go to Memphis. Dave says, give this group credit for a lot of creativity and humor over the past week. It all started on August 14th at the Mid South Coliseum with a match where Ronnie P. Goss and Eddie Marlin had a had a match where if Ronnie won, he'd become promoter for a week, and if Marlin won, he would put Gossett in a diaper. Well, <laughs> Chris Champion interfered, and Gossett won the match. He got to be promoter through August the 21st. So, let's go to TV. 
And uh, this is how Ronnie P. Gossett starts off his day in the studios of Memphis, T- Tennessee with Dave Brown. I am hype. Brown here at ringside, ready to go with another day of CWA Championship Wrestling. I tell you what, it's going to be an interesting day, uh, to say the least. In case you haven't heard, in a match which uh, just occurred a few days ago, Ronnie P. Gossett going against Eddie Marlin, and if Gossett won the match, he would be the promoter for a huh, week. A match well, that just occurred didn't a few do it days fair ago. And square, but uh, Ronnie P. Gossett did <laughs> win the match, so the promoter for the week is going to be, I'm afraid, Ronnie P. Gossett. Eddie Marlin has been banned for the building from the building today, so uh, well, kind of gives you an idea of what we may be dealing with. I do know we've got a Southern Tag Title match, the Wild Side scheduled in here with their Southern Tag Titles at stake. Also, uh, the King will be here a little bit later on today. Many, many more folks, too. We'll uh, fill you in as we go along. Back with the opening action for you in just a moment. Right now, I have been uh, instructed to introduce the promoter for the week. Here he is, the official promoter for CWA Championship Wrestling, Ronnie P. Gossett. Oh, he's got his glasses on. Well, I think you can hear the welcome you're getting. You multiply that by a couple of million, and that's the way the fans feel nationwide. Let me tell you something, Dave Brown. I started to charge you freeloaders to come into the matches today, but out of the kindness of my heart, I let you in free, and this is the reception I get. Dave Brown, I am your promoter for the week. I'm here to put professional wrestling back on the map. You have lowered these ratings and I am going to bring them back. You look tacky, you're not a very good commentator, and I'm here to bring professional wrestling back. So, you saw me beat that senile Eddie Marlin to the inch of his life to be your promoter for a, a week. Well, you are the promoter, there's no doubt about it. We, we know that uh, you won the match, That's so exactly we're, I will just have to deal with it. So without further ado, let's get this class show started. I'll be bringing out right now the CWA Tag Team Champions, my wild side, Chris Champion, and Mark Starr. Come on out, wild side. That's bullshit! Well, here they come, right here. Waving some kind of... Some kind of flag here. What is that? Is that? Oh, that's the wild flag. Oh, what is that? The champion's got. Oh, come on. He's got a. He's got a snake. Take a look at this, Dave Brown. Boy, I tell you what. Well, they've got. Uh, no thanks. Just keep the snake. Just keep the snake away, if you don't mind. Dave Brown, this is a CWA tag team title, and I want to bring out their opponent. I just realized something. Is Chris Champion the first wrestler who ever wore hair extensions? I don't know, but is he the first one to also lick the head of a snake on national television? Or <laughs> I guess this would be Memphis television, but hey, it was syndicated in some spots. He thought it was uh, like a toad. He thought he'd get high. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get the hair extension deal. I know there was because he clearly had extensions, right? I mean, well, he, guys... didn't he didn't he do well? He did like braids and like you know extensions that way for sure. So I mean, I'm sure he was close to a hairdresser. Always seemed to be uh, one throughout his career with the wacky style. So I mean, you might actually be right. I mean, unless you count like you know Bruno's toupee and such. 
I well, that's what I'm saying. There, that. there were guys that were that guys that wore toupees. You know, the famous one was the uh, the job guy there. Mike Sharp ripped, uh, took his toupee off during a match. <laughs> well, Kowalski's fell off Kowalski. too, didn't it? <laughs> Vince dying on commentary, laughing, and you know. And the thing is, you know, that's a tape match. You know, is that <laughs> they online? kept it in there. Yes, it's online. Yeah, well, it's like the mighty Joe. Uh, what the hell is his name? It's like Thunder. you know. Sometimes you just gotta leave him on there. <laughs> is this Iron Mike Sharp versus Bob Clement from October first, nineteen eighty three? Let me see. Click, click on the match and let me see, and I'll tell you. Because okay. it was definitely on the uh, the Coliseum tape. And yeah, he's holding up an Iron Mike Sharp is the best sign. All right, fast forward. No. No, this is not him. Is it all labeled wherever it is as Iron Mike Sharp rips the jobbers to pay off? Or? Steve Gray. Uh, is that the head? Let's see. Is it Steve Gray? Not to be confused with the world of sword wrestler, of course. That's... <laughs> Let's see. Steve Gray sounds about right, but I don't think this is on as a individual thing. Let's see, Richard Land, does he have it here? Yes, okay. It is Steve Gray, I think. Copy link to tweet. It's on Twitter, it's on Twitter, yeah. How do I, okay, here we go. Oop. That's on Richard's Twitter, I just found it. Oh, sorry. Should I be playing this? I mean, you don't have to, I mean, we just... (laughs) I've never seen it before, I'm kind of curious, though. You've never seen it before? I'm not All sure. All right, I well, have. let's play it. Or, or don't don't Vince. Be right on top of it. Oh, no, they, they don't have enough of it, I don't think, do they? Hold on. I think it was a beta tape, I think. Oh, oh good. Here we go. Yeah, definitely on a Coliseum video one. Mike Sharp hammering away on Steve Gray, who is yet to mount an offensive. Okay, wait. So when did it. Let me see. When's, when was it on? Okay, let me see. So he grabs him by the hair. Because he's already losing it. Punches him, and there it goes. You don't see it fly off his head necessarily, but you see him freaking out, and then you see his ball head. Just let let it fly. Steve Gray can't touch too much much more. Out of the ring. For no reason at all, throw that man outside of the ring. Oh, what was that? I'm not too sure. This is Vince. Sharp is loving it. And it's 1983 WWF, so the jobber is clearly untrained on top of everything it looks else. Looks to me like someone There's... threw something into the ring. I don't know. Vince <laughs> cannot talk. Yeah, you could hear him laughing and trying to hold it in. Oh, my! Steve <laughs> hammered. He was almost scalped there by the tremendous hammer <laughs> for the part. <laughs> of Iron Mike Sharp. Oh, <laughs> that was, was without a doubt one of the most <laughs> unusual things to have ever happened in professional <laughs> wrestling. I mean, this fellow uh, Steve Gray, who incidentally, oh I understand, gosh. subsequently sued uh, the maker of oh the hairpiece. He was told it was going to stay on and uh, and whatever. And, uh, of course, no one told him, however, that he was going to enter the ring with a man like Iron Mike Sharp. 
<laughs> if there's anything a little bit loose, Mike Shaw will knock it off. For sure. Oh. oh, so it aired on TNT. That's why he had such a nice copy of it. That's that's yeah. Great. Patterson's a professional. You know, he he, he, he you don't hear him for a minute or so, but he's a professional. He, he kept this cool Vince. Yeah, he's just dying of laughter. But all right, so back to Chris Champion and uh, Wildside. Yes. First of all, I want to introduce to you the most overrated professional wrestling in the professional wrestler in the business. Overrated? Overrated. He claims he's the world champion. In my book, he's nothing. He's a Kmart king, Jerry Lawler. We'll bring him out right now. Now Lawler, Lawler is uh, going to be going against these guys for the CWA tag titles. Well, I, I guarantee he's not going to back up from him. Yeah. There goes the flag and the snake and the wild side. Lawler, I have booked for you a partner that is in great shape, something you will never be, one of the top wrestlers in the country today, Spike Hubert. Let's bring out Spike Hubert. Give him a big round of applause. Spike Huber out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Here he comes. Well, he works out in the gym, no doubt about that. See you, Spike. Say hello to your partner here. It's a pleasure to be your partner. I think we can go a long way together. You certainly can. And while you're out here, take that shirt off and show Lawler what kind of a body you have there, Spike. Get a look at this body. Look at this body, Lawler. You get a good look because you'll never look like this. Well, all right. So this is uh, this is going to be it. You're going to be partners with Huber against the wild side. The wild side is putting the belts up. That's exactly right. I only book good matches, championship matches, not like the senile fossil Eddie Marlin book. Well, let's get the uh, let's get the flag and the snake out of there, and let's get the match underway. How about it? All right, so we can pause now. So you can see where we're going here. So Huber's a heel. And uh, so we have this match. Huber refused tagged in. Lawler got doubled up the entire match. Finally, Jerry Calhoun DQ Wildside when they gave Lawler a stuff pile driver. Gossett and yelled at Calhoun and started calling him a lousy referee and fired him as the referee. So then we get the Blackbirds and Harold Harris. They come out. They have a six-man against Freddie. Tommy Gilbert and heel jobbers rough and ready. They refused to help Freddie, but Freddie went wild and Jason the Terrible came in to help him. <laughs> yes, Jason the Terrible. So wait, 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 wait! You're telling me that a a child molester horror movie villain is one of the top baby faces? Huh? I wonder who's booking. <laughs> the new ref of the rest of the TV is Honest Boss Winners, who manages Rough and Ready. <laughs> so Gossett's upset about this whole thing, so he announced he's going to bring in a tag team to rid Memphis of Freddie and Jason. Well, let's go to the clip of this. Okay. I want them up. Get them up. Jason. Well, let's step right out here. You make sure you keep them on the front of this. Freddie and Jason out here. The front. Make sure they get over here to the front of you. I don't want them back. I notice you're standing back very close to the curtains here. 
I'm going to tell you about this. I'll creature. tell you what, I'm going to step over here because they don't want you behind them either. Freddie and Jason, you guys together, and, and let me tell you, you so far you haven't promoter. been able to beat them. Let me tell you something. Eddie Marlin, the old fossil that used to do your promoting here, he used to book that he had this creature feature where he had Jason, Freddie, uh, the Undertaker, the zombie. Well, when you look for monsters and people, for, people from the Lost Lagoon, you pick the original monsters. And I'm not talking about your wife and your mother-in-law. I want you idiots <laughs> to take a good look at the Wolfman and Frankenstein. Roll that monitor. Well, there they are. Wolfman and Frankenstein. My goodness. I don't know where you Take found them. Take a good them. look, because that's what you're going to have to deal with. Are you, Wolfman are you worried they cuddling? Frankenstein? Are you worried? Yes, they, there's they don't seem to be each other in the closet there. They don't look there. worried to me. They, don't look, they, look like, worried? they don't look like that. Oh, they're not worried. Jason says Jason's no, upset. Freddie hasn't got any sense. A little high five there oh, from him. Lord. Well, uh, I don't think you've scared them like you wanted to. They're scared. To. They're just not showing it. Well, I don't think so. Now get him out of here. You know who has very similar mannerisms to Tommy Gilbert as Freddy? We'll see you in just a moment. Dan Housen. <laughs> right? The, 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 going to the break, it was a picture of the of Frankenstein and the Wolfman hugging each other. I was going to say, and Wolfman could have been Dan Housen in there, too. <laughs> very nice, uh, very scary. Any guesses on who was Jason there? I always forget who Jason was here. Slawler. In Memphis? Oh, it is. Okay. Here it's Slawler. Wait, is it always oh, Slawler or just here? At, th at this point, I'm a Slawler. Now, the original Jason in 1984 was Boris Zukov. So, wait a second. This whole run, whenever we see Jason wrestle, it's always Lawler? Mm hmm. It's just Lawler having fun. It's not even. It's because it's obviously not the gimmick, is that it's Lawler. No. It's just, yes, yeah, Lawler. Whoops, thought I made it. <laughs> well, I guess that's one of our show images this week. <laughs> Now, is it better with or without the championship wrestling graphic, though? I think the championship wrestling has to be there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's perfect. Dave said, <laughs> Dave about this is that, oh, Law doesn't spend too much time criticizing the WF and calling it a circus with a stunt like this. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, Law would get on TV and talk about WF, you know, and how they are, and, you know, this and the other. And then they do stuff like this. It kind of. Yeah, you know, you kind of don't have no room to talk, so to speak, you know, about stuff that Memphis has done over the years compared to WF. But a promoter's always got an excuse why. Yeah. You see, the thing is, is, and oh, yeah, you know. Well, that's, that, hey. well, that's what Cornette, you know, when people bring up Memphis to the Cornette, you know, and he talks, goes on his rants, you know, he always has something to back it up with. You know, to explain why Memphis was different. Yeah, and well, and that's hey, in in a way, what a gift of all the promotions to not have been bought out and to have such a question mark hanging over that so much of the footage is accessible. That of all of the promotions, Memphis is the one with all of this wackiness, with all of this craziness, with so much good and also so much so bad, but so endearing to its people that it lasted for as long as it did. 
you know, and did the ratings that it did. It's it's amazing of all of them. You know, that's the one we got. We got so much of the one of the wackiest promotions going. God love it, though. It, it, <laughs> I mean, it, it, I'm glad we did. Thank yeah, and just for Lance alone, just oh. for Lance alone. Yeah. So now the uh, black well, board. Do you guys black... know? Do you guys know what Lance's take was on other people in wrestling who thought Memphis had too much comedy? What was his take? No, you take it way too seriously and can't see the humor inherent in all of this insanity. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a great attitude to have. Absolutely. Black Barton, Dirty White Boy, Russell Cousin, Ju- Cousin Junior, and a mass Super Destroyer who also went and tag in. They spent the whole match doubling up on Junior, ended up beating him. And then Doug Gilbert comes out. Doug's been working mainly as a job guy lately, and uh, he challenged Lawler to a loser lead town match. Well, let's go to that, shall we? Come over here, an outstanding wrestler. All right, you certainly can. Okay. I want to ask you something. Have you got the power this week to add a match? Do I have the power? I'm Ronnie Gossett, first of all. Second of all, I am the promoter for the week. Yes, sir, and a very good one at that. I was looking at the spectacular, and there's only one thing I've seen. I'm in the battle royal, but I want to ask you, can you add one match for me, sir? You just name it, Doug. I want Jerry Lawler... A long time ago, a couple years back, my brother wrestled Jerry Lawler and Jimmy Hart, one of the biggest names that's ever been through here, two legends in their own right. Jerry Lawler beat my brother. Jimmy Hart had to leave town. So I want you to add one match, me and Jerry Lawler, loser leave town. No coming back under a mask. Nothing oh, like that. Definitely Nothing, not. Yeah. I can do Wait it. Wait a minute. Loser leave town? Loser leave town. No Loser leave town and we don't have the uh, Dutch Mantel thing, him coming back under a mask. This man won't come back. King, you hear what they're saying? They're saying loser leave town. I hear exactly what they're saying. Let me tell you something. said if you are the promoter, I am the promoter. This will be the first decent match you can sign. Let me tell you something, Doug Gilbert. You're just like no, your brother you Edgar. Yeah, nothing. I'll tell you this. No. You want to lose or leave town with a match with me? Yeah. That is fine, brother. God said, if you can write, I don't know who's been booking these matches for you, but if you can write, you write that down. You add it to the card. That'll be fine with me. I'd love nothing better than to get rid of you. Oh. Once you better time. believe I'll add it to the card, but there's one thing. We will need a special referee for this match, and I have someone in mind. Just one minute, and I'll be right back. Uh oh. Yeah. Don't start anything out here, Doug. You got your match signed. Mr. Goss has got up his sleeve now for you, King. Special referee. Hey, I don't care who he gets for a referee. Let me tell you something, punk. You might as well buy yourself a ticket out of here right now because you're going to be gone just like your brother and just like Jimmy Hart. It'd be nothing I like better than to get rid of you. <laughs> what is this? Wait a minute, hey. Gossett. What are you trying to pull? If the Dutchman tail could come back under a mask, why can't I? Bring a Jody, man, oh, yeah. a Jody Hamilton has, assassin mask. mask. I am the special referee for this match. I am your mystery referee. Hey, you're the one that better get a ticket and take right out of town. You better get your Greyhound bus and join Dutchman tail because you will have a referee, mystery referee. 
And here he is, King, and there's going to be no coming back under no mask. For six months, you're going to be out of here. Have you got that? You better listen up. Do you hear what Mr. Gossett said? He said you're going to be out of here for six months. Ronnie P. Gossett under a mask. He is not going to be allowed to referee that match. Oh, yeah. He's a promoter this week. Hey, where have you been, huh? Did my mystery referee come You're out here? You're a mystery referee. It's all fair. You beat Lawler, he leaves town. Six months. You're not refereeing the match, Gossett. No, the mystery man is refereeing the match. There will be no coming back, Lawler. No coming back, King. Take the high trail out right now. Special referee, the, the mystery man. Book. Matches book. That's exactly right. You're very welcome, Doug. I couldn't have done it for a nicer guy. I, I hope you don't think anybody believes that mystery referee. Mystery business. referee, very for special referee. Now let's continue on with first-class wrestling. Our next match, we have a great tag match: Doug Gilbert and Gary Albright coming out. All right, yeah, well, that's an interesting tag team, no doubt about it. It is an interesting Gary Air Albright and Doug Gilbert. Outstanding tag team. <laughs> who, who you got against them? Against Texas Dirt and his partner, Rodney Naper, who is rated in the top uh, 300. <laughs> All right. Texas Dirt, or I might say Dutch Mantel. You may say Texas Dirt, which is who he is, under the mask here. Climbing up in the ring, and uh, Rodney Napper, his uh, partner. Well, you, uh, I, I don't know these. So, oh, <laughs> I wonder what happens. Well, N Napper never tagged Dan. for the whole match double teaming on Texas Dirt. Of course. Now, Dave ended up getting fired by Rodney during all this stuff uh, and in the ensuing angles for uh, insinuating that. Uh, you know, Ronnie was the mission referee, so there's that too. The next match saw the Master of Pain, the future Undertaker, team up with midget wrestler with face paint called the Little Road Warrior against two job guys, where MOP destroyed one of the jobbers and had the midget pin him. And then at the end of the show, we have a heel celebration ceremony. So let's go to the clip. Always great to have the heel celebrate. Yes. Do we have birthday cake? Do we have noisemakers? Do we have party hats? No, not that. Not that type of celebration. Just, it's a Memphis celebration, all, though. They're having a good. They're having a good time. Standing here with two outstanding tag teams, my wild side, the Black Bull Harris, the former world champion. Mass so wait, so we've got Mark Starr, Chris Champion, Ronnie P. Gossett, Brickhouse Brown. Is that Iceman Parsons? Yes. Who's the manager? Harold T. Harris. That's who I would have figured. And The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> blessed. Absolutely blessed. <laughs> yes. Extra pain. Tell them like it is, Wild Side. Let me tell you something, Rock and Roll Express. You got me and my brother, and you got two of the greatest tag teams in the world of professional wrestling, the Blackbirds. We're going to finish you off. Ain't nothing you can do. Ronnie Gossett's promoted for a week, and baby, we're going to make money. We're going to put people out of here, get some real talent in this organization, what it needs to be done. Ain't that right, Mr. Gossett? That's exactly right. All right, Master Payne, tell them what you have to say. Well, I got a busy night ahead of me. 
Let me see. First, my big man, <laughs> little road warrior. He's gonna beat that little man, Bill Dundee. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the embarrassment that he's gonna have to deal with when he walks all through those airports and say, "Hey, aren't you Bill Dundee? Didn't that?" Little man is this a syndication only segment? Yeah, it doesn't seem like yes. But that's it. It only gets yes, started. Yes, it is. Okay? It only gets started then. Then, me and my boys here, and along with who else we got? Oh, well, we got Black Bart to probably be there. Oh, yeah. And a few other guys. We're gonna, Doug Gilbert's going to be the hitman. Hitman. Yeah, 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 yeah the hitman. And Dirty White Boy. Yeah, we're going to have a battle royal, you see? And it's going to be all of us and one Texas dirt. <laughs> and then, and then to top it all off, we got, we got Buddy Landell, Black Bart, and myself against the King, <laughs> the King, and 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 Frank Morrell. Frank Morrell, What a team! Frank Morrell back to the home. I'm gonna break Calhoun up and use him for two picks, and I'm gonna send Jerry Lawler on a long trip that he won't. That's long overdue. Iceman Parsons, tell him about it, Birds. Let's hear it. Well, look, yeah, I'm going to let my manager say what's on his mind, then he'll bring it back this way, you did. Look, we whipped the Rock and Run Express all up and down the bloody state. <laughs> but not only are we going to get a chance to break a foot off into somebody's butt, we're going to break four of them off into somebody's butt. Wait, Harold Harris is supposed to be British? <laughs> yes. We're going to whip on them like He's not, like though, Leona. right? <laughs> we're going to beat them like their dogs. Tell them about it. Yeah. I think he actually is. <laughs> you know what, Rock and Roll? You got which one way to go, and that's out of town. Your chances of beating the Blackbird <laughs> is slim and none. And slim is at their bus station getting a ticket yeah, so they can get the hell out of Memphis. What is it's he saying that got muted? They claim that we short-changed them on some money. $5,000. Now, just because you went out and blowed it on them 12 and 13-year-old groupies, don't get mad at us, you understand? Did he just say, just because you out there blowing all those 12 and 13-year-old coochies? Blowing it on those 12 and 13-year-old coochies. The house ain't got time for this. Wait, house, is he, house will lay right out to you. <laughs> Brick ain't Rick. Hey, Brick, don't give a shit. Go no, ahead. Who, who is he technically cutting a promo on here? Rock and rolls. Yeah. So you have a wrestler in the Tennessee Territory cutting a promo about how the Rock and Roll Express are going down on preteen girls. Well, no, they're blowing their money on them. Oh, I thought he said blowing on. Okay. Well, he still said 12 and 13 year old coochies, though. Yeah. That's pretty cut and dry. Oh, you, you don't need to be blowing no money on 12 or 13 year olds for any reason. Not yeah. unless they're he, your he, daughters. He, there's okay? no way he meant hoochies, right? No, well, same thing. Go ahead. I mean, not, yeah, it doesn't really change much, it's just more explicit. <laughs> We and bricks weren't Batman shorts. Don't be lying. It's if 1989. You take $5,000 out your you-know-what. Right. Make sure you get to. Like Mama says, <laughs> you rooted pooch. It bees that way sometimes. Well, I can see we're out of time. And this is Ronnie P. Gossett, your promoter, saying good Bruno's time. Alabama, Thank you for right? joining the best in championship yeah. wrestling. I hope to see you yeah. again Oops. real soon. Keep those cards and letters coming in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a 
and they didn't even finish finding out before everyone started corpsing. That was a great posse cut right there. <laughs> oh, man. So what was Love the it. big, quote-unquote, black segment on WMC that week that they had to cut out? Who knows? That they had who enough knows? room that they had to add something here. Maybe. Uh, who knows? We, we don't know. So... Yeah, it's not like we have a lot of WMC for this hour. Although apparently there's some out there that someone might be getting soon. But... Well, also, we'll see. I want more of cocky heel promo Mark Calloway. Oh yes, I mean, yeah, you he he <laughs> he was really fun and uh, the master of pain gimmick. Um, I mean, there's the the fake baby face turn that he did. Um, he did. He did a lot of interesting stuff uh, in in this character. It's the people's booger red right there. <laughs> and and God bless the Blackbirds. <laughs> Iceman Brick, uh, Harold T. Harris. Ugh. Gotta love them. All right, the Mid South Coliseum, August the twenty first, was billed as Ronnie's Wrestling Riots. We saw Black Bart beat Dustin Rhodes when Special Referee Dirty White Boy clotheslined Dustin. Wait a second. Is this card possibly where Brian Trammell got the name Wrestling Riot? Possible. Possible. Um, we have uh, the Midget Little Road Warrior beating Bill Dundee and what was billed as a Midget's match. <laughs> Jeez. When Special Referee Master... <laughs> But <laughs> Special Referee Master of Pain refused to count every time Dundee had Road Warrior pinned. And finally, Master of Pain clotheslined Dundee and put Road Warrior on top and get fast count. Master of Pain and Buddy Landell, who supposedly will be sticking around here for a while. Team of Black Bart to beat Jerry Lawler. And referees Frank Morell and Jerry Calhoun when the heels basically destroyed and pinned Calhoun. Lawler did beat Doug Gilbert in the Lose Leave Town match with Gossett under a mask as Mr. Mystery Referee. Dave believes that Doug will be standing as a mass wrestler, maybe a replacer for Jason or one of the other movie monster characters that are running around the circuit right now. And uh, other matches that not weren't listed here. Cousin Junior beat Gary Albright in the opener. That's just criminal. Uh, Black Bar beat Dustin Rhodes in a Texas Bull Rope match, which we mentioned. Uh, Jeff Jarrett over Dirty White Boy. Jason and Nightmare Freddy defeated Frankenstein and the Wolfman. And in the handicap match, the Blackbirds and Wildside defeated the Rock and Roll Express. And yes, Eddie Marlin got control back. And the next week, which we've talked about on the other between the sheets, was Marlin's Revenge, where they they did all this stuff over again, but reversed in a way. So Wild Times in Memphis, Tennessee in 1989. Absolutely. Some of the, the, the most fun, entertaining television you'll see in Memphis is in the 1989. Again, a, a, just a, a great year for pro wrestling all the way around. Oh, yeah. And speaking of, USWA. The youngest eight team show at the Dallas Sports Tour drew 500 fans as Billy Joe Travis pinned Sheet Braddock. Jeff Jarrett and Matt Bourne kept the USWA tag ties being Cactus Jack Manson and Al Perez when Jarrett pinned Manson. Chris Adams over Gary Young by DQ in the Kendo State match where Cactus did a run in and the Simpson family made the save. Eric Gambry captured the main event beating P.Y. Chuhai in nine seconds in a match where P.Y. Chuhai lost the Texas title and Embry put up his hair. 
The Simpsons beat Cactus, Gary Young, and Scandal Atmore on a Lights Out match by DQ when Sean was stood over top rope. This was all three Stuart, excuse me, all three Simpson brothers, including Stuart Simpson, who came in from South Africa. And Kerry Von Erich went to a double counter against Taurus Bulb in a Texas death match. That's always great, Mike, when you have a double counter in a Texas death match. Mm, Juan Reynoso, the, the Taurus Bulb. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... I can't believe it. So I, I don't recall Stuart Simpson. I remember this time of USWA, but I do not remember Stu Simpson being brought in from South Africa he to team up. Did he though. have? I don't remember he him. Did he have the curly hair and the, oh, the, yeah. the, the, the smile like the brothers? Yeah. He had uh, brown hair. Yeah, he had brown hair. He didn't have blonde hair. But he was even oh, smaller man. than his brothers. He looked like Brian Adias. <laughs> really? No more yes. cut version though, or uh, no? Just say a smaller, skinnier version of Brian and Diaz. Yes. <laughs> well, times were tough. So wait, is Texas Deathmatch ending in a double count out means they just brawled on the outside past a ten count, or it means there was a fall and neither can answer the bell? They probably uh, just brawled away. I don't remember. Um. I I know this was during that era where they were they were doing the claw the claw feud. Right, and this would be after he did the stretcher job for Bulba, right? Uh, yeah, yeah I think it would have been because I remember that. Yeah, the the uh, yeah the blade in the hand and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm looking to make sure. And um, this is a TV time. taping, right? Uh, yes, this should be a TV because we have people working twice. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, I'm looking here. Uh, let's see. Hmm. Maybe this did not air. I'm not seeing it. Am I? When we watch this stuff for the 80 set, I'm not seeing it in the stuff that we watched. Embry PY, I'm fairly sure, aired. Well, maybe this match didn't air. You know, sometimes that happens. But um, if there is a false count anywhere match, which I think was the playoff of this match. We watched that. Um, yeah, false count anywhere was on September the first. Then they wrestled again on September the eighth. They wrestled again on September sixteenth. <laughs> yeah, they they wrestled quite a bit in this era. Uh, so it's kind of easy to get them confused. Uh, I'm checking this one here real quick to see. Alright. Okay, now this was not the TV tapings was the 11th and the 25th. So there you go. So when was the quick win you got over PY that was on TV? Or am I just thinking of the other quick wins? They showed showed clips because, as in we're about to get into in a minute, you know, the banner match was a house show. That was not TV. I w- so I was actually about to bring that up because if you notice, most, I think most of, if not all, the footage they show from it is one camera. Yes, it was on the TV taping. It was the house show. Yes, and also mm-hmm. Mark Florence's commentary is very obviously dubbed in after the fact. And that was on August the 4th, so it makes sense. August the 4th, mm-hmm. then August 18th, house show. Every other week. Yes. 
All right, speaking of, Martin Lawrence quit as a TV announcer to become a preacher. Dave's not making this up. His replacement was Tony Adams, the wife of Chris, and it only took one week before they shot the angle where Atbar and his crew started beating up on Tony, and Chris, of course, went crazy. And he doesn't actually leave till May, so I'm not sure what's going on here. Well, he comes back. He starts, I mean, he's on the TV we're about to get into. So that's what I'm saying. So was he, he, was he actually starting seminary for this semester or? Well, I think he was actually going to quit and this they experiment. They basically it, saved, they basically begged him to stay on until they could find someone, I guess. I guess, yeah. Because <laughs> when he leaves, Clark Johnson's on the next week, pretty much. Yeah. Or on, on syndication, at least he is. Yeah. Um, real quick, yeah. actually, you didn't have this set up, but since it is the, you know, as a clip, I do want to play real quick, you know, not the whole intro, because it starts with part of the PY Embry match, but this is the first week of USWA TV. So I feel like we should play the intro real quick from that. Okay. Well, because it's not, it's no more world class. So, and I love the theme song, so. Wrestling Association. Hi, everybody. This is your old buddy Mark Lorenz from the Sportatorium in Dallas welcoming you to this debut edition of the United States Wrestling Association. And a spectacular card will enable you to remember this big date for a long, long time. We've got a marvelous main event. I'm sure we will. Um, also, at least in the graphics on this first show, the show is not called USWA Challenge yet. No. Just as USWA. But well... As Steve Beverly gets into here, then the new banners, very little has changed since the Eric Embry victory over P.Y. Chuhai in the name world class. And some fans confused because they thought Embry's win would bring an end to the At-Bar dynasty. That wasn't the <laughs> stipulation, though. Well, let's get into that. All right, so on this show, Eric Embry and Percy Pringle do their first promo since that happened. So they're going to be celebrating. So let's go to that clip. Look at Percy in this thumbnail, too. Yes. Now for our first and exclusive chat under the banner of the United States Wrestling Association. Eric, everyone's been talking about it ever since it happened. Hey, Bill Mark, that USWA over there on the wall looks a whole lot better than the world-class one, doesn't it? Hey. You know, Mark, I don't have to say, man, it wasn't easy, and there isn't any way that I could have done it if I didn't have you and every one of you. We're family, and we'll always be family. <laughs> you know, there's a couple more goals in mind, and I'm going to say the first one right now is P.Y. Chuhai, you got the Texas heavyweight title. Well, that belongs to my family, and I'm coming to get it. They like that. <laughs> what about Tojo, Percy? That little frog face, yellow spark plug looking. Wow. I could keep going on and on and on. But you don't know. After all the blood and sweat and tears, after all those sleepless nights, how good it felt to tear that better down, didn't it, Eric? <laughs> you know, Mark? Short, sweet, right to the point. 
thank every one of you. I love every one of you. Thank every one of you. And I'll do my best not to ever, ever let you down. And the USWA rolls on week number one. And we'll be back for our first exciting event. One of my favorite and wrestling TV show theme songs of all time is the USWA Challenge slash 1990 MLL theme. It's a good one. It's a very good one. Mm-hmm. All right, now let's go to Akbar and Tojo. Aren't as happy as uh, Embry and Percy were here. <laughs> Are they as happy as Frank and Wolfie, though? <laughs> well, we'll see. After the tag team event that got pretty out of hand, Tojo Yamamoto and Skander Akbar have joined us now under the banner of the USWA. Now you can kill it. What the hell do you want to call it? United States Sanitation Wrestling Association. <laughs> it makes no difference to me because Devastation and the Honorable Tojo Yamamoto, yours truly, will be here. And for every moment... That you enjoyed, Eric. You and that misfit person, Pringle, when you ripped down the world-famous, world-class championship wrestling, you will pay for each moment that you enjoyed. Because Toto has thrown in 50000 that he collected earlier on your dirty, stinking hide, Eric. And 50000 more... And all you stupid Americans can't count, that means $100,000 in a 38-day period. And obviously my phone has been ringing day and night at Devastation Incorporated headquarters. Tojo, I know with the alliance that we are, that we will overcome all of this U.S. sanitation, excuse me, wrestling association. Because, as I said before, Tojo, it makes no difference what it says up here. The general and Tojo will always be here. Always remain. I tell you what, Miss Eric Emily, you, every place you go and walk, you cannot sleep because me and Mr. Agbar, shadow, we be around your body. Every move you make, you even be afraid of us because I'm going to collect that $100,000 bounty, because this is not over yet. We're going to broke your leg, and the PYU and the <laughs> devastation, we're going to get rid of you, and once for all, hi. It's really worth $100,000 to you, isn't it? Exactly. $100,000 for all you disrespectful idiots out here, because you're going to see exactly how it's going to be done right here in the squared circle. Eric, if you thought it was tough before, you better go to bed with the USWA because you're going to wake up with a nightmare. No, all Yankee wrestlers, all sleep. Mr. Akbar and myself will never sleep. Always one eye open. We'll be back for our main event in a moment. <laughs> uh, by the way, for what it's worth, I did check newspaper listings. It looks like, for whatever reason, at least in the listings... The USWA Challenge for the former World Class and USWA Main Event for the former Wild West TV listings start the following week. So I don't know if the name change starts with episode two or what, but hmm. the na the name is at least in the newspaper starting. Excuse me, not the well, 
not the well okay wait is the one we have here mislabeled the date yes okay mm-hmm. so it's it is it's the, the date it was taped it's the date it was taped okay it aired on the so wait aired on the 18th or the 19th i guess and if it's saturday 19th what 19th yes so yeah it was the following weekend at least the newspapers start to refer to uswa challenge and uswa main event but so i'm kind of vaguely curious to see if if it's still called Challenge, or if it's already called Challenge next week, but anyway. But there you go. Another promotion having a hell of a year in 1989. All kind of crazy stuff going on there. But there's one promotion that's not having as great of a year. The American Wrestling Association. What makes you oh, say no. that? <laughs> the NBA tag titles are held up at the, were held up at their match on August 18th in St. Cloud, Minnesota, between Ken Patera and Baron Von Raschke against the Destruction Crew, who will ultimately wind up with the belts. It's some screw finish bullshit, stupid. So, mm-hmm. why they did it, I don't know. Who knows why? At least it's better than the high flyers have to vacate the tag titles because Jim Brunzel is vacationing in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a clip, a rare AWA clip, and uh, Sardis Slaughter vs. Larry Zabisco for the title aired on our week on ESPN. So let's go to the finish of this match and watch uh, what goes on here. Wrestler, not only do you have to be able to dish it out, but you better be able to take it. He's just trying through the cobwebs right now, yeah. Slaughter goes for the slaughter cannon, and he hit Gary DeRusha. Is it in Rochester? He took DeRusha out. Yes. And here comes Zabisco. Zabisco's all over Slaughter and Gary DeRusha. He's the one who got hit with a slaughter cannon. They don't really have the hang of how to shoot these when there's no one there yet. And thus the lighting is just very dark. He's got him. Sergeant Slot, nobody gets out of this. If Larry Zabisco gets out of this Cobra clutch, he'll be the first man I've ever seen do it. Referee Tom Burton in the ring now. One. Tom Burton? Yep, yes, that's Tom Burton. I think I realized he was a Gandhi guy. Sergeant Slaughter is the heavyweight champion of the world. It's all over. It's all over. We have a new heavyweight champion of the world. Say that Larry Zabisco was out 
He was an award no the it. championship to the brand new AWA heavyweight champion of the world, Sergeant Slaughter. That's Commissioner Joe Blanchard. All right, let's get yep. let's get a ruling now from the two referees. If I can get a microphone over here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me join our referees. Yeah, let me uh, free myself of this piece of apparatus here. Let me first, Gary Darusha. Let us inquire about your well-being, my friend. You took a pretty big knock. Obviously, Sergeant Slaughter of the Slaughter Cannon, he was going after Larry Zabisco, and I'm afraid you took the brunt of it. Everybody here wants to know if you're all right. Well, I don't know what happened. He... I come up to call Sergeant Slaughter on the ropes. Right. He can't be on the ropes. I don't know what decision you made, Tom Burton. As far as I'm concerned, the rules in the AWA are as follows. If any wrestler touches a referee, he is automatically disqualified. Sergeant Slaughter is disqualified. The winner of the bout and still heavyweight champion is Larry Zabisco. You cannot touch... Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. it says you cannot touch a referee sergeant slaughter all i know is he clotheslined me i am out i don't know what happened i like how the I don't commissioner was just ringside the whole time and thinks nothing of this. slaughter did not deliberately clothesline you i don't know what happened all i know is my final decision is larry zabisco is still the heavyweight champion of the world i am the referee in the ring this is I, what I call Well, I understand. Let me get Tom. Gary, I, I respect your position, but let me ask Tom Burton. Tom, all right, we know that Gary was hit by Sergeant Slaughter in the clothesline. You came in. It looks like it was an accidental knockdown. The thing that I saw was when he came out to check for the pistol, he was out. I went to match to Sergeant Slaughter. He's the new exactly. AWA heavyweight champion. So my final decision... Zabisco is champion. Well, wait a minute. We, in, our, in our negotiations, our negotiations and meetings that we've had with Mr. Blanchard, a championship match flow, he told us that the match should be continued. I felt it was my decision to come out here and continue the match to render a decision between either wrestler and in my decision, the wrestler who won was Sergeant Slaughter. Zabisco was continued. We've got referee Tom Burton who says Slaughter wins. Referee Gary Darusha says Zabisco wins. Joe, who is the winner? You are the president of the AWA. Who is the world's heavyweight champion? We're going to have to go back and study the tapes of this. I'm going to have to get back with both referees and make a, have a private right. meeting and to make a decision. But we're going to make a decision and do it very rapidly on this thing. But you're going to meet with Tom and with Gary, review tapes. And go over the tapes together. And the big the big thing is whether it was accidental right. as far as the clothesline was concerned that hit Gary. What? Okay. Well, uh, we're, 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 uh, I, we, got nothing, we can't resolve it tonight then. You'll Tom, Gary, you'll review the tapes. You've got the reverse angles. I don't know what to make of the situation. I know that Sergeant Slaughter... Fans leaving dejected on right camera. Larry Larry <laughs> they know what's happening. Because it happens here all the time. I am awaiting the arrival of Sergeant Slaughter, and for now, anyway, he is the new AWA heavyweight champion of the world. Now, you heard what happened. 
Gary DeRusha says no Has he been hanging out with Robert Fuller? Sergeant Slaughter, he knocked me senseless. <laughs> but referee Tom Burton, who went to the ring, said no. Sergeant Slaughter is the heavyweight champion. AWA President Joe Blanchard will sit down with both referees. He'll look at the videotape. A decision will be made. But here he comes. Sarge, at least for now. The, the new heavyweight champion of the world, Sergeant Slaughter. You know, I went into this match confident. I've been working and telling you, Zabisco. I had the Cobra Clutch oil the perfection for everything you can throw at me. And I did it. You went down to the Cobra Clutch. I did it. I'm the new AWA world champion. There's nothing you can do about it. You lost. I won this for every person that served in the military who died for my country. For those who haven't. For those who have served. For all the kids. All the wrestling fans. I did it for you. You're my champion. There you go. Um, okay. (laughs) For starters, they have Tom Burton do the exposition that Joe Blanchard had made a decision that Mm -hmm. if a referee was knocked down unintentionally the backup referee should come in and continue the match. Mm-hmm. It, it, obviously, so they rule this as an intentional clothesline, and that's why the belt goes back? That's what the first referee says. He did it intentionally. The decision is final. Well, technically, yeah, Harry Jerusha sh- said that he, didn't, he wasn't even sure, but he felt he had to DQ him. This when isn't it- good. When it comes to dusty finishes, you know, uh, finishes of this type, um, this is one that was definitely the dustiest. Well, it's, it's creative in a way because of how they did it, dragging it out. And, you know, well, the the had done that before and dusty did that once with Starcade 85, too. Yeah, but they weren't in the building to, you know, interviewing the referee sure. in the building. Yeah. Mm. Just yeah, but saying at least the fans know as they're leaving that Slaughter might not be the champion. Yeah, exactly. And they're, like you said, they were looking dejected. I mean, this is a this is a company this time that needs to be trying to build fans, trying to yeah. uh, propagate a fan base. And you saw they reacted when Slaughter won the match. They were jumping up and down. You know, it's like finally Slaughter wins the world title. And you look at that and you think, well, shit, they should have put the cut the belt on him. Couldn't help themselves. He couldn't help themselves with it. You know what I mean? Just it's it's right there. And like you're saying, just give these people a little bit of hope. Maybe 501 people come back the next time around. Instead, it's going to go the opposite direction because you just deflated them again and you just played bait and switch with them again. And what's left there, you know, after all this time? And it's just, you know, when your company is dying of cancer, I guess, sure, you can still play with the gun and see how many times you can shoot yourself and see if you can bleed out quicker. And that's kind of what they did over and over again, no matter what they say about, hey, we just couldn't create enough talent. They were taking them as soon as we were making them. Yeah, I mean, it's... uh... It's, that referee started sounding like Greg Gagne, by the way. He sounded like a Gagne when he was explaining that at first. <laughs> it was like, oh, God, it was chilling. Well, it's that Minnesota in him, you know? I guess. It? Oh, man, that's, yeah, we got to talk about Vern. Hey, <laughs> Emmy with the slaughter cannon, don't you know? 
See, I wish the stars were back, but that he's wild is pretty good. <laughs> By the way, can, just Kirk Cousins. Can we oh, just sorry, take a can we just take a moment to bask in kayfabe for a moment how Arn Anderson is so devoted to his craft that he gave his son the most Minnesota-ass name possible, Brock? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for people who don't yeah. know, his real name is Brock Lundy. Brock is and his real name. Brock Lundy. And we'll so, be talking... You, you, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, I mean, that's, you know, Brock Lundy, Brock Anderson, that's a great name. Gable Stevenson's a pretty mighty name. He's going to WWE. And we've got Bronson Steiner, which, you know, something about Rick Steiner's kid, I didn't think that there was going to be any doubt that he would, you know, kind of grow up to be kind of a badass. But when you got a name like Bronson, like, you better. And you're the son of Rick Steiner. You can't be growing up like Eric Watts. You got to live up to that name. Yeah. And maybe eventually we'll also be getting Wyndham Rotunda using his real name. That <laughs> probably I doubt that. But next, we'll be talking about a young Brock Lundy next week on Between the Sheets. But anyway, uh, that's oh, this week. that's right. Um, the Torch. First time the Torch has been on here. Scott Norton stopped wrestling for AWA as he's missed ten days for the past few weeks. He's only a quarter way through his two-year contract. It doesn't like he'll be returned to the AWA, and if he shows up in another promotion, there'll be a legal battle, according to AWA office man Dale Gagner, who said that he can't work for anyone but the AWA while he is under contract. There had been talk that Norton was going to go to the NWA and be the bodyguard for Gary Hart's JTEX Corporation, but it looks like Norton has totally quit the business. Oh, imagine if that would have happened. Mm. <laughs> Scott Norton in place of the Dragon Master and the JTS Corporation. That would have been a hoot and a half. With his back to everyone. <laughs> He's got a big enough back for it. I was going to say, you could have actually made that. That would have made sense that way, at least, and still would have kept him in the IWGP title picture maybe years later. Who knows how that butterfly effect plays itself out if that were to happen. But Scott comes back to the way not too long after this, so... Uh, Cooler heads prevailed. Flapjack. Flapjack Norton. The Fantastics, Jackie and Bobby Fulton, are set to worst three NWA dates, and they do. They have an interesting trajectory. As they, they're, they work in Memphis, they work AWA, and then they go and work in NWA at the end of the year. They were hustling. Yeah, they were. They were hey, taking whatever they can get. God bless them. So there you go. That's your AWA news. All right. A group called the WWA had a three-show tour on August 17th in Salt Lake City, August 18th in Pleasant Grove, and August 19th in Ogden, Utah. Carded out. Had Bam Bam Baylor versus Max Payne, Daryl Peterson, plus that jobber Tom Brandy underneath. Payne is also doing some public service say to no to drugs announcements. And since <laughs> it's 1989 in Utah, that's almost surely... Daryl Peterson promoting the shows. The show drew 150 fans on August 17th, Salt Lake City. Payne was scheduled to wrestle Bigelow, and Bigelow was there in the building signing autographs, but he never wrestled. The entire card lasted only 45 minutes. That's not mm. great. Not at all. And that's why you get your feelings hurt, then you rush through that show, and, you know, 150 people that actually did show up, you crap on them. And that's why... There's no wrestling to speak of. Nobody's going back to study. Al Getz ain't going to Pleasant Grove, Utah. <laughs> there's not a, a big independent wrestling scene in Utah 
either. Never has no. been, really. So. Oh, I just found a newspaper article about this tour. I wonder yeah. what their concession stands are like, Mike, because you know they can't drink uh, caffeine. Yeah. So you can't get no Cokes. Man, a lot of water, a lot of Gatorade. You can Gatorade okay? Yeah, I guess. Oh, my God, yeah. this is amazing. Big time wrestling to come to Utah Valley. Okay. This is from the Lehigh uh, Free Press in Lehigh, Utah. And the subheadline: you will see Dash Rip Rock in person. The Flintstones character? No, let me do a screen share, actually, of this so you can see who the hell this guy is. Um, I know Dash Rip Rock the wrestler. I know, I know okay, him. Okay, I, I had never seen him before. Dash Rip Rock? That's him. Oh, my. All right, so... Definitely, definitely ain't the Flintstones character. Yeah, Did he used to team up with Rick McCord at any point? You know, wearing that same <laughs> outfit? <laughs> I hope that's all they were doing together. Right, got a group of North Utah County wrestlers, including Chip Atkinson, Lehigh, from Lehigh, Daryl Peterson from Pleasant Grove, and Gary Golding from Provo, banded together to bring professional wrestling to Utah County. The U- newly organized Western Wrestling Alliance is the first move in an effort to bring big-time wrestling to the Valley. Wrestling matches featuring headliners Bam Bam Bigelow, Dash Rip Rock, Max Payne, The Annihilator, Intern Number 4, or is it Intern IV? It's got to be Intern 4. Uh, and the mercenary will be staged by WWA, according to a WWA spokesperson. I'm guessing that I'm guessing that's Max Payne's good friend Daryl working as the spokesman. Uh, anyone familiar to the grunt and groan business knows that Dash, alias Chip Atkinson, has been wrestling professionally for two years. Anyone familiar knows with wrestling knows anyone. He has taken on World Wrestling Federation wrestlers such as Big John Studd, one D, a six foot ten inch, three hundred seventy five pound giant tag team champs quote-unquote demolition and had his share excuse me his hair cut by brutus the barber beefcake chip pardon me dash has won his share of matches and doesn't keep track of wins and losses chuckling he says when you wrestle with the big boys you take your lumps and live and learn chip is a local athlete who grew up playing sports in lehigh from uh little league okay blah 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 drug free blah 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 say no to the drugs program quote this is to help little kids to let them know what's ahead for them in life, and to learn how to avoid all the temptations out there, Chip avowed. Our goal is to try and establish a place where people can watch wrestling without having to drive to Salt Lake City. We'll have our main headquarters in Pleasant Grove right across from the rodeo grounds. KBR will be a radio sponsor and broadcast live from the matches on August 18th. Chip wrestles for a hobby, and he's enjoying the ensuing glamour and publicity, but maintains his employment at Geneva Steel, where he's worked for 18 years. Anyone interested can call blah, 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 $5 general admission, six fifty ringside. He said it's a long story as far as getting into wrestling. Okay, whatever. And then also we have a little Max Payne profile that uses what magazine would this uh, picture and bio that they badly reprinted be from? Ooh, what is that? It looks really familiar. It what looks is like that? maybe a wrestling, a wrestling main, main event. You think it's PWI? It's like a Sky <laughs> Report type deal. But yeah. would that be overlaid over the photo, though? It could be. I don't know. And then but we anyway. have Pleasant Grove's Max Payne mm-hmm. to show wrestling skills. Uh, Goal is to educate the people here to become big fans of pro wrestling. Champion high school wrestler won a starring role in Takedown, a high school wrestling movie while he was still in high school. I didn't know that. Did you? No. Okay, I'm curious about that now. Enjoyed his part in the movie and the money he made was more enticing than school was at the time. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I met your background. Blah, blah, blah. Little League. 
says he could he would swim all day, blah blah blah, background, background, background. Pinned a kid from 2L and turned right around and pinned the defending state champion. Uh in the very next match he was pinned in, by someone else in three seconds. That was all a freshman. Okay, not much here. And oh, he's talk he talks about USWA. The pet well, Memphis. The past couple of years, has, he has been wrestling in the South out of Tennessee. He said the South loves professional wrestling. It's a way of life down there. The wrestlers would travel about 2,000 to 2,500 miles per week for their matches in the South. Mm. Mm. So there you go with that. Now, had he tried running his own promotion in Tennessee yet, or is that later? Um, not sure. I don't remember exactly when that was, because we never got the tapes of it. We only saw it on tape lists that... Was it, it was something like Max Payne's IWA in Tennessee or something. Anyway, Portland yeah. on August 19th, they had a going away party for Scott Peterson, who lost to Lose Leave Town match the week four. We skied by and the grappler interrupted and messed up. But before the mess up, Steve Dahl announced that Rex King would be the new Southern Rocker, so the two of them were former tag team. They said Peterson couldn't return for six months because of losing the match. Nah, those new Southern Rockers will never last. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Also in the card, Scotty wrestled Beetlejuice, our bar, and Madrill kidnapped the kid at ringside who dresses up like Beetlejuice. And finally, Beetlejuice went after him and lost the match by countout. He put smiles on people's oh, faces. Boy. Well, the Beetlejuice, uh, the, the story, it, you know, breaks like after a week. Oh, yeah. Wait but, a second. <laughs> Yeah, so we talked about that on a previous episode between the sheets too. Yeah, I don't know if we talked about any of the '89 stuff. Yeah, we did. We covered it. We did. Well, because I, <laughs> yes. what I remember mainly is our discussion from when all the controversy with him and WCW happens. Yeah, since that was our August most in-depth discussion of the uh, topic. August 19th in Portland also saw Steve Dahl be Al Madrill, Ritz King, Coconut Willie be Jonathan Boyd and Cowboy Lang in a snake box match. Scotty over Beetlejuice by Counter, Billy Francis over John Nor by DQ, and Carl Styles over the Grapple in a dog collar match. Billy Jack Haynes vanished almost as quick as he returned. He was over at her during the brief time he was around. That promoter Don Owen used him so he would have to publicly apologize on television, but still hadn't really forgiven him and was only going to use him for a brief period. <laughs> well, Don Owen got a little leverage here. So if Jack needed a job, had come back uh, groveling to Don Owen. So, there you go. But Don would always bring him back. Wherever he'd leave, he'd always come back. Funny how that works, isn't it, Mike? Where you have the guy, the local, you know, I wouldn't say legend, but I guess he would have been. He he, he would always be up like a problem, but they would always bring him back, you know? Hey, you're... Thunderbolt Patterson, you know, there, there's always, you know, somebody like that because you can always think you can make it work again. You can always, you know, you get two people stuck in their own mindsets, and even though they hate each other, they need each other. You know, Steinbrenner and uh, and uh, the Billy Martin, you know, type of deal there, you know. And hey, look, look, look at the loyalty sometimes from some of these men too, because the grappler. Cancels his Japanese tour, so he sticks around to try to help that thing. And God bless the grappler, one of the more underrated guys of all time. Well, for, he's booking too, you know. <laughs> that's exactly it. And you know, he's book, He's doing all this stuff, and he's trying to keep this thing going. And you know what? I probably would have went to all Japan too. Well, well Piper, yeah. me Piper was, you know, with him too. They were the bookers, but Piper's now heavily more involved in WWF again. Yeah. So 
he don't have the time to do what he was doing. Now, Chris, remind me, when does our week go through, or our partial week here? 17th to the 21st. Okay, because I'm pretty sure the first story in the Oregonian is on the 22nd. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. It's the day it's, we covered it, <laughs> so, the, that show we did. So what, when, when, what day is he arrested or charged or... It was before. It okay, was before he was arrested on the 11th, yeah. That's what I'm saying, yeah. So, so. yeah, so... Because we never, because I don't think we had the Margie Bull story when we actually did cover that week, did we? I don't. I, we talked about it, so we talked about it numerous times in numerous shows. So it all runs together for me, right? And we also there was also some stuff we did on the. Uh, I think we only did the Margie Bull 1994 story on the Patreon show about Art Bar, but yeah, there's there's a lot though, and it was all. I mean, the assault was only. A few weeks earlier, too. It was in July. Yeah. Well, to close the loop on a story that was previously talked about between the sheets a few weeks ago, former pro wrestler Vladimir Pietrov, a.k.a. Al Blake, has been released from prison in a halfway house and will probably be returning to the ring. Well, we well, got limited skill sets, you know. <laughs> coming back to that's a pretty good idea, sort of, kind of. So he did time serve plus two years, basically. Yeah, because we had, you know, the indictment on the show we did with Bo a couple weeks ago, and here he is, two, a little over two years later, getting out of the hole. And uh, he didn't return to the wrestling ring, so there's that. Uh, he would become more involved in bodybuilding because his wife was like um, a champion bodybuilder in Minnesota. Yeah. So he got involved in that with her. He may have been involved in some type of drug rings, but not no wrestling rings. <laughs> uh, who knows with Vladimir Pietrov, but what are your opinions on that one, Mike? The the run of Vladimir Pietrov uh, in 1987 in Crockett. Boy, it was, uh, eh. <laughs> you know, Khrushchev leaves and Nikita flips baby face and we're going to bring in we're going to bring in Vladimir Pietrov, and it just eh, it just didn't work. You know, he's do a big dude. It, do you think it would have went differently if John Nord, would, the guy that they wanted to be in that role, took, would have took that? No, because you know why? It would have been even worse because he would have been too over the top. John Nord was a character I think you could plug into. I don't think he could help himself where he was a Jimmy Valiant-level feud guy to me. He's the guy you team up with Barbarian as he's kicking in a guy in the face and you got Nord that husses around him and walks in a circle. Like, I've never been that big on him. And I know his size and everything would say, you don't do that with a guy like him. I think, in hindsight, you don't do a Russian. You know, you, you bring in somebody else for having to team with to try to get revenge because it just was so generic of this dude comes in. And it was like Korsita Korchenko. Did, I got the same feeling about him in the UWF where it was just, it was like Nikita worked and Ivan worked. Crusher even worked because, you know, you knew what that was. You know, it was just an American. He wasn't even faking it. You know, he was just, I, I turned my back. He wasn't even playing a Russian. You know, with Korchita Korchenko and with Pietrov, he just fucking sucks. And then, you know, they had the, like, Dick Murdoch was a better teammate for Ivan Koloff when they flipped him, you know, heel. 
even though that was a, you know, it was very jarring, but I thought, you know, Murdoch and Ivan Koloff were good together. And anything about at least at least uh, Pietro looked the part. Korchenko, you know. Oh no! Yeah, he looked like he looked like crap. And that the well, and I guess yeah, you American could say that as far as the hamburgers. stereotype. <laughs> yeah, he did love his hot dogs and hamburgers. You're right. I mean, Thomas Edward Gilbert told us that. Don't you believe Thomas Edward Gilbert? Excuse me, Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. Yes, but yeah. Two years in the slammer for a while, Blake, but he's free at this point in time, so good for him, I guess. All right, let's close out with the National Wrestling Alliance. Or as we should call it, for very specific reasons, World Championship Wrestling. Oh, my God, and I've never seen notes that screamed out more, and I know it's an overused phrase on this show. Maybe some would think that, but... WCW, everybody. I mean, it's the NWA, but my God, WCW, everybody. Real quick, do we know who came first? Us doing WCW, everybody, or whatever podcast it is that does because WCW? It was us first. I was was. doing that before, yeah. Okay. All right. Two of the strangest and almost inexcusable (laughs) technical blunders (laughs) occurred last week with the National Wrestling Alliance. (laughs) One. Most of you already know the Saturday World Championship Wrestling Show on TBS that aired on August 19th was the same program that had aired three weeks previous. <laughs> the second is that a major angle that was scheduled to air on the August 26th TBS show was never taped. <laughs> what happened on August 19th, according to the best information Day has been able to get, is that someone simply put the wrong tape in the box to air on Saturday, and so the wrong show aired. Complete with a match interview with Ricky Steamboat talking about his upcoming new DQ match with Lex Luger and with promos for house shows that have already taken place. Actually, Dave considers this a double mistake, and because of this, it's almost totally inexcusable. It took us all five seconds to realize this was the wrong show being aired. So how come, after the first commercial break, they didn't realize something was wrong and made necessary adjustments? To Dave, that's the real question. Not this being just one of those unfortunate mistakes someone put in the wrong tape in the box. Dave could go on and on right now about this being a critical time for the NWA and how to the public this type of mistake confirms what a lot of people that are fans are saying, but this goes without saying right now. Real quick, this is one of the things that drives me crazy about WWE Network. They never picked up their World Championship Wrestling airings and they had gotten up to June 89. So if they have this show, they better pick that up eventually. Because <laughs> this, as we'll get to more later, maybe one key segment on this showed up on a recap, but this show never airs anyway. To make matters worse, on August 16th, the tapings were held at Center Stage in Atlanta. They taped a show that was there on August 19th, which never did. And the best of days knowledge never will. <laughs> which, which was Rick Flair's first show as new booker. And set up a couple of angles that were taped later to schedule to air on August 26th. The major angle was a match between newcomer Dick Slater against Sting, which wound up with the great mood and Terry Funk hitting the ring, followed by Ric Flair, Brian Pillman. And during the ensuing melee, Flair got the branding iron that the heels had brought in and used it to break Slater's arm. The show that was taped for August 19th didn't air. The show that was taped for August 26th will air. Except that, for some reason. Somebody forgot to flip the certain on switch on the machines after a break, 
In the last 20 minutes or so of the program, which included the match and the angle, were never taped. They were holding emergency taping on August 22nd in Greenville, South Carolina, and Dane's guess is they'll try and recreate some of this or at least do something similar and get it in the, on the air in the 20 minutes of dead air time they have for this coming Saturday's TBS show. How? Well, we'll have more on that in a minute. Tommy Edwards, the longtime director of the TBS wrestling shows, was the guy who was blamed for the snafu on August 19th, which was a replay of the July 28th show. Edwards was suspended without pay and will no longer work in wrestling, but may be reassigned elsewhere in a TBS empire because that's what they do. Dave See, that's what they t- do was you, not Dave. Yes, that's me. Dave told TBS, got hundreds of phone calls about the tape mishap. TBS did realize almost immediately the wrong tape was airing, and they scrambled everywhere to find the right tape, and eventually did find the right tape, but not until about 45 minutes after the show was over. Okay, I have so many questions. Mm. One, how are these tapes even being filed? That not only was it the wrong show, it was one from three weeks earlier. And that it took them two hours and 45 minutes to find the right tape. Yes. I, there's, there's, no, there's no answer. I mean, I, I would love to know how it's just it's mind boggling and it is a fireable offense. <laughs> both of them, it, both are mind boggling and for them to be happening in the same time in the same well, week. Well, is something special. Well, also, well, 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 let's, uh, well, go ahead. Go ahead. How literally should we take Dave's description? Or, or should we be reading this as the box was correctly labeled and it had the wrong tape inside? Possible. Because then, because he keeps saying wrong tape in the box. Yeah. You notice that? Like that's what he's yeah. saying. And if we're taking that literally. I think that means that the case was labeled correctly and it had the wrong tape, right? Yeah. Does somebody do that on purpose? Just to just to, to be some kind of way if it's going to be around the time of Fuller's first match or first show booking? I, I don't know. And I playing mean, conspiratorial here, but well, when you run like clockwork for a long time, I mean, yes, incompetence happens, but boy, that's a high level right there for something like that on, on TBS. And also, I don't know exactly when that started. At worst, we're fast approaching the period where there is someone allegedly working as a mole for the WWF in the office. It's possible, but we're not done. Steve Beverly, now. No outburst of emotion in the t- year and two months of Matt Watch is when my phone line lit up during the WWE rerun Saturday. Most of you ask, how can it happen? As an ex-TV man... Steve can tell you it can, usually by computer error or by human error at smaller stations. But it's virtually inexcusable for it to happen on the number one cable network. And Steve expects some disciplinary action, possibly even dismissal of the guilty party. Steve was told it was a TBS control room error. It'll be difficult to correct because next week is a two-hour show and was to feature the nighttime date of Rick Stein and Robin Green to follow up on the daytime date you didn't see. On Saturday, August 19th, at press time, the solution was not settled. For the first time that Steve was watching TV wrestling from Atlanta in 24 years, he's never saw that kind of mistake. Also, so wait a second. On top of everything else, that show featured a lunch date between Rick Steiner and Robin Green that never aired... 
And if that's the case, and the other one was already shot, why do they act like Rick Steiner has never been on a date before? Maybe they didn't consider that a date. Would this would would this have been the zoo trip? Was there a whole skit of because, that though, or was it just in like a recap video? That was the recap. That could have been the whole skit of the zoo trip. Oh, that's true. Okay. Hey. Yeah, that could have been the whole zoo zoo trip thing. Well, also well, I did realize though too. While the big reveal, oh, it's you know, the woman we will soon call woman, you know, and now she's all glammed up. I mean, the thing is, when they show up, they are expecting Missy to have dolled her up a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like they're expecting. Yeah. No. So there, I guess there are different expectations for this date. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we got more. Ironically, the TV range for the Saturday show, which was the reruns of 2.0, which is better than some of the first run shows did. And the audience actually grew until the end. <laughs> <laughs> The power hour on all uh, people felt as though they had a familiarity with the shows, just something <laughs> about it that drew them to it. The power hour on it on the 18th, you're at 1.6. The Braves game that preceded it did a 1.4. While the main event on the 20th, which was Freebirds and Midnight's for the tag titles, drew a 2.5. Okay, so well, we talked about the ratings in the WWF section earlier, too. That also explains part of that rating, but it did grow throughout. Um, okay. How just in wrestling history period on that like on on cable just to keep it simple? What other examples can we think of of tape mishaps? Obviously, there are the other WCW ones, the multiple shows with segments out of order. The most yeah. memorable ones being um, the first sat the Saturday night the weekend where the Hollywood Blondes win the tag titles, where they show the clips before they say they're going to show the clips. Um, and the Thunder with Jeff Jarrett is one of the Vianos. I believe those are the ones that are. Well, there's, there's one in it. There's the 89 Worldwide that aired out of order. I remember that. It was I like forget the op- specifics, but I remember that. Yeah. So there's, there's, other, there's others. There's yeah, others. There's that. There's, of course, airing the wrong control center in June 94, airing one for Bash at the Beach that spoils the results of the clash. Those are yes, all the of you. There's that Saturday night. Amazing how most of the ones we can think of are all WCW. Uh, There's that (laughs) Saturday night in like 96, 97, where an entire entire Jeff Jarrett versus friend of the show, Scotty Riggs, match airs without commentary. Okay, here we go. December 12th, 1998, WCW Saturday Night. Conan did an interview with Gene Oakland that references a Chris Jericho interview with Gene Oakland that doesn't air until 30 to 45 minutes later in the show. WCW, everybody. Yeah, that's what I... I'm forgetting some WWF thing. Hold on, hold on. WCW main event, March 1st, 1992. And, of course, there was a commercial for ordering Super Brawl on pay-per-view. Super Brawl 2 on pay-per-view, which it was the day before. <laughs> and they and specifically uh, advertising see it live on February 29th, not replay. Correct. Or yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. I'm trying to see what else. We I feel have like here. there are others I am forgetting though. Oh, surely there. There's got to be. I mean, you know, look how many times during the the Russo era things were how dodgy they were. You know, let alone back in the day. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's so much. 
Um, yeah, I'm just. Because it's hard for me to believe that there were not, you know, local voiceovers that will occasionally screw up something for somebody somewhere. You know what I mean? That were done or on top of the fact promo, but that or that's a little different, though. I guess so, but it's you know, and that's so you know, even like you know, video screw ups of you know, sound on you know, matches not being there because of something that got screwed up. Where that maple leaf and i've seen videos like that where things got askew with what they were supposed to be editing in for a voice track and then there just ends up being none throughout the entire match right um one i just thought of not national but a famous one 1983 uh grand wizard dies before an msg show has already taped his local promos for the next msg show they catch it everywhere or, and I, you know, I think for other markets too, or they only had done MSG before he died, whatever. They catch it on the WWF shows, but not on the local WWF promos airing on Championship Wrestling from Florida. So you have the Grand Wizard, who is dead, talking about the results of matches that happened after he died. <laughs> it, and yes. That's why he was the Wiz, baby. And. Did you mention the November 1st, 99 Nitro Bix? Which one's that? That's Luger and Liz. Oh, where the where audio, they, oh cut. Yeah. The audio's out of sync. Oh, yes. The crew's visible. They forgot to cut away. All that stuff. We did. Okay, so we covered that on here. I forget. Yes. Did we determine that it was live or that it was a pre-tape? It doesn't, doesn't matter. It, it doesn't aired. matter. It was still, yeah. But it fucking aired. Levels of egregiousness, I guess. <laughs> but there, there, there are others that's not documented on, on Twitter. That's where I was looking at was Twitter. But anyway, all right. Back, so now Dave's giving his thoughts on this. There are a lot of things NWA needs to do to become perceived as major league alternative WF. <laughs> they do it on pay-per-views. They do it when it comes to providing action at house shows. Sometimes they do it on television. And some of the angles are very good, but sometimes there are weaknesses. But the same weaknesses they have in promoting house shows to a lesser extent pay-per-view shows are still there. This has nothing to do with the product quality. The NWA needs to have this hype for both its house shows and pay-per-view shows on the level of Titan and really exceed Titan for a casual viewer to get interested in them as a legitimate alternative. Right now, the NWA is doing a great job of satisfying a small, hardcore following of fans who are into pro wrestling for either the action or the brutality or maybe just into some of the NWA personalities. That core should consistently turn out in small numbers despite poor hyping of the house shows simply because they want to see the product and they'll find it and find out when it is. To a more casual fan, and you need casual fans to draw six-figure houses. The hype, and by hype, they means localized interviews to get over the action. In your hometown, and talking about why the stipulation of matches are taking place and explain what will happen, what to expect, and graphics constantly run down the complete pay-per-view shows, explain the background of these matches, and get the ramifications of these matches over. You can watch WF every weekend and see all these things done. The secret form of promoting house shows on television is hardly a secret, but it isn't done. Titan doesn't do localized interviews per se. They did mass market interviews asserting to Sean Mooney's segment, which appeared to be localized. But they are so over at this point, plus run so many cards, that doing the old-style localized interviews isn't feasible. It would help the NWA to do it the way WF does, but it would help them more to do it the old way. Because you can get over the show that you missed, they explain to the audience why attending each live show in the city is important. It used to be that the house show was the most important thing, and TV was used to set it up. Now, pay-per-view is most important. But in the Titan scheme of things, the house show is a close second. But watching NWA's television, the house show ranks a distant third behind the pay-per-view shows and all the television shows. 
God damn. Well, let me tell you something. I'm not saying that Dave is wrong at all there, but that was as close to Bill Watts running through Dave as I ever heard. I was waiting for you to like break <laughs> out that like, hey, gentlemen, if it's tape fist match, tape your fist. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But, you know, you read some, a lot of this early stuff in, in this this whole paragraph. And boy, does that sound like AEW compared to WWE right now. Uh-huh. Hey, <laughs> look. Hey, this is look, you got to you got to get in where you fit in and you got to do different things and you got to to hump and you got to do things right and things have to break your way. But, you know, sometimes you create your own luck and the NWA and then later WCW could not figure out a way to not take the bullet out of their shirt pocket and blow themselves in the foot or the head ultimately, you know, is where it ended up being. And then they, you know, long before they, they ended up shooting themselves in the head, they shot out the hearts of a lot of fans. And see where AEW is kind of coming up different than what the NWA is doing at this time is, you know, they're bringing in people that have been on WWE television where the NWA really wasn't doing that and had a major problem in that way. So they're getting that, but still, you know, this whole thing, the hardcore following of fans that'll watch no matter what, the the better action, you know, on television, the, you know, this, that, and the other. I mean, there's a lot of similarities to, you know, this right here, to what we have now. Of course, house shows, there's no such thing, mm-hmm. uh, especially yeah. for AEW, it's for WWE. But, I mean, there's no such thing as house shows, and it's a totally different business but you you are leaving out one thing that distinguishes the two that to a degree maybe would have been a wcw thing in 89 but not as pronounced as it is right now and this isn't right now it's not even the fault of the crowds it's how wwe's producing things AEW shows feel much more lively because you have these hot crowds Every time, and in WWE, even when they have a hot crowd, they've gotten so comfortable with the Thunderdome that they're most of the time turning down the crowd and just using the sweetening. Well, it won't be long for they're probably back in the Thunderdome. That's another story. Well, uh, and also, <laughs> for those of you who are doubting that, besides just that there are very obvious Thunderdome clips being used during these actual touring shows... Funny how all of a sudden, a week or two ago, and then they went back on it, WWE suddenly, after years and in an era where the live touring, you know, the touring live event industry really doesn't care anymore as long as you're not selling stuff, all of a sudden WWE had this no video policy. All of a sudden, (laughs) after all, after we started seeing clips on social media that showed how different the crowd noise was from what was on TV, huh? And and then they had, well, the one building they have to be in is a very strict one. The Emily well, Arena. No, 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 no. So Meltzer looked into this. And it's on their website, bitch. No, 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 no. <laughs> their policy was no uh, telephoto lenses, I believe, and no commercial photography. It said no video. I read it on their website. <laughs> Are you sure that was the exact policy? It was on Because I didn't look that deep into this, but what Meltzer explained was that their po- that the du- this was WWF adding on to the building's policy. Video and audio recording equipment is not permitted in the Emily Arena unless otherwise stated for a specific event. No, I Am- think that means professional. Emily Arena. It de- where's the word professional? 
There's no word professional bitch. No, not allowed in. There's if they're not taking people's phones. Doesn't matter. Do you get what yeah, I'm do saying? Do you need now? to make the distinguishment between cell phone video and proper AV equipment? They and and somebody tweeted me about it, saying they had the same problems at one of the Tampa Bay Lightning games. Okay, no, because remember the old WWF policy that Finkel would announce at every, the beginning of every show was no video, no commercial photography, but taking photos for yourself is fine. Yeah. So I mean, those tightened of distinctions have been made, but still, either way. But just getting back to where we were. The, and there was to a degree a, a, a difference between WCW and WWF at times is, is you know, crowd heat and stuff like that. Atmosphere. Right now, regardless of which action or storytelling style you prefer, the atmosphere on the AEW shows is far superior to the WWF show. But it's also catering to... You're basically feeding the catnip to your to the people. Oh, of course. I mean, but yeah, still. but here's the thing. I think they're feeding, feeding that catnip to the people, which you got to do. But I think you they gotta are keep happy. Well, that's yeah. the thing. I think they're the the rabbits are are getting the carrots, but you know, there's bigger things being dangled out there, and I think there they is. are. There I is. think they're doing an okay job with that. I mean, obviously, you know, we'll, we'll, well have to see the way they go. It's probably a good but... time to point out that we are recording this several days before. Uh, the first dance at the United Center. But it's also, I mean, who knows? I mean, who knows what's going to happen with you know when they when they add some of the bigger names is coming in. But they just got to, like a lot of times do not get too cute because they burn through a lot of things. Cody's burned through a lot of things. We've seen a lot of retro angles that you know in different ways that have been kind of spun through quickly. It just they just have to be careful because you can't be. It's like. There seem to be a lot of excited people there who live life very excited. Oh, and yeah. you just have to be, you got to be careful about that as you move forward. And that's, you know, I know I'm old, I'm a hater, I'm this, I'm that. It's like, no, I just try to be pragmatic about it. I'm, I'm, a lot of things are doing are great, but you do have to, there are caution points here. And there are things that, you know, tend to send the meter red, whether whether you like that or agree with that or believe that or not. It, it's all, it's in the case of every business, AEW, no different. And what WWE has done as I spun this show is they've cultivated a fan base over the last 20 years that WWE is the only wrestling that no one care about because and there see, was there was no Chris, competition. And here's and I this is a lot of times too now people of a different era when they look back as they get younger it's hard for them to have perspective where it's like none of this is new they sweetened everything they've tried to reinvent history. They, the I mean, there's part, a well. No, the new part is how much they're doing it during live broadcast. That that is yes, something obviously, they were but it's doing that much. That's before. true, but it's a, it's a new spin on something that they've done before. And I think you know, I think sometimes oh, people move, sometimes lose years. some. Yeah, yeah. It's sometimes they lose people will lose perspective because they just they don't you know they they don't it's it's not something they they know something's going on but they don't have a handle for what was exactly going on before. And I think sometimes it just gets a little bit. You know, I don't know. It gets a little bit too much there. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, that's back. so let's go back to the NWA. And we go to a week later. Now, of course, this is uh, not in our week per se, but we have to put this out there to get it known. Well, it's follow-up on the story from our week. So Yeah. yeah. Last week, 
Dave mentioned they had lost the Sting Dick Slater match at post match angle, and lo and behold, it showed up on television. What this hasn't been confirmed for Dave yet. What Dave believed to be the case is that they lost the actual footage that was taped, but did have the actual film from different cameras, and they re edited the original footage back piece by piece and put on the original soundtrack. If you notice, the sound's about a half a second off the match the whole way, but you had to listen close to notice any problems. And the match and the angle aired after all. Oh, oh God, I wish we had that bumper music for you can't do that on television. They, they, they would have going out of a bit. That would be perfect for this. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so if what Dave heard is at least somewhat accurate, the suggestion is they were trying to do live to tape, right? Using a switcher. Yep. The recording of the switched version was not turned back on for the main event or whatever, or first things later, whatever you want to call it. And what they, they went back to the raw footage from the individual cameras, which were recording them on their own. But whoever did it did such a bad job that the audio desynced. Oh, it's a Tommy Edwards, the gun to his head. Why was why was this not switched? Who was supposed to be doing this at the time? So at least well, they yeah, again, at least yeah, if that's what happened, if, if that's the case, how and that's what this suggests. I don't even know any other way to interpret this. How would no one know that it wasn't recording? Uh, and I just see it's bizarre. And again, maybe there's more to this that we never heard about or, or got a hold of or anything like that. But yeah, it just. There's a lot of it because Dave goes on and obviously you're going to say, you know, talking about the the live baseball broadcast. But it's like in this case, there's so many things where you ask questions on, OK, did you know this immediately? Why didn't you check this immediately? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Or if they did, you know, exactly what the timeline was. And unfortunately, maybe a lot of that's probably lost, you know, forever to time. But, yeah, there's a lot of questions you ask on something like this. Well, I just watched Sting and Slater. Um, as you guys have been talking and, um, they, if, if that's what Dave said happened, they did a hell of a fucking job because everything looks like it's, it's, it's normal. All the camera angles are there and multi-camera shots. The audio track was on point. I don't know where Dave got it his It does from. not seem out of sync in the version you're watching and, no, if if not I, at all. If I were to pull mm. this up, so this is what the Randall G upload of a Dick Slater versus Steve yeah. When, when, and when Mamuda and Funk run out, as soon as they show up, I mean Ross is saying their names. So, I mean it's it seems like everything's on point here, you know, in every way. The, and the I bumps have, don't seem it, to be out of no. Sync. Okay. When Steve throws Slater to the floor, I mean it, it's it, called. Right, about right but then, the yeah. The sound of the bump does not seem out of sync with when he lands or anything. No, huh. which yeah, that, I mean, that happens. God knows, I've heard it on many wrestling shows. Yeah. Over, so yeah, I don't even understand how that necessarily happens in the analog domain. But but anyway, so yes, everything did air, so they didn't lose this one. They just lost other stuff. But there you go. That we said, everybody, but. These things also happen elsewhere, as Dave knows. Do you think these technical scripts only happen with pro wrestling? Well, apparently over the weekend, the Oakland A's and Minnesota Twins had a televised game out here, and somehow the wires got crossed. And for an inning or so, the A's fans in the Bay Area instead heard the play-by-play of the Twins announcers. 
Ted Robinson and Jim Cott. Hey, it's not a bad treat for a little bit there. Who was doing the A's games at the time? Not not bad to get a, get a little mix up there. I like that. Oakland A's TV <laughs> announcers in '89. Oh my God, uh, I wouldn't know who who was doing the uh, the games. Okay, hold on. Uh, we got it here. Let me let me find this. I. And as you're as you're doing that too, it's like you know, hey, you know, that's different. That's hey, we're we're doing it live uh, now. That does happen. Well, it's Monty, understandable how Monty, that would happen too. Monty Moore, who was the longtime Oakland A's announcer, and Ray Fossey were the uh, main announcers. I'll be damn Ray Fossey, huh? And Bill King was a radio guy. And if if those of you that don't know Bill King by name, he's the guy that did the Raiders games. If you watch NFL films, you always hear. That guy on the the the, the guy the radio announced for the Raiders, the legendary Bill King. So yeah, he did the A's baseball games. So there you go. All right, um, Dave headed down to Chicago this past weekend, which is the main reason why he missed the UAWF convention the week before. The for what? the Chicago, the UAWF fan convention. Uh, the, what is what uh, what does that stand for here? I was not oh, Mister uh, uh, something Pendell, something of wrestling fans. It it, it was the John Gallagher uh, thing. As I was hoping, it was like the United Auto Wrestling Vans or something like that. It's... <laughs> but I believe this is the one, because yeah, it's Chicago, and I think this is the last one. This is the one where, if I remember right, they were going to work with the AWA. There was some snafu with Dale Gagner coordinating everything, of course. And <laughs> last minute, Gallagher had to make some kind of arrangement with Windy City, who I think happened to also be running a show that weekend, and um, tried to make the best out of it, and it went pretty well, but I believe that's the last US, UAWF convention, and the story that always sticks with me, and it, I believe he gave all the details in Wrestling Forum at some point, was Buddy Roberts was living in Chicago at the time, possibly in his car, and... John reaches out to him about appearing at the convention, but he demands some kind of booking fee. And John is like, no, you get a table. You can sell gimmicks. And Buddy's like, okay, sure. <laughs> well, anyway, Dave was in town for the Chicago Bears preseason game. It's and hard to negotiate from a point of weakness, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and the NWA show and to do a stint on Eddie Schwartz's radio show on WGN radio. You know, the first question Dave was asked was, what did I, do you think of the Jim McMahon trade? Oh, that was a controversial thing at the time when Jim McMahon was traded by the Bears to the San Diego Chargers. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, the show was fun. It went something like four until 4 a.m. So, so you want to hear about Dave getting lost after the game at Soldier Field or all the airline delays he had, which got him home eight hours after a scheduled arrival, which laid the issue a day. He, we'll stick to the wrestling show, which is a good show, an excellent main event. <laughs> and why is Dave in Chicago, you may ask? Brad Muster, of course, plays for the Bears, one of Dave's best friends at the time. So and if you don't you believe that, just watch Chi-Town Rumble. Yes. Where they're sitting right, so just just listen to any number of just listen to any number of Wrestling Observer radio shows where Dave mentions <laughs> Brad Muster and that, did you know Brad Muster was a friend of mine? And then tells you stories about Ric Flair's and limos and such. Yes. Uh, Wait, Dave, Dave was friends with Brad, Brad Muster? Next thing you'll tell me is that Ryan Satin's dad worked in television. <laughs> the NWA showed USC Pavilion August to enter about 3,600 fans at a $43,000 gate, which isn't bad considering the TV didn't run in a scheduled time slot for the previous two Sundays prior to the car. 
are, are, are we to assume that's a sports preemption or something? Baseball. baseball. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But still. Yeah, I think they 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 weren't on WGN at that time. I think they were on the uh, the other station that the White Sox was on, which I can't remember what that is. It seemed the crowd was mainly the hardcores who go out of their way to find the TV show and know about the live cards. It seemed real pleased with the show itself. Well, here's the card: the Ding Dongs, Richard uh. Sartain and Greg Evans beat Big Al Green and Trent Knight at 7:45 when <laughs> Ding picked up Dong and dropped him leg drop style in the night for the pin. Do we know which the Ding was Dong- Ding and which was Dong? <laughs> I don't remember. Even though the Ding Dongs were the bay face, the crowd taunted and booed them unmercifully. Dave was embarrassed a bit for the guys because they were tar and really aren't that bad work-wise, but the crowd hates the gimmick, and they didn't bring any of the bells with them. Oh, you just think of Bob Cottle right now, like, there he goes, Jim. I can't wait to get his hands on Dong. <laughs> for work, it was a decent opener, but the crowd didn't like it. One star. So I was curious... <laughs> I pulled up uh, what Jason Campbell's site has for Chi-Town Rumble because I was curious how the attendance and gate compared. Okay, so what Dave has for this house show six, exactly six months later, because it was the 20th, right? Chi-Town Rumble. Mm-hmm. So exactly mm-hmm. six months later, I don't know if there were any shows in between. They did 8,000 fans. Sorry, this is loading oddly for some reason. Um, they did 8,000 fans is what I guess was reported in The Observer. But a $68,700 gate, which sure makes it seem like this house show crowd is mostly paid, whereas Chi-Town Rumble had a lot of, excuse me, paper. To they ran August. Than... Go ahead. They ran, they ran April 15th, no crowd listed. That's where they taste some TV at. May 28th, no attendance. June, no date, no attendance. And July 11th, they drew 3042 paid. Mm-hmm. So, so they went up July. They yeah. did. Um, no gate for that one that you see. Not on. Not where I'm looking right here. No. Okay. Oh, yeah. Trent, Trent Knight bailed out of uh, Atlantic Coast there. Yes, right. And the Nelson Roll drawn. He's drawn the house. But it's interesting <laughs> to me that they did more than double the attendance for Chi Town Rumble while doing significantly less than double the gate. Yeah. Of this house, Ron- so a lot of paper. Ron Simmons pinned Brad Anderson, some of former wrestler Gene Anderson and the future Zam Panzer at 525 with Arn Anderson's spine buster move. Good pacing, and Simmons is quite aggressive playing the heel. Simmons has really improved, star and a half. One of those wrestlers is best known. One of these wrestlers is best known these days for taking liberties, and the other is Ron Simmons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Forgot about that story yet. And that, oh, God, yeah, that's right. But, yeah, the, the, the Ron Simmons, Iron Sheik, weird team thing that they had going, oh, man, it was just it, no bueno. Was that <laughs> There's a reason all that time? worked out the way it did. I thought that huh? were, was that pre-Ebony uh, experience that he that Simmons was. They're, they're, they go at the same time. Uh, they're, they're, they're simultaneous. All right, Brian Pillman pinned Norman the Maniac, no longer Norman the Lunatic. He's been promoted. What? In 505. Yeah, you remember that? No. That was all Terry on Thrill, where Teddy Long said he's the Maniac, not a Lunatic anymore. Yes, they they dropped it quickly. Uh, match was slow early with Norman trying to get his character over by throwing tantrums. Pillman did some hot moves with his comeback, particularly a drop kick up top, rope, body slam, a suplex. After Mr. Rock kicked, Norman to go with a crunch in the corner, and then a splash, leg drop, but Pillman kicked out. Norman collided with Teddy Long. Pillman pinned him with a fine body press. 
After the match, Lawler was slapping Norman around, and some fans were warning Norman to hit him back, but Teddy held up the big keys, and Norman backed down. It seemed to be hitting a Norman turn, but they just think that'd be soon. Two stars. Okay. So, I forget, is it Clash 8 or Clash 9 that has their famous match? Pillman Clash... Nine? Okay. Well, that was New York, right? Was that New York? Well, quote-unquote New York knockout in... Yeah, okay. New York knockout. Yes. So that sounds right. Let me check real quick. As I what month is that? That's November. November. November yeah. Okay. Um, it's fall brawl. It's the fall brawl. Fall brawl. Yeah. Okay. The reason I mentioned that is the thing that Meltzer points out in the Observer covering that clash is that oh, and gee, I wonder who told him this. Uh, Pelman specifically told Mike Shaw before the match not to work like Norman, to work like they work together in Calgary. So mm. the fact that he specifically told him that there makes me think that one of the reasons their matches are not being as well reviewed at the time is that Norman is trying to work like a scary monster heel in a way that is not conducive to having good matches with Brian Pillman. Yeah. All right. The Steiners down the New Zealand militia. Jack Victory and Ripper Morgan. In 11:15, when Jacko and Ripper, when Scott Penn Morgan, some comedy, many good wrestling. Scott does some amazing moves, the best of which that flying head scissors type move that they can recall. <laughs> Raul Mata used to use out here. The Steiner's three times Mata's size and does it just as well. Someone mentioned today the character Steiner Brothers are playing is out of the Smothers Brothers, who have been TV stars in the 60s. Three Jesus. stars. What? <laughs> what? Oh my God. <laughs> He's seen the Smothers Brothers comedy hour, right? I don't I guess... remember Rick and Scott doing Mom like you always like you best promos. Who would have been their Pat Paulson then in that case? <laughs> I mean, oh my God. Scott was sometimes incoherent on interviews. God bless him when they would do the pre-tapes and he'd like mumble something for the intro of the show. And then, you know, Rick would ah, like, I guess... I guess he could be Tommy. I just, I, it's kind of insulting to Tommy, well, also, isn't it? Well, also, aren't there only like three seasons? And by like the end of season two, they're just full on lefty tree hugging hippies. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that, do, that <laughs> doesn't strike me as what like uh, Scotty and Robbie were like. No, I, I don't think so. But I'll say this as a kid that was 13, about to turn 14, there was a level of badassery, especially because like Rick, I had watched for so long, like, you know, at that point, he'd seen his entire career, basically. And so, like, to see him and, like, his brother roll down, and they're both wrestlers, and I can I relate to that. And they got Missy Hyatt at their side, bouncing down and ringside with them. And I couldn't really relate to that, but it was really nice to think about at that age. And they had the dog, and Welcome to the Jungle was playing, and it was like, okay, this is fucking awesome. And <laughs> that's what I think about the Steiners from that time. And there was a lot. I love the tag team era. I liked I liked that era of wrestling, even though all the, the shittery that took place on the business end of things, they had a lot of really cool people in the Steiners. You know, they never got a handle on them for a long time, and maybe they weren't going to be able to just because of their personalities. But damn, they were pretty awesome. Well, so WCW from like April 89 to February 90 is business aside, which isn't all even their fault, well, the wrestling side's fault, um, is just fantastic. I mean, it's it I just go, I go further in February. Uh, well, so wait, when does when does Oli take over? Uh, really? May. 
Is it really that late? When does Flair resign, yeah. though? Flair's resigning in March, doesn't he? Yeah, because yeah, but... things are still good because they're doing good numbers in January. Is that when that stuff Flair was resigns? Yeah, F- February. Flair resigns in March, but still, it's still a lot of the same type of stuff going on until Ole fully takes over in, in May. Okay, mm. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but anyway, so, oh, how about Scott Steiner doing the Mata head scissors, huh? Yeah, the Frankensteiner, so, yeah. The, I guess it was not his finisher named yet. By all yeah. No, 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 so no, no. So his no, finish no. is still the belly to belly at this time. Kind of, sort of, yes. Yes, okay. And I think by the time he's doing it here, it is the Frankensteiner as we know it. Mm-hmm. But when he started doing it in Indianapolis, though, it was just a regular Hurricanrana or Mata Head Scissors. Yeah. Yeah, because like, I, had, I had always wanted to see... Um, you know, that Scott Steiner, the early years tape that was in the Aftermags, and uh, oh, why am I forgetting his name all of a sudden? The, the guy with all the great... Uh, I say great, but the guy the with great all the great nice stuff. No, but the Dave YouTube Dynasty? Oh, oh, Dave Dynasty, yeah. Yes, very nice guy. He has that up on there, as well as the Bloodiest Matches video that Steiner's on, and the big thing they always advertised it with in the Aftermags, or in the other magazines, was that it had the first match where he's the Frankensteiner, but it's it's just a regular Hurricane Rana. So, yeah. I don't know if he first... I don't think he did the Frankensteiner as we know it in Memphis, did he? No. No. So, yeah, he doesn't do the Frankensteiner as we know the Frankensteiner until WCW, and probably around this time. Yeah. All right, Dr. Death Steve Williams pinned Wild Bill Irwin at 345 when Irwin tried to slam into the ring, but Dot fell on top of the pin. Nash was fine, but too short. Be a good match. Star and a quarter. The Freebirds. Michael's Jimmy Garvin kept the world tag titles. Be the Midnights in 1224. Cornette popped both guys with the bracket early. Body of the match saw them get heat on Sam Lane, but the action was only so-so. Finally, Bobby Eaton got the hot tag. Things picked up. Jimmy distracted the referee after a flapjack, so he didn't do the count. Soon after, Jimmy tripped up Eaton, coming off the roads, and hasted the DDT for the pin. Two and a quarter stars. Staying over Muda by DQ in 9-11 for the Heldo TV title, which with the DQ is still held up. It is a nice spot during the match, considering the ability of these two in a short match. It was pretty slow, disappointing. One nice sequence saw Muda work left arm for a while, then Sting tried to make a comeback with a press slam. But the arm gave out. Muda fell on top for a near fall. Finished off Sting had the Scorpion on with Gary Hart interfered for the DQ finish. Sting chased them both away with a few clotheslines afterwards. Star and a quarter. Wow. It, yeah, that's a very it, house show effort. <laughs> it does not sound like a Sting Muda match, no. No, that's expectations high and them mailing it in or working something out or doing something there that went askew because usually Gary Hart, I mean... Yeah, Sting at that point in his career was pretty good, you know, well-seasoned. But Muda, like, he was a pretty good ringmaster at ringside and one and a quarter. Ouch. You can't do that in Chicago. I mean, you might could do that in some small town, but you can't do this in Chicago. You got to go out, you know. Especially with the expectations they had set. Like, think about what that pay-per-view match they just had a month earlier looked like. Well, and that's been something, too, that, like, I think as years have gone on, you know, because, look, Great Moda has got you know, from people like me who thinks he's one of the, the greatest Japanese wrestlers of all time. Certainly the ones that have come to the States, him and Masa Saito, and even Tajiri, I place on a different plane than a lot of other people. But it's like, you know, he 
he did have a lot of off nights and you hear Arn Anderson talk about him, what he was like to deal with when he was younger. And there were, you know, he was not, he was not Mr. Perfect out there night in and night out. (laughs) And he's so, I mean, this type of stuff, I guess really doesn't actually even surprise me because as time has gone on, I think we've gotten more of a fair, you know, showing on how Muda has been not only here, but also obviously his business successes and failings in Japan. Yeah. Lex Luger kept the U.S. title pinning Wildfire Tommy Rich using the Trunks 1115. Similar to their TV match, but not as good. Luger got mainly cheers and vocal cheers when he came out, but does a good job of turning the crowd. Nobody cares about Rich. who couldn't rally in support, but Luger has turned into a good enough worker to carry a match like this to be in better than average, keep a complete audience reaction levels very high, two and a half stars. Well, Can I a ask popular you guys a- heel is one of his. Bellicates. Go ahead. Yes. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> Can I ask you guys a question? Because you came, you know, after me as far as age goes, but not too desperately far. You know, I was a little kid. I, in, even in the first grade, I was getting wrestling magazines, and yeah, Tommy Rich was on the cover of them. And I, the Buzz Sawyer stuff was big. But even though he was NWA World Champion, there was even a feeling then when I was like, and this is 84, 83, 84, 85, that like, this dude was almost like a unicorn and he somehow passed his prime and, you know, seeing him in the AWA and stuff like that was different, but seeing him in the NWA, like it was always hard for me to wrap my brain around Tommy Rich until a lot later on in life and understanding wrestling a lot more as a fan. It was just like, he didn't get any, nobody did give a shit about Tommy Rich because he was never presented he was a former NWA champion, but he was the only one who was never any anything special. Because he had a short reign, but he was special in so, in different ways. I mean, he was special to a certain crowd, but that crowd also saw him get really old at the age of twenty seven years old. Yes, and that was the damn. That's the damnedest thing is like by the time it got to me, that handoff where there were some other names that transcended. Boy, Tommy Rich is like he hit a wall and he's always a guy that you stare at because he was on so many magazine covers. But like there wasn't the reference because for me, Pro Wrestling Illustrated was the that's the one of record for me that, you know, so it's like Mil Mascaris, Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, you know, Hulk Hogan, all of those names. And like Tommy Rich is on so many. And it's like, yeah, he, he's the one that doesn't fit. Now, as years go on, you understand why. But it just. As a fan, you know, much less by getting to this point, 89, 90, that it's like and, and much after that in WCW, man, it's just a terrible fit. Seeing him in Memphis or the AWA or something like that is different after this. But him in, you know, on TBS, it just I never got it. Well, the thing is, is here, especially he's coming off his run as the lean heel for Blackwell's promotion but also when he's in the absolute worst condition he's ever been in, he was really on on drugs. And he comes back here as a baby face. And to his credit, it, it took him a, a little while, but to his credit, by like spring 90, he's in the best shape of his life. I mean, he lost all the weight. He, I mean, he, he got really slim and trim. He tanned. I mean, he looked like he was 33 years old, not like he was 53 years old. Yeah. I mean, so he, he really, but the problem was by that point in time, 
his push had went down. He was a mid-card guy, you know, and just doing stuff like that. Here, he's getting the U.S. title run with Luger. I mean, he's getting a, you know, a really good program with the hottest heel in wrestling, and he's just not there. If this would have been a year later or the 1990 Tommy Rich, yeah, I mean, it would have been a whole lot different. But Tommy Rich is one of those guys where he he got too too big too quick and he's one of these guys when you i mean he wasn't young young i mean when he won the world title he was almost 25 years old so it wasn't like he was you know 18 19 years old he was 20 almost 25 which is still young but people had seen him on tbs for so long well yeah so when did Ole start mashing the, the deal with abdullah was what 70 77 seven yeah so seven and 78 when tommy really started taking off and uh, he's starting getting pushed higher and higher on the card and at 79 you know he's 23 years old and that's when he's really getting it and 80 of course is when they put the skyrocket on him you know and do the whole big angle of idol and the harley thing and blah blah blah, blah. so yeah he's 23 22, 23 years old when he's starting to become the major national star. And he, I mean, of course, he left for Memphis for uh, six months in 80 and early 81 and comes back and gets in these major feuds on TV and stuff like that. But the fans have seen it for a long time. He had been in the territory off and on for basically seven years in Georgia on TBS. So, and in 83, it was. It was bad. I mean, he was in terrible shape then. You know, that's when, I mean, he gained a lot of weight. He was ha- he was on TV wrestling matches in T-shirts and jeans. I mean, he, he was not in a good way. That is, it became that sheepdog haircut and everything. Oh, the dark circles under his eyes. Dark were, circles you know, under his the- eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, that was not a good time for him. And uh, when fans see something like that, you know, it's like, look at it, you know, when Britney Spears had her, all her, you know, issues in 2007, what it was, when 2007, when shave her head and all that shit that, that was going on back then, you know, t- I mean, Tommy Rich was kind of, kind of like Dude, that in a way. You know who's fascinating to go through and you watch the evolution of their face and their body and their posture and how they carry themselves is go through and put together Jimmy Valiant from the time he was in the earliest footage you can find. And then you put it all together chronologically and boy, you can see some times where things were living great and other times were living great. Got you to look like that. <laughs> well, Hans, Hans, what you want to see? I mean, look at just watch 79 to 80. All right, look at Handsome in 79. And I think it mainly starts when he gets sick with tuberculosis. That really took effect on him. And he never was, was the same. Hepatitis. Hepatitis. Yeah, hepatitis. hepatitis. Not TB. Hepatitis. You're right. Well, yeah, but, and then, then that's a, even, a, a, you know, I didn't even think about that, but that you factor that in as well, too, and how, you know, the the, the color and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that that added on top of it's something else. He wasn't a, nearly as cut again after that as he would have been in early 79 working in, up in Memphis. And you would look at him in 80 in Memphis, and he's he's still in good, in good shape, but he's not cut. He's, he's, he's starting to get thicker. And uh, yeah, he's another one like that. Absolutely, slim down, the... swell up, get tan, not be. It was yeah. <laughs> when was the deal where Jarrett bought him a house and he gave his notice by giving the keys? When was that? 
Well, that would have been eighty-one. Okay. Because did he go back to the Carolinas? Because he did the the King James yes. thing, and then yes. went back to Memphis, and then yeah, yes. they brought him back, and he was he was the boogie woogie man after that, and mm-hmm. yeah, That's it was on history. from there. Yeah. All right, Ric Flair paid Terry Funk in 1858 to keep the NWA title in an incredible brawl. This was a better match than Baltimore. A lot bloodier and overall more brutal. Funk bled from his chest from the chops from the beginning, which they guess shows how stiffly these two have been working nightly since Flair's come back. The heat was incredible most of the way, and they used chairs, ramped heads into tables, the post, blood flow, light wine, or something like that. Flair bled really bad, and Funk bled from the head and chest. Finished saw gear up at the brand iron in the corner. And after the rep up, Funk went to run Flair into it, but Flair reversed it. Funk went for it into the pin. After the match, two continued to brawl over the place until Muda came out. And of course, Sting followed. They brawled over the building. Four and a half stars. Okay. With him saying it's a better match than Baltimore, do you think he's including the post match in either of these or only Bell to Bell? The post match included, I'm sure. Yeah. Gotta be post-match included, I think, too. So if he's saying post-match included, then that it's better than Baltimore. That sounds like quite the match. Well, hey, maybe they look. They is, is, is Sometimes you try to refine something and try to remake it, and it doesn't work out the same. And, you know, but then again, maybe, the, hey, the, the, they got the choreography and the, and the spots more nailed down or whatever it was afterwards. And, hey, look, crowd reaction, whether it was or was or it wasn't, you know, to see that live at that time, to be able to relive that of, hey, I saw that in Baltimore or I heard in more in this case, I heard about what happened on that show for everybody that didn't see the pay-per-view. Then you get to relive it and that, you know, automatically is going to kick it up a notch and make it feel a hell of a lot better, that atmosphere. And that's mm-hmm. coming from somebody who was there in Baltimore because that, yeah, I'll still swear up and down. You look at that card in hindsight. Is it one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time? You can blow holes into it. You know, we've had so many of them. But it is for the, the longest of all time. Well, I'd say for the longest time, I would still swear up and down that it is. And it's still the one I go back to. Um, I'm going to mention this here real quick because who knows if we'll ever have any other time to talk about it. I was going through the 1991 Matt Watch Annual slash Matt Watch Farewell that has the big summary of, you know, all the big year, big stories of the Matt Watch years, including some information that uh, had not previously been published. And there's this account that Steve gives of a conversation with Eddie Gilbert. It was when Hurd turned his criticisms to Flair that a tremor started. This is, I guess, at a booking meeting because it's Hurd and Barnett pointing stuff out. You know how Hurd is. This is Eddie talking. Sometimes he'd make a comment, and you just didn't know whether he was joking or cutting you down. He told Flair, you know, you'd think somebody who had 15 years in the business would know not to brawl outside the TV lights. Flair just blew up. He told him he had it with his crap and was just going to leave right then and there and go to work for Vince McMahon. He was giving his notice. And then two days later, they smoothed it over. And that was when Flair became the booker. Hmm. There you go. All right. Uh, the Road Warriors beat the Samoa SWAT team in a steel cage. The possible follow match like the previous one, but this is action filled 943 and good throughout. Ending when Hawk pinned seven with their clothes on top rope. Before the match, Polly Danish made a crack about Jim McMahon, which got a ton of heat. Actually, his delivery was even better than in the line, which is something to the effect of after one day in California, McMahon found out just how lo- lousy Chicago really was. Three and a quarter stars. So at least those two matches, you know, bolded home for this house show. So yep. sounds like good shit. Now, Dave says special thanks to Dr. Lucha Steve Sims for putting up with him all weekend, oh, which yeah. couldn't have been easy. 
Could have been easy considering the Friday night radio spot lasted almost until dawn and Sunday we pulled an all nighter and he had just come off a similar weekend and the like with the wrestling convention. They've also got to meet the amazing Way Keller of the Pro Wrestling Torch for the first time. And his friend, Dennis Esparum of the Seattle area, and Chris DeVisa from the Detroit area, and Lance Levine, the chokehold, and a few folks from Wisconsin, and several Chicago area readers. By the way, Sims was named Fan of the Year by the UAWF. And Ray Webby, who does a wrestling radio show in the Minneapolis area, was at the show. Along with half a dozen members of Chicago Bears, including Muster, tied in James Thornton, defensive back Maurice Jackson, that should be Maurice Douglas, and quarterback Jim Harbaugh, who is friends with Brian Pillman. Ironically, the next time in the NBA Chicago is September 17th with Flair and Funk and Hostile Texas Step Match, which will be the same day as the Bears face division rival, the Minnesota Vikings. I don't know <laughs> if I could rock with Jim Harbaugh. And uh, we did that week, and Fle- and Dave was at the game and the wrestling that night. So we did that on show 217, for those of you who want to go back and listen and to that. So. Was that an actual Flair Funk, or was that Flair Slater? Um, I think it was Flair Slater. I'm trying to go back to is make that sure. Into September, <laughs> I think Funk is out with the staff infection. I'm looking now, and it was Slater. Yeah, a Texas death match. Okay. Um, and Murdoch summoned for Sting against Muda. Okay. So, 25-22 at that show, 1859 paid. Uh, wow. <laughs> um, so I perked up at the mention of Steve Sims there because, okay, look, we love Dr. Lucha, but... He, did, he has had habits of disappearing and the like over the years. Um, I found this particularly interesting because this is the week after the UAWF convention where infamously um, in a rush, Jamie Ward, I believe it was, asked Steve to take care of returning his rental car. He did not. <laughs> or returned it Oops. late. I forget which. I'm assuming it's returned a, it late because I de- kind of doubt yeah. it at all. So... <laughs> There is a non there excuse me, there's a much greater than zero percent chance that Steve was driving uh Dave around in uh JB Ward's unreturned rental car. Now um this is the first time Dave and Wade met. Yeah. Uh, which I, you know, that's a the a, amazing a, a, Wade Keller. The amazing Wade Keller, yes. And Wade is uh, how old? Wade's like 21, too, at no, this time? No, he turned 18 in May. Oh, wow, okay. So he... So Wait a second, so Wade's not that much older than I am? Wade My was God. born May 22nd, 1971. I'll be Dan, only five years older. Hmm. So yes, when he's when he's going on the tour of Titan Tower with Dave and Arezzi and Lano and... Who was the other person? Was it Jeff Katz? Not Jeff Katz. Um... Not Jeff Katz, Larry Katz, maybe? Larry Katz from WCBM, yep. Yeah. If, if, if it was him, that would make sense it would be him, yeah. So when Wade's going on that Titan Tower tour, SummerSlam weekend in 91, which is 30, 30 years ago the weekend we're recording this, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Because, right, because mm-hmm. wasn't, wasn't John Rezzi posting about that convention this weekend? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... So yeah, when he was on that trip, he was twenty. Wow. 
Which also explains why Wade Keller is the one that is the biggest shitster of the group in the various accounts of that oh. Titan Tower visit. How could you say such a thing? <laughs> I mean, look, we love Wade, but this is, you know, his brain is still five years away from being fully developed. And and sometimes when he names someone the Torch Turkey, he calls them on the phone and says, gobble, gobble. <laughs> that's, well, that's, you know, I have my thoughts on how wrestling media and, and journalism has evolved from over the years. And, hey, it, it came from an interesting spot. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> he's learned, though, at least. Some some never do. No. All right. Um, newcomers to NWA include the State Highway Patrol, Dwayne Bruce and Dale Veazey. Wait a Ass. second now. Dale Veazey. Ass. Yes, that's right. About that ass. The Cuban assassin, Dave Sierra, Top Gun in Oregon, as mainly jobbers, plus Brad Armstrong, Dick Slater, and the Atlanta tapings on August 16th. They had Kevin Kelly and Benjamin Franklin Peacock, Boss Wanna Beast, real name Ben Peacock, come in for tryouts. Peacock was supposed to be a giant talking black. But they booed him out of place when he was trying to be a baby face. And Kelly got little reaction. Oh, that's not a fair evaluation. Lots of guys don't get much reaction when fans don't know who they are. Jesus, I can imagine what exactly. Uh, man, I'm I'm just well, trying okay. to imagine well, this. Here's the th- so is this a WCW idea or a Ben Peacock idea? Because from the description, it sure seems like whoever's idea it was, he's doing a Roosevelt Franklin from Sesame Street kit. Possibly uh, mixed in with rerun from what's happening. If that's some people's point of reference or something like that, I can only imagine what it is. And it jive talking like jive talking like Isaac on the love boat or jive talking like huggy bear or what, what, what like jive dusty, talking are we going for like here? Like a Thunderbolt Patterson, Tom Shaft. Oh, say like they're talking on airplane or whatever, or yeah, bolt. <laughs> like the jive <laughs> wrestling promo style. <laughs> Is up to here. Is that does that count as the jive promo? I guess I know. the Black Dusty Roads promo. <laughs> it's just to anger every black listener out there who here who absolutely hates Dusty Roads. Of of there are many actually who 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 don't like Dusty for obvious reasons in their minds. Yeah, controversy. Yeah. Um. Tom Zink and John Nord are supposed to be heading in as well for the end of September. Well, one of them does. Uh, Cuban assassin already did John Rick Flair in the Power Hour. Take to Charleston, West Virginia on August 14th. While Brad did TV jobs for Flair and Luger at the August 15th TV taping in Cleveland. Which, an interesting note on that, as I've said on this show before, Brad Armstrong is the only person in history, probably, to have shots at the World Heavyweight Title and U.S. Heavyweight Title on the same night. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty that, awesome, actually. That, those were TV matches for the titles. I believe David Peterson laid down for Ric Flair, but uh, <laughs> there's something about that that match. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It seems kind of random, I guess. Well, Flair, again, well, I guess Ric Flair was match. a baby face. Well, Flair, Flair was in that time. Or it's like Dave described it. it, it, it this is the Ric Flair uh, three star TV match era where he's wrestling everybody to three star yeah. TV. Yeah. Where this Cuban assassin, Bill Irwin. I mean, he's wrestling everybody, and he's the booker. I mean, he's just he's he's having good TV matches with every with just about everybody that's on the roster. Yes. So yeah. also, 
something getting lost in translation that they're called the state highway patrol when they're very obviously supposed to be state troopers. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Um, Gary Hart will now manage Funk, Muda, and Slater as the JTEX Corporation, Japan, Texas. And they'll wind up being with Flair, Sting, and Pillman, who's about to get a big push. Well, Pillman doesn't get into that as a regular. So, sadly. They start planting the seeds as far as him being Flair's protege, but that's about it. And then they shift him to Luger. So he, yeah. he, so he gets relaxed, which that's a great view for him, but. He's not in the Flair Sting scene. And then maybe he would have went back to that, but Arn comes back. So, you know, the horsemen should have been Flair, Pillman, Sting, and Arn. They didn't need Ole in the ball, but I know why they did it, but they didn't need him. No, but you could use Ole as just that figurehead. Exactly. Yeah, imagine Arn and Pillman as a tag team. You know? And then them all jumping on Sting's back, you know, would have made it more palatable than have Sting. <laughs> Again, th- well, that remember, whole storyline is... Well, well, think about this now. Pillman didn't have to be on, in on it either. You could do the horseman split th- th- that way, where Sp- uh, Flair and Arn attack Sting. Flair and Arn only attack Sting, and Pillman, they want Pillman to join in. He doesn't do it. So they attack him too. Sting gets hurt, but you've already attacked Pillman. So you could do Flair Pillman at the pay-per-view instead of Flair Sting. Well, also the fact of the matter is that until they get shorthanded. No, but also they get shorthanded is the only reason Oli starts wrestling again. Oli is a manager for most of that run. Like, there are a bunch of different things you could have done, but the whole thing's ridiculous anyway because... They they change direction like two weeks after they start the whole new horseman thing. And your yeah. booker is Rick, Rick Flair. So yeah. there you go. Yes. It appears Oliver Humper Nate will be brought in as a manager to Samoans, or at least he's leading candidate. He does. Paul Daniels should stand with the promotion, although Dave has no idea what his new role will be. Though it's rumored he'll become Jim Ross sidekick on the Saturday TBS show doing play by play and collar. Oh, the big kahuna. Well, Paulie doesn't get in that role, and Paulie leaves. Because, because he, he gets tired. Tra- well, well, yes, and then he throws a trash can in his general direction. Yes. The key to Koloff. He was going to kick Flair's ass. <laughs> sure. The key to Koloff hasn't committed yet to returning. Not here. To the AWA does. <laughs> yes, and he works one taping, and they use that footage for like the next year. <laughs> yeah, you thought he was a regular. Uh, Axel Butchery will be returning and will probably wind up as a tag team with either Mike Rotunda or Kevin Sullivan, while the Iron Sheep, Rod Simmons, Cuban Assassin will form a top-level jobber trio. Okay, and thankfully, this kind of doesn't happen. Um, well, Butchery could have been in the varsity club. Yeah, he played well, so could have Ron Simmons if they wanted if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I just want to say this about David Peterson. There's a lot of uh, negatives to WWE being on the Peacock Network and just the existing in general, owning the tapes of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. But the fact that they would put on the in lieu of promos that happen to be on some of these reels where we get to hear promos from guys like Jim Dalton. We get to hear some of the worst promos in wrestling history from men like Keith Larson. But occasionally a guy like David Peterson early in his career, the Cuban assassin, would actually uh, actually have some gems every once in a while. They couldn't hold a whole 
two hours and 30 seconds, two minutes and 30 seconds, but uh, you could see where he was developing into something. Guys like that, the Landells, there's a few where it's like, okay, you could see, you could see real early on who was going to be good at this and who just was never going to be good at it. He, yeah, you watch him in Portland. He's fantastic in Portland as a promo guy, but yeah, he can talk. Absolutely. Wasn't scared of the camera. That's the that's step one. It's where a guy like Vinny Valentino, who already looks weird anyway, then looks even weirder, looking scared into the camera. Kelly. Like, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, Kelly Kaniski. Kelly Kaniski. Yeah, you cannot be afraid of of that. What's looking back at you, Rotundo? A lot of times too, the same or way, and then that by, would yeah. slow him down even more. Michael's like that for a few years there in early career. Yeah, uh, Rob, real quick though, because when are we ever going to talk about this? Since Val- Vinny Valentino came up, did either of you guys see the thing that Ben Strawn tweeted a week or two ago? About the song? Yes, that in his Kansas City run in like 87, he had a custom yes. Vinny Valentino entrance song. I thought yeah. at first it was like the Maritimes. It would, no matter what, it was going to be amazing. But then I was like, wait a second, Kansas City? <laughs> it just it blew yeah. me away. It was crazy. I remember that. Oh, yeah. Vinny I don't remember Valentino, that at all. Vinny Valentino. I tell you what, it, that's the one thing too. I miss I, there, and I guess it would have already been put out there if anybody actually had home team wrestling or home team wrestling, home team sports, the 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 Mid Atlantic Sports Channel that had the Capitals home games and the Orioles home games and all that, and they would play a lot of wrestling, including ACW and Central States. You know, a lot of Central States, especially when Crockett owned it for that time, but even after that. And I guess if anybody recorded anything off of there, it would have existed. But, like, there's so much Central States that I want to watch. And I know it's awful, but I just want to see it just to see how awful it can be. Because, again, there's sometimes like this where it's like, holy shit, Vinny Valentino had custom theme music. And it's just bizarre. And then on the same show, Bob Geigel is 974 years old and he's getting his shirt ripped off by Rip Rogers. To reveal a sweater. To reveal... Oh, an old man's sweater of the most epic of proportions. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, the Memorial Hall is lit like there are 30 people here. Of course. Um, Robin Green will turn into the Fallen Angel on television this coming weekend. There are many who are saying this is going to be a hot angle this fall when all is said and done. It will lead to a natural rivalry with Missy Hyatt, which may be an out-of-the-ring rivalry as well. Well, yeah. She did. That's yeah. turn into Fallen Angel in a way. Well, I guess because she has loose association with Sullivan, it's supposed to be kind of understood that she's Fallen Angel, if you're familiar with her. But... They don't go all the way in that direction. Although, a few years later, um, sometimes when she and Kevin were working like international tours and indies and stuff, there were a lot of times she worked in the woman gimmick as Fallen Angel. Yes. Because if Mm -hmm. she was with Kevin, even though by that point she was only doing the evening gowns and stuff, if she was with Kevin, she was usually Fallen Angel. Yes. Yes. But no. Do you think they should have called her Fallen Angel? Hey, nah, woman. I don't was think fine. it. I don't think it fit. It would have fit. No, woman was fine. 
No, in Fallen Angel too. I, I just because you know, and yeah, she would show up in the the PWIs and such. But mostly, I mean, obviously they were great fodder for the Napolitano, you know, magazines or or, or some of the you know the the not as slick versions of the magazines where you know she would have been doing. She couldn't have been woman and fallen angel, you know, to me. Mm. It's like, I don't think you could have did a new spin on fallen angel. She would have just been what she was before, where you could come up with a different name than woman. But I, I like kind of what it evolved to, where I guess it would be, you know, fall again. It's just another the, the second step well, to fallen you know angel. What? I, I guess. just realized here's why she can't be fallen angel. Fallen angel is subservient. Woman is the boss. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. And that's the whole thing is how can she be? what she would have been again again it just you would it's it's the evolution of that character i don't think you could go back to it yeah absolutely all right um tournament entertainment steve chamberlain announced that july 23rd baltimore bash did the highest ratings of any baby shows done so far so they I guess they're learning from their competition about how to announce baby figures Chandler reported the show did a 2% buy rate Ironica tbs reported flair steamboats for chicago did a 2.8 Reports we got for cable systems in a clay buy rate of 1.4, and winning to be official gave Dave a 1.5 as legit figure. And the pay per view grossed 2.3 million legitimately. Well, okay, wait, 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 wait. If we know the gross, how can why are we not just able to work backwards from that? <laughs> yeah, because they would have been how much at the time between what 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 were they? They 1995? did very more in that era, but I think. WCW shows were usually either fourteen ninety five or nineteen ninety five. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So be yeah that fifteen to twenty range then. So yeah, it shouldn't be. It wouldn't shouldn't be all that difficult to look back on that. Yeah, unless he means the Turner gross and not the overall gross. Give me one second. Let me see something. Okay. So the universe for havoc. Is how many homes do I have it here in this article I wrote? I might not actually. Um, about how many? Oh no no no! Million? It was ten million. It was no. Excuse me. I just realized because of the the stuff I have here. It was ten million universe for havoc. So if we go with a ten million universe for havoc, that means they did. Um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 140,000 to uh, 200,000 buys. There you go. All right. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go I was say, yeah, if you're going to hit a home run, <laughs> that's a good one. You know, at least they, on a show that drew well, they actually delivered. Oh, absolutely. All right. Uh, Greensboro drew 8,500 on August 18th as Bill Irwin and Al Green beat the Ding Dongs. Ron Simmons over Brad Addison. Pippen over Norman, Dr. Death over Mike Rotunda by Countout, Steiners over the Militia, Freebirds over Midnight, Sting going to 20-minute draw on Muda, Luger over Rich, and Flair over Funk, and Road Warriors over SST. Charlotte, the next night, drew more than 6,000 with the same pace of results. Report from Greensboro, as far as match quality, was about the same in Chicago, except Sting and Muda was much better in Greensboro, but told Flair and Funk was excellent all three nights. Okay, so that's interesting. You know, historically, we've come to realize... From the, I think initially we kind of had it in our heads at one point that Flair Funk drew well overall. Then it became more, oh, it was mainly just Baltimore. Here we're seeing, though, it looks like it picked up business in the Carolinas, at least. Yeah. Well, Flair's back. 
Yeah, that's the whole thing is Flair. <laughs> that run, he was he was hot, and and you know again until <laughs> everything kind of kept coming together and they kept stabbing themselves in the foot. You know, it did mean something when he came back, and that whole thing was really hot. Well, here's uh, something interesting about that too. As I was scrolling through that Matt Watch ninety one annual earlier, I don't think this was reported at the time. Do either of you guys realize whose idea the Flair eleven week hiatus was? Flair's. Mm mm. Any hmm. guesses, Mike? I don't know. Who? who, who, who no. Jack Petrick. Okay. Hmm. Weird, right? Yeah, I was going to say something like George Scott, but I, Flair wouldn't have went for it. I, I figured it would be somebody kind of unusual, but I would not have actually bet that Jack Petrick would have been the one. Huh. Yeah, and for what it's worth, we don't have attendance for all of the Greensboro shows in 89. But the last one we have attendance for before this is March 11th, which did 4,600 with Flyer Steamboat and Luger Dock on top. So, And look, the last time somebody saw Flair do this, I think, would it have been Slater and Orton putting him out before Starcade 83? So it was something that was familiar, but it was far enough, you know, removed where, you know, it still moved people again. I guess maybe you could look at it that way. Well, also, I just realized it's not just the feud. It's the first time Flair's been a babyface in the Carolinas in four years. Four years, yeah. So there's that as well. So, writing reviews. Now, yeah, absolutely. All right, now we'll close with uh, stuff from Matt Watch. NWA picked up uh, some significant new markets and upgrades in the past two weeks. WTTO in Birmingham, Alabama. WLBI in Boston. WNAC in Providence. The Fox affiliate in Dallas-Fort Worth. And more announcements. Steve is told our comic. Well, that's good. Gary Macapetta, Mr. Class of Ring Announcers, has been hired as a, on a permanent basis by the NWFTV and will share a road rotation with a new find, Tony Gillum of Fayetteville, North Carolina. Gary and Tony will alternate on Worldwide NBA Pro, and you'll be seeing either or both in your local arenas after September the 1st. And Gary has, what is it, about five and a half years there? Yeah. What's funny is you watch uh, those George Scott era shows, syndicated shows, and even after he was left, the local ring announcers, they're always a hoot. Oh. Even like, and even later, yeah, like the West Texas swing and, uh, you know, in the summer. I mean, there's some, there's some, some funny announcements. Doyle King. Doyle King, uh, yeah. Flex, yeah. So you get, you'll get the local ring announcers there for all the TVs. Well, and you Uncle had a before that, too. You had uh, and Uncle Ruby. Yep. Rhubarb Jones, but also you had uh, Ron Kirk at Clash 4. The yeah. Jack Reynolds tryout at Clash 5. Oh yeah. my, Russia. Jack Reynolds. <laughs> yes. God. So, oh. yeah, they had all kind of people doing it. Was and, Jack Reynolds ever good? Like, even no. like when he was doing local Ohio? No, no. Like... I, I, I've watched some 1975 IWA lately. Oh, yeah, that's not good at all. I was wondering if there was anywhere else he possibly could have been because any of the national stuff, no, sir. No. Him and Tex McKenzie were, oof. Ooh. Yes. And by the way, real quick, just because didn't think to mention when we were talking about the new syndicated clearances, I remember, Turner owned them for less than a year, and... I don't think Turner Program Services even took over the syndication right away. So, with the new fall season and all that, this appears to be paying off in that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, our friend Chris Cruz, a former CNN headline news anchor, I tried with the NWA for Worldwide 
at their show in Charleston, West Virginia, on August 14th. Had a, had, Chris has a tremendous voice, and we'll cross our fingers. Oh, said I'm Steve. sure we will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Uh, at least he said our friend, Chris Chris. Hey, he's very open about this one for sure. Yes, uh, well, at the beginning, not later. When yeah, we just keep hearing about how Chris Cruz would be a great announcer in X promotion. Mm-hmm. All right, and now we close with Steve Beverly's open letter to Ric Flair. Mister Ric Flair, Box One Hundred Five Three Six Six One CNN Center, Atlanta Georgia Three Zero Three Four Eight. Dash five three six six. Wait, okay, wait, wait, wait. I was gonna say, is that the legit P- box for him at CNN Center? But I realize it probably is because the zip four is part of the box number. Mm-hmm. Dear Rick, you've had big shoulders the last decade. You've not been the most marketed celebrity in your field, but you've been the standard by which discerning fans judge the word wrestling. Discerning You're- fans. Your shoulders have weathered the changing winds of the NWA from dominant cooperative to a synonym for Jim Crow promotions to its infancy as one of the 200 subsidiaries of Turner Broadcasting System. Despite what a former colleague once said of himself, you are the NWA. You now have a new job at the NWA. No small task. One, no doubt you can handle, but one which takes adjustment. Most feel you were the heir apparent to work as JCP's booker in 1984, before Virgil Runnels took, was hired, we won't review tired history. Last year, a fledgling publication called Matt Watch endorsed you as NWA Booker when Mr. Turner bought the company. Even when others said it was too burdensome for a world champ riding the Concord to the age of 40. I still liked the idea. As creative as your matches and finishes are, you doubtless have the mind, doubtless have the mind to develop exciting programs. But let's review something you already know is shockingly true. It's not like the pre-1985 days, with booking meant two TV shows a week and the three-state circuit of reliable towns with guys who had no pressures other than yourself of reaching a national following. The boss is named Jim, but his last name's not Crockett. Paychecks now come in an office run by a fellow named Ted. NWA is not number one at the gate anymore, though it clings to a loyal hardcore following, particularly of fans over the age of 30. Heavens, when you look at the challenges... I haven't a clue why you or anyone else wants this job. There's a matter of attracting kids. So the NWA hasn't done well in two years. Kids apparently love characters over competition, comic books over work rates. Vincent Mann draws 3 million more children, 2 to 11 to his weekly TV shows in the NWA. That figure alone is a difference in the two alliances' TV ratings. There's the business formatting six first run hours of weekly TV which has to be exciting to draw new audiences who will buy arena tickets. Not even Johnny Carson lost that much weekly time. Until arenas fill across the USA, maintenance shows, quote-unquote, won't help. Then there's category of talent. You have quality in WA, veterans, hot young ones, and a few painful as it is who may be at the stage of Mickey Mantle at the age of 36. It's a case of knowing who to push when, listen to fans, keep an ego and friendship out of personnel decisions, listen to personal problems, Guy want a day off. Guy with a new angle idea. Guy sit after his push, about his push. Guy who no shows, myriad of things which relate in no way to the product in the ring at eight every night. The problems you nonetheless must handle. Finally, there's you. You're still the franchise, the MFP in the Colgate. But the most important thing is for you to be at the pinnacle of your ring game. Potentially, this could be the hottest run of your career. 
And a fool is a need to remind you of the mental strain of being a 1990s booker. Use the other good creative minds you have to erase. Ease that load. You've seen how one past booker would sacrifice other careers to continue elevating himself. He now makes a living sticking his arm in toilets. If you succeed where he eventually burned out, you will build a dynamic future career for the days that you won't be out a final time. Rick, you have nothing left to prove to those of your fans who already feel you've written your Hall of Fame chapter. Perhaps you feel you have another chapter to create, or others to whom something is left to prove in a different avenue. Whatever the reason, it's a big job, but you're a big guy, and you know what you're getting into. Here's hoping for success. Signed, Steve Beverly, editor-publisher, Matt Watch. What was the point of that? The, <laughs> MF, the MFP in the Colgate? What? Yeah. That's that's not an OCR error or anything? That is a performative commentary that was Good. put out there. No, the um, MFP is monofluorophosphate. That Excuse used me? to be the monofluoride. The fluoride in the toothpaste. Okay. Oh, okay. There we go. They, in the 70s, in the Colgate commercials, they made sure to mention that. That was their big hook. Hmm. That's a big deal. Damn. You know, when I, because of Aquafresh, uh, I would always uh, try to stack my toothpaste like that and try to get that huge, massive, like, gob on there. I thought that's actually the way you were supposed to do it. And then most of it would just fall off and, like, it was hard to unstick out of the sink and just a huge pain in the ass. Thank God our water system had fluoride. That's my TED talk, everybody. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm trying to understand what the point of this was. I had as much of one as Steve Beverly did right there. All right, hold on. Let, wait, wait, at what point, though, here, hold on now, because let me tell you something. I was a big, because of that damn 900 line in Steve Beverly, he would be the one I would usually call. At what point does Steve Beverly come onto that hotline and have a job and all that stuff? Um, 1989, doesn't he? Is he starting 89, Bix? I think uh, he does. Well... Who? I think he, it's See, definitely there. Ninety. Hold on, it's in the it's in the the ninety one annual thing. Let me pull it up real quick. Well, uh, go ahead. No, I'll find it real quick. Hotline, 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 hotline. I mean, does one have work. to do with the other? Because again, it's it's a it's a commentary slash you know no, it's, it's, it's the a, open it's letter fan gimmick. Boy. It's fanboy. Yeah, it's, he's, it's, a, it's a fanboy for Flair, and 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 that's okay. You know, I mean, oh no, it's, it's at Russell War ninety, so it's not till February. Russell Warren okay. well, where her talks to him about but, it. But, but see, I mean, he, he it, Matt Watch is not. He wants Petticino's gig. Is he still there? <laughs> I guess Petticino's no, gone by now. He's yeah. gone. <laughs> Matt Matt Watch wasn't. It was a different type of newsletter. You know, that's the thing about Matt Watch. He he could get away with this where Dave couldn't have gotten away with this, even it's at this point a, in time. It's a cross between a trade newsletter and a fanzine yes all right real quick mfp bix i sent you a video yeah it's a commercial from the 80s where this is pimped on on this commercial so let's go to the clip why am i joining a 30 second commercial in progress because i just want to get to the important part (laughs) oh we we really we really couldn't waste those extra 13 seconds okay no. You mean MFP fluoride? Yeah, that. The maximum fluoride protection a toothpaste can give. And it tastes great, but I'm supposed to be the mommy. <laughs> now off to bed. Already? 
Colgate Regular and Winter Fresh Gel. Two great tastes, maximum fluoride protection. Well, not there every commercial was very great back then. I'm sure we had much better ones during our uh, little classic commercial break earlier. But anyway, um, so there you go. Um, I mean, it's a, it's like I said, it's Steve being a fanboy for Rick, and you know, there, Rick is the guy. I mean, the, the the guys that are still around today that were around back then. I mean, Rick is their guy. He always will be. And but I'm not sure know, he's even asking him to do. He wants him to change the NWA to bit to to to, to put his ta- to put his spin on it. And he did. Don't be he Dusty. Don't, don't, don't be Dusty Rhodes. Don't be <laughs> yeah. Dusty Rhodes. No, you mean a lot of it is Virgil Runnels. Don't be the WWF. Don't be Dusty. Have some dignity, Rick. And I, you know, does Steve even know what Steve wants? I don't think so. But it's just because he talks. Well, it's, it's like Steve. He kind of can't understand why kids aren't watching the NWA. Which, and this by is the a, way, yeah, I, I didn't like that, because what was it that he said? Three million more kids due to 11? Yeah, three million more kids due to 11. Okay, here's the thing with that. He's clearly going by the syndicated ratings. Two things about that. One, I certainly get the impression that WWF had a lot more Saturday morning time slots than WCW did in syndication. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> but on, also, the syndicated ratings that we get are just combining everything including the cable shows and are such obvious bullshit that you can't really get any real information out of them well, and Steve to, knows the that well, but you get what I'm saying like 3 million so 3 million though here means 3 million counting the same people multiple times yeah, but if you put down a smaller number, it doesn't have the impact you're going for when you have some this uh, this piece of art that was crafted and created and and bestowed upon Mr. Flair at his box that we anybody subscribing now knows to send booking suggestions to in Mr. Flair's office. So, you know, I mean, maybe I don't want to say maybe not disingenuous, but using a number to your advantage. Uh, maybe doing it that way uh, that could also be doubled as disingenuous if you know that it's complete nonsense. But, you know, again, they could just be that. You know, again, it sounded better. Also, though, I don't know what the chicken or the egg was on all this, but I think as I started to get older and realized this, I thought it was kind of weird because, like, I looked back and when I started to get into WCW and I knew other kids who were getting into WCW, it was never... It wasn't like the kids who watched wrestling were only watching WWF. They were, a lot of them were watching both, and a lot of them preferred WCW. Well, the thing is, the thing is, is that, you know, again, this is a story to be told that younger people value characters. They value stuff like that over the top, over competition. And you know what, though? Right. At this point, they are doing a good job building characters that could work. Sting, Pillman, Muda. But they weren't doing business. And no. they were, and for some, they were missing pizzazz, you know, whereas mm-hmm. Leo Sid had pizzazz in a way, and they had something that was, again, you know, and this kind of goes back to earlier on about, you know, WWF and, in, 
reimagining and all that. WWF fans, New York fans, they don't look at anything else. And and Try oh, to I, I would say, you know, every NWA fan, I'm not saying all of them watched the WWF because I'm sure the older ones didn't. But for the most part, anybody that was really, you know, making the active part of that base, they were all watching the WWF, whereas WWF fans were not all watching the I NWA. Would, uh, you're I, thinking about I, this I, wrong, I, though. Because of a certain uh, generation. No, 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 no. Here's why. I'm being very specific. Let me just say I'm this not before Chris. Broad brushing, I'm broad brushing that, but. He's not wrong. I know personally he's not no, no, wrong. No, 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 no. I know where he's going with this. But you do have to remember, for a certain generation, they absolutely were watching other wrestling. Because every damn WWF program told you to watch championship wrestling from Florida and wrestling from the Olympic on TV. That's 1980. Well, late than that. Well, the Olympics. And here's the thing. And, and, and honest to God, though, Bix, and I, this is, I, I would have to lean towards you and anybody from up there. You the fans know. fought the powers of pain with the fucking road. <laughs> well, but my thing would be like at the time, even though they were being told, you know, and it was available to watch championship wrestling from Florida and the Olympic, were they doing it? Exactly. How, how many were doing it and enough of the. You know, you're again. That I, I, not enough. I don't think would be where it would count. And those would be I, the people. That, enough for watching know. Florida. That Dusty was over from day one. I would love what Dusty yeah. worked. Out. Yeah, I no, would, I mean I from would, day one in the WWF. Well, then you got the after magazines too. I would love if somebody did a thing, a poll now of AEW fans and WWE fans of of watching the other promotion. I would bet. Plenty of money. There are way more fans, AEW fans, that admit to watching WWE than WWE fans that admit to watching. You mean on AEW. a percentage basis? Yes, absolutely. Well, because here's the whole thing, too. They a lot of them be lying if they said they wouldn't. Because how many new fans? It's not fair for AEW to say, you know, how many new fans have they cultivated? They haven't been around long enough. It's a tough to to, to kind of judge that. Everybody that's watched AEW has seen WWE, whether they want to believe it or not, or no matter what they say about WWE, they have been influenced and they have been. Nobody was just watching Ring of Honor for the last. 15 years of first 15 years of their life, you know, as a teenager before AEW came along, you know, at least not enough of them to make a difference for heaven's sake. That's why so, that, that's why people need to slow their roll when they get you know, it's about, whoa, they're gonna take over WWE. Uh, no, <laughs> WWE has had way more cachet and way, have built way more of a, a history that people know of them than you know than that so and like i said i, I again I, I would get people to try to watch different things that were friends of mine that were watching wrestling well i'm gonna watch that that's not major league you know i when i when i if i want to watch wrestling i'm gonna watch wwe i mean that's yeah. that's where and, we were at and you know that's it, why you gotta like cultivate new exactly that's you, the because you're not gonna convert thing- League thing is kind of funny in uh, the modern era where everyone knows it's a work and how though. Doesn't matter. It's all about the characters. It's all about the personalities. No, it's I all know, about that. but I'm saying major league versus minor league. Like I don't even. What would the non-sports analogy even be? Well, like between like Barnum and Bailey Circus and yeah, like yeah, you yeah. know the big. Well, look, at the, not, look at the music business. 
You know, I mean, you got these great musicians that aren't, you know, aren't all over the radio or all over uh, whatever um, that put out this great quality music, but you never hear about them in any of the, in the major things because they're not... Great what labels rec- and whack labels, yeah. The, the the record companies are wanting to push, you know. I mean, it that I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's you know, there's that type of similarity there. And sports, I mean, look, I mean, when you try to compete with the major sports leagues in any sport, you know, football's had it more than anybody else. But you know, you had the XFL, you had the you know the the other league, which I can't remember the name of it now. USFL. No, 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 um, AAF. AAF, yeah, AAF. Yeah, USFL was the most successful in any of them. Yeah. but The World Football League in the 70s. And the reason why the USFL was so successful at the beginning was they were able to go out and get young, young college players, and they went there instead of going to the NFL... And they were in some markets that didn't have NFL teams, yeah. and, and and they were and they were in the spring. They weren't going head to head with the NFL either until but, Trump ruined yeah. everything. But yeah, yeah, but they but they started going downhill before then, though. I mean, you go watch you watch eighty five USFL games, and there's a lot of bad attendances. Oh yeah, look, it was a money losing prop, and it was going to be for a while. And stability of teams, you know, the breakers moving from you know New Orleans to Boston to Portland or whatever the the row of that was. You know, we got the ball, we got the Philadelphia Stars, you know, who I think had won a championship before they moved down to quote unquote Baltimore and played down in College Park where the University of Maryland was. You know, there were going to be times like Wait, that. Isn't but College the, Park DC suburbs and not Baltimore? It absolutely is. Yeah, it's actually it's down by D.C. You know, that's why, you know, a lot of people don't again long. You have to know Baltimore history where a lot of people, you know, from Baltimore City, you know, that's the heart of basketball there. They don't they didn't they didn't mess with College Park. They didn't mess with Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. I I watched some of those games not that long ago. But the the biggest difference of all between the wrestling business then and now and Steve talks about here plainly kids wrestling now is not pushed for children because wrestling is all about the primetime television shows in this era it's about the saturday saturday shows you know the saturday syndicated shows the tbs show on 605 on saturday night there's no primetime wrestling war i mean there's primetime wrestling usa network but that's that's different i mean this is the thing it's all about those shows it's all about bringing the families to the building because if you hook the kids they hook the parents you know and that's where i see the difference and where times have changed for me and that I always look at 18 to 34 as a number just because, yes, you have got to hook people in 12 to 17 is usually, I think, the earliest, you know, that we usually hear from a TV point of view. Actually, they do, you know, they do look at younger kindergartners and all that sort of stuff. But like, yeah, you've got to lock in 12 to 17 for sure. That's where a lot of us become wrestling fans. But where you became a lifetime wrestling fan, as we've seen by the numbers, once you hit 35 years old, you're pretty much locked in there. Once you hit even older than that, you're really locked in. So to Mm -hmm. me, you can be a wrestling fan. And and because I, this is just growing up in multiple eras and seeing the booms and, and you guys are about the same age. So it's the same way where, you know, after, if you're a wrestling fan to a certain point, but you, then your girlfriend isn't and your kids aren't and like, it can go away for you real easy. 
So like between 18 to 34, it's like, who's actually growing that number? And are you manifesting new fans from there? Because your chance of locking them in for a long time, it's going to be there. If they're embarrassed to be a wrestling fan or they just have no interest or whatever, because all this other stuff is going on or it's not accepted where they are, you know, <laughs> you're never going to get those people. Those people aren't going to show up again at 50 years old and go, well, I'm not going to watch this. Hey, look, wrestling always seemed to be a thing, you know? So it's like, to me, you got to get them in that age. And unlike before, the way wrestling is, the landscape of it, it's harder to hook kids and they have less attention span. So to me, you really got to drive home so 18 to 34. And, and the thing is, Mike, you know, I started working at my job when I was 17 years old, okay? I start, that's where I, I've been at the same job since I was 17. I'm 42 now. All right, when I was 17, it's 96. Well, I started in 97, so NWO's smoking hot. Everybody up there that was around my age that were like guys, 17, 16, 17, 18, pretty much all of them were watching wrestling on Monday nights, you know, and that, and that was the point of discussion, you know, especially on every Tuesday and whatever, you know, man, what about this, 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 and this, I work now. A lot of my crew is in that same age range, age range. Now, nobody talks jack shit about wrestling and haven't talked jack shit about wrestling in a good, uh, five, a good seven, eight years. Okay. Maybe in good 10. Because what they're into now is they're into Marvel, all the stuff Marvel puts out, streaming. Did you watch All American on Netflix the other day? What, and there this you show, go. That show, this show, that show. It's all about streaming, Netflix, Hulu, um, you know, Disney Plus. Did you watch this on those? They have been hooked in by all of these streaming shows and all this other stuff on social media. That's so, that something like wrestling. I mean, it just it, that doesn't appeal to them. But that's it, the whole thing is the bottom line is it ain't wrestling. And at the ages of, you know, you're saying around that time. So, you know, around 27 to 30, they, you know, they, they didn't get locked in. They're, so, mm -hmm. the, you know, and they ain't going to be locked in after that. And that's that's where you see those. Again, this is where you have to have concern if you're WWE in some ways with how you grow, because even though you're the monster, it's, you know, Again, how are you growing this thing? Because that is important. Whether does it matter to their overall business or whether they're sold to NBC Universal or whatever? No, but you still have to grow, and they haven't been doing that. AEW has been doing okay with that, but they have got to well... be careful. They have been doing okay <laughs> with it. Like yeah. I know that we could debate, and again, you can. This can you know mushroom out into a lot of different 35, ways. And... 35, 35 to forty nine is the sweet spot. 35, because if when you when Showbiz Daily was around, and it's supposed to be coming back, but when Showbiz Daily was around, and you looked at those graphs and those numbers, you if you looked at, and this can tell you this, you look at that 12 to 34 part of it compared to the 35 and 49 part of it, huge difference. And you could and look what happened last Wednesday, with you know that stuff dropped because what came back last Wednesday challenge yeah but that's a in a show and, and that's it, number one that's but number they're 18 one. to 34 went up at that peak look at the age of the person look when that show was big and look who it means the most to it's to that demo now i didn't think it was going to drop you know as much as it did but i think you can again there's a level of 
I, I think that rings more. I think it says a lot more about MTV and the challenge than it actually does about AEW this week. Of course. And and again, that's the thing. That's the, that, that's what you're competing against though, is now they're back and now you got it. Now you got to go head to head with them, you know, and, and fight for that audience with them. If you want to try to, to, to build that audience and, and, or be, and maintain it. And WWE, what they have are old people that, again, it's a large swath of demo. And those old people, unlike other old demos, when you look at them, you go, those are the money-making years. And they don't think of that with wrestling fans, but they are loyal viewers. That's when WWE says we're competing against sleep. For those viewers, How you know, that's here? who they're doing it for. And AEW doesn't have those viewers yet for, again, a variety of different reasons. So it's like they've got to convert the people they have now. Make sure because, again, there's going to be a, a period where they go down and their their fans like the, the newness wears off and the shine wears off. At some point, it's going to happen. And then once can you get through those tough times and let's see who sticks around? That's going to be very interesting as well, too, because, again, with ebbs and flows, it's bound to happen. And the guys they're bringing in, you know, they're, they're great guys. But, you know, CM Punk and Brian Danielson, they're both, you know, 40. I mean, you're, you're, you're bringing you're, you're, you're heavily pushing guys that are 40 something years old. Yeah, I mean, the, now's, look, now's the time you need to be starting to to really propel some of these guys that are in their twenties. I know? think they, I think they, they got enough of that right now. I don't think it's time to hit the panic button. Be because yeah, you have, have enough people button. that they're I, pushing and getting ready. That I'm, I, I'm, yes. I'm not concerned about that. Well, we'll, we'll see. How, but, yeah, let's see how well they get them ready. That's the big thing. Is you, you there's a lot of question marks because Darby. The risk with Darby is even though he's he can always get hurt. Like that's the big thing with him, but he's he's there. You well, have, that's not you know, the Adam, only big risk with him. Well, that, well, that's the hangman Adam Page is, you know, obviously he's there. Like they and they have people that look like they're gonna be on the come up, but there's there's so many question marks, you know, with a lot of the folks that they MJF, have, even like though. Brian Pilliman Juniors and people's like that. It's like Again, they have a lot of talent at their disposal. It's and again, can you make people really dig their teeth into these guys like a sting where uh, you know you knew you knew there were going to be lifetime sting fans. You know what I mean? It's like does does Sammy have lifetime fans? I think MJF does. You know, I think Sammy probably does, but it's like again, do you have enough of them to maintain? Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of similarities here between what's going on '89 and what's going on in 2020, 2021. Absolutely, but it's all could be moot with COVID. Yeah, <laughs> because, <laughs> because that's the whole thing. If, if therefore, if they're forced to have to go back to Daly's place and do shit like that, you know, that changes everything. And where where COVID's going now, and we ain't got the Labor Day yet. I mean, it's 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 getting well, rough. Well, look, you go Florida. through a long run again. Oof. Honest to God, you start looking at Sinclair and ROH, and you go, you know, if you're Sinclair, you did you did everything that you uh, in most ways you did everything right. They did it right. They did it better than anybody else. It's like, do do we? And even though they can, man, are we looking to maybe move this thing because we don't want to do this again? We could still keep it as our programming. They're still going to need an outlet. You know, it's like so it's like you start thinking about all this stuff again and all these names, too, on the indies that were, you know, again, helping to swell the indies again after WWE and AEW kind of bought everybody up there for a while. We got more people out of work than ever that weren't getting guaranteed mm -hmm. WWE contracts. Yep. 
yeah, yeah downsides. I mean, everything is uncertain, and and uh, like I said, things could change. We're all day to day in this life. Yeah. So who knows what's going to happen? But at least we had the past to talk about that we had this week. So that's always great to I have. I mean, we spent like the last thirty-five minutes not talking about the past, but whatever. <laughs> well, that's all right. All yeah, right. Learn from the past, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people haven't learned from the past. Believe me, <laughs> a lot of people, including myself. All right. Uh, well, that's it for us this week, Michael. So uh, plug time, my man. Plug away. What you got going on? Oh, man. The fact I was able to do this show means I was actually able to free up some time to record uh, some Mid-Atlantic Championship podcasts, which you can find hey. at Mid-Atlantic Pod. And uh, I finally got the whole scripting and all the audio to the Don Cronoodle show. This one means a lot to me. So I wanted to make sure, again, life has made me not have the time to do anything, unfortunately, with jobs and family and everything else the little bit of free time I do have trying to spend it with them. But uh, hopefully uh, there's going to be some more normalcy to my life and I can get more of these podcasts done with the Don Cronoodle tribute, which again, you know, the last of the territorial superstars in a lot of ways, you know, as that era was changing and just kind of, uh, you know, the fascinating, fun look at Cronoodle. And the more I watched and the more I went back to watch, the the more I just kind of, I just kept cutting audio of and, and you know, I hope it's a, a really nice uh, retrospective that people can look back on. It is really long in multiple parts. Got the whole kitten Cronoodle going on if you want it unabridged. <laughs> you know, I do have that for, for all you masochists out there that want to fill up your entire phone's memory with, with one podcast. This will be the one for you. But, uh, you know, he meant a lot to me because that's one of my favorite feuds of all time. I love tag team wrestling. One of the reasons why is following it in magazines and then getting to see Don Cronoodle when Mid-Atlantic actually hit Channel 56 and 54 in my area so it's you know again he was somebody i really loved i love that slaughter team the, the stuff with steamboat and youngblood and so i got that going on as well as of course wrestling observer live do that every single day uh monday through fridays 3 p.m eastern time on sundays 6 p.m uh, Saturdays is a replay show for right now. Hopefully Jim Valley is going to get back at some point and take that back over and hopefully take one of these other days because I have to deal with Brian Alvarez and that can be very, very painful <laughs> at times. But, uh, I am with that said, uh, oh, you don't check say. A check has never bounced from there, and it, uh, I do it for the people and all of the, the people that do watch on Twitch and also support the uh, Adam and Mike Big Audio Nightmare that I never have a chance to do, which has turned into a Adam Summer solo show, which he does a very, very good job with, so nobody can really complain about that, but... Uh, yeah, I do that sort of stuff, and then occasionally after UFC shows, uh, myself and Filthy Tom Lawler will do a Twitch and YouTube special for those uh, subscribers of those sites and however you do all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's that, at SemperVivi on Twitter, because I'm pretty much always on there, although uh, if you don't follow that, and I don't blame you, uh, follow at MidAtlanticPod, because that is just pure pro wrestling. It is just days from... That weekend's uh, TV and Jim Crockett uh, promotions history, as well as a lot of other facts and figures and dates from throughout Jim Crockett promotions from 1933 
on down to the end in 1988 and, and even some time after that too, like uh, when it's time to put on bash 89 uh, to celebrate that anniversary. Cause it was so awesome. I usually go up until 1992 and then that's where it's like, okay, we got to let it go right there. But uh, you know, that's the one, if you love pro wrestling at mid Atlantic pod on Twitter, that's, that's the one you want to go to. Wait, Chris, don't you have a podcast that covers the early years of WCW? What? <laughs> I'm like Mike in that way. Uh, you know, uh, my 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 co-host is very busy on that one, so it's hard to guess do anything. He's got so much going on his fire. You know, okay. between running wrestling, helping run wrestling promotions, and uh, being involved with one of the leading streaming services, it's kind of uh, it's kind of hard to do things. But anyway, that's another uh. story. I don't know how the PayPal works. I think it's paypal.me backslash SemperVivi. I think that's it. It's a picture of Leroy Brown uh, with a huge cookie and Gordon Soley right there. That, that's me. You know, if you want to send me any money, if you send me 150 bucks, I will be glad to take the day off of work. <laughs> uh, you know, anything from there, I, I will help negotiate because I will promise you the time I spend not working those eight hours will gladly be spent talking about wrestling into a microphone <laughs> for you. Believe me, you got requests. You want to know about the mass superstar? I'm your man. It's like master shake on Aqua Teen. There's nothing I want to do. Five bucks. What, what do you got for me? I'm here for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, wait, next week on between the sheets, uh, I haven't done the notes yet, but we know what the show is, right? This is the Patreon show, right? The Vera Pit Mix, is that I correct? I believe so. Yes, the returning Vera Thoris having picked uh, 1997, which, so I forget, this is, is this the week of the My Spot promo, the week of the My Spot parody, or the week after that with all the fallout? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, oh, right, because we're recording this earlier than usual, so you I haven't done the notes yet. yet. I haven't done the notes yet, so uh, I do know that we did um, we did September fourth to the twelfth. That was show it's whatever we didn't cover. It's whatever we didn't cover on the previous coverage of some of that stuff, basically. Yeah, so we got that, and plus all the stuff going to WF. Uh, I guess after SummerSlam, and well, SummerSlam was very early in the month, so it's a few weeks after SummerSlam. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. I haven't done the notes yet, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have more details during halftime. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking now at the Nitro. Uh, this doesn't have angles. Hold on. I'm looking at this now. Okay. So, so what date would that be? August 25th. Um, yes, this is the Arn retirement problem. The actual Arn retirement Yes. Night. So okay. it's the arm retirement from so we'll have we'll have that and everything going on around Including that. Including the most watched wrestling match in the history of cable television up to that point. That famous match we all remember. Steve McMichael versus Eddie Guerrero. Oh my. <laughs> what did it spike at? I don't remember, but it was the match right after the <laughs> arm promo. And I want to say for the next at least year or so, it was the most watched match in the history of cable television. That's so awesome. <laughs> you know, when we think oh, of the most man. watched matches in the history of cable television, we think Steve Austin versus The Undertaker. 
Ric Flair versus Terry Funk. Ric Flair versus Lex Luger. Sting versus the Black Scorpion, but still. Big deal. <laughs> yeah. And and Steve McMichael versus Eddie Guerrero. Mongo's here, baby! Also, where, where Eddie Guerrero trusts Steve McMichael enough to do the moonsault into a tombstone spot is the thing. It oh, that's right. I do remember seeing that clip. Yes, I remember that. Because <laughs> as we all know, Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, not the most creative wrestlers, they needed to steal finishes from matches like Steve McMichael versus Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> all right, Mike, thank you, as always, for being on the show. Hey, Great. no problem. Get you back on soon. Fix, thank you, as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris saying so long for the Peach Day of Georgia. Patreon special edition episode number 59. I'm your host Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host David Bixenspan. And basically we're going to talk about a topic that we touched on here and there on the Between the Sheets shows, but definitely not like this. And this is the perfect type of concept, this Patreon series, to do a show like this, as this is a... Goes through quite a few years here. This this uh in, this subject in particular. Yeah, pretty much. Let me look at the data. Last thing we have here. Yeah, over four years. Just over four <laughs> years. The show is uncom- encompassing. Yes, and probably could have went longer, but actually, yeah, I'm looking been... at it now. It's about four and a half from when it actually yeah, starts. But... Four four year, a little over four years from. No, excuse me. Five, uh, yeah, four. No, I'm doing it wrong. A little over three from what we used as the anniversary to peg it to over four and a half from when the notes start. Yeah, so uh, long drawn out stuff here, but uh, a very interesting subject as we're going to talk about Superstar Billy Graham versus the World Wrestling Federation, which seemed like it's been going on and off for 30 years. (laughs) <laughs> but we're only going to focus on these years in particular. Yes, and the reason we're going with August 9th, August is the anniversary to peg you to 
is that that's when he announces his lawsuit against the World Wrestling Federation. But we'll get to that later because he doesn't exactly file it right away. Yeah. But it starts back further than that. All right. Now, week of July 15th, Arsenio Hall show. July 16th, Hulk Hogan, during his uh, legendary interview with Arsenio Hall, talked about superstar Billy Graham and Bruno San Martino and uh, all the hubbub they've been drumming up about steroid usage. And uh, yeah, he's got some stuff to get off his chest. So let's go to the Hulkster. Have you ever heard of this? I, I saw a guy on a program named Billy Graham, not the Reverend, but mm-hmm. a wrestler. What's up with him? Well, superstar Billy Graham, apparently, um, in the 70s, was one of the top wrestlers, one of the top draws. I was a big fan of his. And he just came out during all these drug trials and admitted steroid use and abuse. And basically, he's saying that these are all the reasons his body's falling apart. But basically, um, Basically. there have been several other wrestlers like Bruno San Martino, who didn't have any problem working with Billy Graham at the time. He's on steroids and putting all the money in his pocket that have completely turned into hypocrites and knocked Hulk Hogan and said Hulk Hogan's never seen the inside of a church, and I doubt if he even says his prayers. And there was, there's been all kind of allegations, but Billy Graham was a top draw during the 70s, and, and he apparently was a heavy-duty steroid abuser. Yeah. Um, before we say goodbye, um, I know you called me, and you wanted to come and and uh, straighten this thing out yes, and, 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 I and tell the you truth. Come out here. Yeah, would you like to say anything else to your hulkamaniacs? Well, I'll tell you, you know, um, steroids, like cocaine and a lot of other hard drugs, or class three drugs, if that's what you want to call them, the federal government calls them, is a dead-end street. And basically, basically. Um, as far as kids trying to get into athletics, and this is the 90s, the era of the fitness, stay away from those type of drugs because basically they're all kind of side effects and adverse reactions. and. From what I can tell you, I've got a wife and two kids, and I don't want to miss one second or do anything that's going to take one second away from my life to be with my wife and kids. And as far as these kids go, if you work hard, if you train 20 years like I do and start as soon as you can, I mean, you can get what you want out of your body. It just, it's a little more intense. You've got to be a little more uh, dedicated and be a leader. Don't be a follower because that's what this whole thing's all about. And that's what we're trying to bring to the, the front of the WWF and Hulk Hogan. We're a bunch of leaders, not a bunch of followers. Yeah. Here. Okay. Um, come on. Hey, hey, hey. Um, uh, Very quickly, and I have to ask you this question. Um, I was so... Okay, we don't need this. This is when Hogan gets flustered when he asks him what should happen to the doctor. But we don't need to go further than that. Um, What an asshole. (laughs) Oh, man. It's it's Hogan. I mean, this is what it was, and... People ate it, you know, ate it all. You know, they they didn't get any blowback from this from most people. So, you know, yeah, it's what it what the it's what caused uh, Graham to go nuclear on Hogan, though. Well, yeah, um, but how many times do you think he said basically there? <laughs> uh, basically, about six, seven times, maybe. Basically, according to Steve Beverly, in the entire interview, he used it. 22 times. Yeah. His go-to word, I guess. At John Rezzi's Wrestling Fans Convention in New York over this past weekend, Graham was scheduled to donate his wrestling boots and a custom-made tie-dye tuxedo to an auction. He also donated a frame 11 by 14-inch personal autograph photo of Hulk Hogan himself, which he claimed was one of his prized possessions up until recently. Putting up for auction shows my real disdain for Hulk's appearance on the Arsenio Hall show. Selling that photo was me... Was me 
doing a symbolic way of showing that I'm washing my hands of him. When I saw the performance, it made, was like a piercing stab in the back. I can't get over that shit. How in the hell did Theodore Densmore think that that was going to, you know... Because it's the World the Wrestling Oscar. Federation, Chris. But shit, fucking uh, Eugene Densmore would have probably been better attorney in that case. Well, he is a wrestling savant. <laughs> it. Well, luckily, they didn't have to worry about this. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Let's keep going. And, poor, and and you could tell that Billy was, you know, crushed by Hogan doing that thing on Arsenio. But what did you expect? I mean, really, what did you fucking expect? Yeah. You expect that to go out there and, you know, put it all out there for everybody? Yeah, I, I'm, I, Billy's right. Yeah, so what we have next now is the separate Inside Edition story. Um, for a second, I got confused with the other one, but it is a separate one. Which and airs sometime in October. I could not pin this down at all, but thankfully there's nothing directly surrounding it that we have here anyway. So let's move on to that now. And this in part addresses Graham's upsetness with the Arsenio interview. So we start with this clip here, which is so I look at how I have a time this a little under two minutes. The undisputed king of the ring is Hulk Hogan. Hero to thousands of Hulkamaniacs, as his young fans are called, the Hulkster preaches clean living, prayer, and vitamins as the keys to success. I'm the last great American hero since John Wayne died. Forget the baseball players. Forget the football players. Hulkamania is what tears Madison Square Garden in every major arena down around the country. But some of his former colleagues say that the gospel, according to Hulk Hogan, is not quite kosher. The kids are believing that if they take their vitamins and say their prayers, that they're going to grow up to be some super athlete. Well, I got news for you. You can take your vitamins and you can say your prayers, but you're never going to grow up to be 300 pounds with 24-inch arms unless you take steroids. Dave Schultz is a former professional wrestler with the World Wrestling Federation. So is superstar Billy Graham. They both watched the Arsenio Hall show last July when their old wrestling friend Hulk Hogan appeared and made this statement. But I've trained, I've trained 20 years, two hours a day to look like I do. But the things that I am not is I'm not a steroid abuser, mm -hmm. and I do not use steroids. But Hulk Hogan's but, former teammates have a very different story to tell about his past abuse of steroids. I myself personally have injected Hulk Hogan with anabolic steroids. I brought him into my home. I let him sleep in the house. I gave him food. And in return, he gave me steroids. He showed me how to use steroids. Any thoughts on what we just watched? Here's the thing about this stuff is no matter how much of this is probably correct and true, a lot of people would see these two guys as, as malcontents and they have an agenda and they're bitter. And that's why we, it, it needed somebody to be in this that didn't have something that had already happened that they come out and say, this is what's going on. Somebody who would have been perceived as someone who had maybe more credibility. You know, Schultz, you know, God knows, been all over the media forever. 
It says Stossel. And Graham, you know, Graham is Graham. But if there had been somebody else who they could, could have come out and they could have pointed to them and said, you know, this this person right here, they're not like that. They're, they don't have an axe to grind against the World Wrestling Federation or whatever. I think that's what this whole controversy needed to mm-hmm. to get it to that next to that next level of public consciousness, you know. Yeah, and I feel like it hurts Schultz at the time more than it does Graham. You know, I mean, it's it's just it's the same old song and dance, you know, the same old malcontent. So these guys, they're bitter because they can't get they can't get work. But they're also them. not going to say anything until they know they have no chance of getting a job anymore. <laughs> how it always yes so that's wrestling yes well let's go to the part where graham and the schultz two come back up and that goes through the end of the segment and then we'll talk about this more billy graham world wrestling federation champion of 1977 is retired now he suffers from devastating physical problems caused he believes by his years of steroid abuse he wants people to see the price he paid for his moment in the wrestling spotlight billy what is it that you want from all this what is it that you want the hulk to do i want him to be honest i want him to tell the american public because of the overwhelming evidence of testimonies like people like myself and the common knowledge of all wrestlers who know him for years. He's taken steroids from the late 70s through the whole decade of the 80s. You know, I want him to come clean. He owes it to his fans. You see, he owes it to the children of this country. And as you heard, superstar Billy Graham told us he wants to spread the word about the dangers of steroids. Is that He's now Blast? making appearances in schools so kids oh, can see for themselves um, how he has suffered because of his unhealthy pursuit. Nancy of O'Dell? No, 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 no. That's Nancy O'Dell's on was Entertainment Tonight, but she was on, she I think she was on Inside Edition too. I, I before. know you're talking about that's though, Nancy. Yeah. That's, I think that's Nancy Glass. Let me look, make okay. sure. Nancy Glass. Yes, Nancy Glass. Wow, that's a blast in the past. But, uh... Here's the thing. Yeah. Especially at the end. Graham's right. In large part because someone who we thought was his friend used his name to lie and shit on him. Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of everything like he said about Hogan so far, and the later stuff is a little dirtier, but I, if it was honest, and I do believe it was, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Like... Up to this point, though, he really isn't—he really isn't shooting that many daggers, you know. Uh, well, Ho- he wasn't until Hogan did Arsenio. And he, not the Hogan point, He's not going that far yet. Yeah, no, not really. Schultz point, is. <laughs> Schultz is, but still, but but Graham, Graham just seems sad. Yeah, exactly. You know, and understandably so. To hear this entire show. Support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.